Hello again, everybody, and welcome to the Jim Cornette Experience through snow and sleet and driving rain 40 below in Bangor, Maine to 110 in the Kentucky sun. Doing the shows this week ain't been fun, but we're going to go all in today, folks, and joining me. Hawaiian Brian, the podcasting lion, the king of the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network, Mr. Co-host to you. He's the man who always delivers, even on one leg, the great Brian Last, everybody. Aloha, Jim. A pleasure to be here once again. Hop along last here with my good buddy, Jim Cornette. Uh, well, we'll we'll talk about it. Let me introduce you to my sidekick. We'll talk about that uh, here in a little while, hop along. But, um, you know, again, we just did a delayed drive-through episode, delayed by one day because of various issues. And then we're tasked with talking about, you know, the loss of Terry Funk because that happened imminently right before we started recording. And then again, within the space of, what was it, 24 hours or maybe not even, you know, we get the news that that Bray Wyatt passes away. And we had heard that he had some kind of health issue but I don't know that anybody was spreading anything around that it was that serious or potentially that serious. He was only 36 years old. And since he had been off, you know, WWE television a couple of different times and released and brought back, yes, his departure appeared odd, but at the same time, you know, it wasn't anything out of character of the last couple of years where they've started and stopped something or let him go and brought him back. So it was, I think, a shock to everybody. But then we find out that, according to what's been released, the, you know, his close family and friends at least knew that it had been a, a serious health issue where he apparently got COVID and it exacerbated um, an existing or congenital heart issue that he had. But that's why the the word had been going around that he was close to coming back or he was, you know, close to being cleared or whatever the terminology was, because he was improving. And then, what was this, Thursday afternoon, Brian, or was it Friday, that that he had a heart attack, I guess, out of nowhere and, and died? Well, Sean Ross Sapp of Fightful was the one who reported, and I have it here, it was on Twitter, I was given permission to reveal that earlier this year, Wyndham Rotunda, Bray Wyatt, got COVID. That exacerbated a heart issue. There was a lot of positive progress towards a return and his recovery. Unfortunately, today he suffered a heart attack and passed away. So... And it, it a lot of people on Twitter instantly were drawing the comparison with he was in a group with Brody Lee and what was the name he was using at that time? Brody Lee was um, Luke Harper. Luke Harper. And uh, not the exact same thing, but a similar issue happened. A you know a disease discovered young age and you know that's spooky in itself but obviously this week with everybody talking about and upset about you know terry 
it was a double whammy, but two completely different situations in that, you know, Terry would have been 80 on his next birthday and, and obviously had health issues for a while, whereas, you know, this is, uh, I guess he has several children. It was with uh, one of the ring announcers, uh, Jojo. Jo- Jojo. Yeah, Jojo Offerman. Her dad was a baseball player, Jose Offerman. I should have known you'd know that. Um, and uh, to be honest, first of all, I'm going to preface this with I never met or spoke to or had any interaction with Bray Wyatt in my life. So, and I certainly had nothing against him, even though we've knocked his wrestling or I don't know. We knocked his wrestling as much. We knocked what, how his gimmick was portrayed or what surrounded the, the non-wrestling aspects of it. But I certainly knew Mike Rotunda, who was a great guy. And obviously Bray was grandson of Blackjack Mulligan, but I don't know all the different relations, but Barry Windham, Mike Rotunda, all these you know, wrestlers in the family, his brother, Bo Dallas. So, you know, you hate to hear something like that because everybody's got to be brokenhearted, not only in his family, but also from what everybody said on Twitter, all of the boys and girls in the business, everybody loved this guy. Nobody had anything bad to say about him, had any issues. Maybe, I don't know, we... Maybe some of the people did not necessarily look forward to working with him for the last couple of years, the incarnation of his gimmick, just because it was hard to come out of that. But as a person, it seems like everybody, you know, loved him. So, you know, again, there's there's a lot of people that I would rather not see on any more wrestling shows. That doesn't mean that I want anything bad to happen to them. There is a handful of people that I do, and whenever something bad happens to them, you'll you'll hear me crowing about it, but this is not one of those instances. Certainly a really talented guy. And like you said, a lot of the things that he did weren't things that we typically enjoy and we didn't, but there was always that talent. You could always see it there. I always said, I wish this guy would go to Hollywood and make something because yeah, he's clearly a creative guy. And he appeared to be trying to mix the wrestling stuff with, I don't know what you want to call it. Horror, science fiction, different, outside elements and if you like him or not and we were not fans of that kind of stuff you could certainly say revolutionary no one had ever done anything like that stuff in professional wrestling before i doubt anyone's going to do anything like that ever again but it was completely different even than his earlier stuff remember a lot of these guys kind of came up together through the first group of like what florida championship wrestling turning into nxt the guys that were working with Dusty Rhodes, The Shield, The Wyatt Family, so many of these people. When The Shield were first breaking big, remember the Wyatts came up from NXT and almost right away got a push as a top guy. Well, he got him as a top guy, but his yeah. two guys as his serious threats wearing the spooky masks. Amazing entrance. He had a great theme song. He came out to WrestleMania one time with them playing it. It was a really, really Amazing entrance. And a lot of the stuff with the rise of Brian Danielson or Daniel Bryan was mixed in with the Wyatt family. Well, that's what I was going to say is that, unfortunately, I was not watching any 
of the programming uh, during the Wyatt family period of time. I would hear about and or read about on the, you know, interweb or whatever, you know, the Wyatt family, spooky swamp dwellers. I'm thinking, okay, that's interesting. It wasn't necessarily interesting enough to make me watch the programs. When when we, you and I started doing these podcasts and the people basically demanded that we review this stuff, that period had already passed and we were getting, you know, the indestructible fiend and the fun house with the puppets. And I just, I, I couldn't get it. But the concept of, and when I've seen the spooky video since then that they do whenever they do a retrospective or whatever, um, that intrigues me. I might go back and try to find some of that stuff. If I only had time, Gordon Soli. And then conversely, when he, it was the last time that he re-debuted this, this past run when he came out and he was talking as himself or what we believed he was, or you know what I'm saying, more as him as a person. Remember I said, this guy can fucking talk. He's spellbinding. He, if, I, but he never, to me, never finished the story he was trying to tell me, but I was listening to him the whole way because of the way he was telling it. And I said, what, in a previous era, because he does have the, the, the wrestling business in his genes from his three generations. In a previous era, a guy like that, a territory could have been a, the King Curtis level heel that you hear about in Hawaii, where you just talk to people in the building or the, you know, Bugsy McGraw, Florida, handsome, Jimmy Valiant, Memphis gimmick, baby face. that could talk to people in the building just with the promos, regardless of his work, which, you know, it was obviously probably at a better level than some of the instances I just gave. His grandfather. But his grandfather could talk to people in the blackjack. So that it would have been interesting to see him and that talent applied to the wrestling business, the territory wrestling business, which I believe he would have excelled at. So while I never got the the puppets and the spooky supernatural presentation. Um, yeah, you could see this guy. He was made for the wrestling business because he could talk to people and he could be real, whether he's being real or he was working real, he could be real. And sincerity is the key. When you learn to fake that, you've got it made. When you look at the wrestling business right now and the men and women in the locker room, there aren't a lot of young wrestling deaths like there used to be. I mean, the most recent one, and you know, it's sad that it's uh, linked up with this, but of course, Brody Lee, he was in his 30s too, I believe. And before that, it's been a while. What do you think they're going through right now? The people who worked with him, who knew him, who expected to see him back, who never thought anything like this would happen because for a while, you know, for very different reasons, that was a very common thing in the wrestling business, the idea of someone dying in their 30s. Well, and that's, it's kind of gone full circle. Deaths of of early ages of wrestlers never happened, except rarely in the, you know, 50s, 60s, 70s, the territory days, into the start of the 80s. It was car wrecks or 
you know, every once in a while, some type of outside the ring, you know, tragedy, something you couldn't avoid. Or in those days also, guys worked till they were older. So you would get guys in their 50s that may, you know, come down with some illness or whatever. But there, it wasn't, the car wrecks were the worst thing. And then, starting with what, Rick McGraw, maybe early 80s, he was the first one. It was in his early 30s. Well, within a year, what? David Von Erich, Rick McGraw, Jay Youngblood. Well, I thought Rick was first, and then David. No, David was first. It was David, all right. Because David was the beginning of 84, Rick McGraw was 85. All right, well, it's been 40 years, so I'm older too. The point is, all of the Rick McGraw, then David Von Erich, then Jay Youngblood, and that was kind of the, you know, opening round of the modern. There was the steroids were not a thing until the early pioneers, superstar, whatever. But until the eighties, really, on a widespread basis, and honestly, neither were fucking pills. There was a lot of guys that were alcoholics and you could work with that in the wrestling business. And, but you know, the pain pills came along also. And then cocaine did a goddamn deal on everybody's heart from the eighties and nineties. So then it became a thing where you just heard it and heard it and heard it. And what that didn't, that didn't stop until what, 15 years ago. Yeah. Really kind of, you know, after everything with Eddie Guerrero and then Benoit, I mean, very different situations, but, yeah. you know, the entire industry seemed to change. And also the crop of people coming up in the business were different, were different people, different generation of people yeah. than the one before it. Well, and, and also, to be honest, the changes in the business, it helped in, in a lot of ways in that the, the WWF testing for shit whether the regardless what you think about the program it slowed some shit down and or put stumbling blocks in guys way intermittently but as well the fact that there was hardly any place else to go and make any serious money in the wrestling business the guys on the independents couldn't spend as much money on drugs as they used to or the, the, the ones that did ended up on dark side of the ring and there became the the, the the one or two big companies that were, you know, more respectable and tried to have a more respectable image at the top, and then nobody could afford, you know, what was going on or what needed to go on to get a bad habit on the independence. <clears throat> that had to have a effect on it as well. And and yes, the generations changed, and but then, unfortunately. I think when everybody quit cocaine, the pain pills became a bigger thing. And you still can't convince me that it's probably not going to be a problem in the future with the way these guys are destroying themselves on a regular basis. But they, the guys, you asked the question, this generation, how do you think they're dealing with it? Probably not well, because they're not used to it. And I remember when it was a shocking thing, too. And, and they better hope for various, I mean, this is something that couldn't be prevented. Obviously, it's a congenital defect exacerbated by a mysterious virus that we still don't know all the effects of. 
But as far as the damage they're doing to their bodies and the dependencies they're going to be having later on, the the generation 40 years ago jacked themselves all up on monkey hormones to look like the road warriors so they could get a job with the biggest company and look the part, and their wrestling was the shits. But now, nobody looks the part, but they're killing their fucking bodies in a different fashion. They're not poisoning themselves with steroids. They're demolishing their goddamn skeletons in front of our very eyes. And what's going to happen? It's, it's always something different. But, you know, it just depends on whether or not people get a grip on it in time or not. Have I gone completely off the topic now? Well, not necessarily. I guess the point is just there was a time where wrestlers now are not used to this kind of feeling of losing one of their compatriots. You know, I have right here some of the roster of NXT from a little more than a decade ago. I'll go through some of the names that you would know that were on the roster at the same time. Rusev, when he was Alexander Rusev. Yeah. Big E, Baron Corbin, Bo Dallas, Brad Maddox, Bray Wyatt, Byron Saxton, uh, Colin Cassidy, that's Big Bill, Corey Graves, Danny Birch, Dean Ambrose, Eric Rowan, Jay Bronson, that's Braun Strowman, Jason Jordan, Judas Devlin, I think that's Luchasaurus, Cassius Ono, that's Chris Hero, Leo Kruger, that was, uh, was it Adam Rose? I forget what his name was exactly. Luke Harper, Mojo Rawley, Richie Steamboat, I mean, that's how long ago this is, Roman Reigns, Seth Rollins, Xavier Woods. So a lot of the guys on the main roster today in AEW and WWE came up with this guy. And again, before he was Bray Wyatt, if they were there then, they saw him create Bray Wyatt. He came up to the main roster as Husky Harris. Yeah, that's right. Husky Harris, which was, I guess, a, a some kind of nodding rib to his beefy physique that they like Shorty Gable or whatever. And he got out of that. Yeah, but I remember when he first appeared as that, I wanted to see more of that because no one had a physique like that. I mean, it wasn't over the top like late era Adrian Adonis, but it was kind of in tune with mid-period Adrian Adonis. And he could move. And I knew well, his yeah, but I always, I always hate when they give guys names like that. It's like instead right. of the Haystacks Calhoun, they would call him Fat Guy. But Here's Fat Guy. Name withstanding, and I agree with you. I wanted to see more of him. I didn't necessarily like the name. That is the kind of name that hangs over someone. Terry Taylor never escaped the Red Rooster. Yeah. To this day. He escaped Husky Harris. He created something completely different, a completely different world around it, with the music, with the entrance, with Harper and Rowan with him, and eventually Strowman. He successfully got away from something that was a typical WWE, let's bring someone up from developmental and ruin them gimmick or name, and he created something of his own. Well, again, you know, it's been a bad week. We didn't even mention, um, well, we did mention him on the previous program, but Abe Jacobs passed away, and I just heard about Rich Landrum, who yeah, I was, was one ask of the you. Mid-Atlantic announcers right before I got there. Nice guy. I was going to say, did you ever meet him or work with him? Uh, just at a couple of fan fests. He had already moved out, because when they moved TV to On the Road with the Nemo truck, he was still a personality and raleigh and couldn't travel with them as much but um 
you know, that's that's the thing is over the past week, all you and I have done is deal with our own either personal health issues or family health issues and then sit down here to talk about people that have just passed away unexpectedly and or, you know, shockingly and or, you know, everybody's broken up. It's not been the greatest week for wrestling as here we're coming up on the biggest, the greatest night in the history of our sport as we sit here and talk to you folks is tomorrow night, but it's been a long week. You have, you have come through. I cleared up my gout for me hobbling around, and then you never to be one to let anybody have the spotlight decided to cripple yourself. Not exactly how I would put it. But well, you you did it just purely for attention. I blew Who out my knee. Who else takes a bump in their own house unmolested? As I was saying, I blew out my knee earlier this week and had to deal with it and had to go to the doctor and had to have it looked at. And this is a continuing thing. And there are MRIs and potential surgeries, and we'll see what happens. But not been an easy week to get around. And <laughs> you know, I showed Suzanne because she was with me when it happened. It happened in the library. And I said, do you know how Jim Cornette blew out his knee? And she said, no. I said, here, come here. I have video of it. And I showed her the scaffold incident. She had questions. Who's the guy with the glasses? I said, that's the guy that was supposed to catch him. Why didn't he catch him? Because he had glasses. And he lost him in the lights. I said, that's how he blew out his knee. How did I blow out my knee? Walking across the library. <laughs> you fell off a scaffold. I took a step. After the fact, I was trying to justify, did I trip on something? Was there something in my way? No. I tripped on myself. And I went down, and it felt like when my ACL tore, when I was 20 years old, and there was some swelling, and immobility, and pain, and they don't think I tore my ACL. And laughing from your wife, who watched you fall, just yeah. like you were struck by the Invisible Man. You lost a match to the Invisible Man. I could get shot in front of her, and she would think it was the man flu. doesn't matter what happens, it's hysterical. Anything bad that happens to me in front of her, she thinks is the funniest thing on the planet. But yeah, and then we had to go to the doctor. She came with me so she could drive. And I don't have, like, a cane. I'm not a pimp. I don't have crutches. All I have is this walking stick. You have a walking stick. I have a walking stick. You don't have stick. a cane. You don't have a pair of crutches, but you have a walking stick. A while back, I was in Ace Hardware buying something, and they had like a, a bucket of walking sticks, and these were really yeah. nice. Wait a minute. They had a bucket of walking sticks at Ace Hardware? It was like a barrel, actually, if I'm being honest. It was like a big barrel, and it just had a variety of... <laughs> a barrel of sticks. A barrel of walking sticks, not just sticks. Walking sticks that were delicately, obviously, molded and cut out of wood to look somewhat fancy, yet somewhat... Like, you just picked them up from the forest. I don't know what the look is they're going for. <laughs> but I said, you know what? Rustic. I Rustic is what it is. I said I should probably buy one of these... Just in case, one day, someone will say, hey, Brian, you want to go on a hike? And I'll say, you know what? I got the walking stick. I'm ready. So I bought the walking stick. Thank God I had it. It's the only thing I had. But I looked like a moron trying to walk into this ho not hospital, the doctor's office. Suzanne's Wait next to me. the medical facility. Medical facility, You're Vince. walking into a medical. Do you have a long beard still? I do not. Because if you if you were walking into a medical facility in slovenly clothes with a limp 
a long beard, and with a walking stick, I th- they would have probably called the goddamn state police. Yeah, by the way, once I got in there, the nurse told me I'm using the walking stick all wrong. I should be using it You got it on the wrong side. Yeah, Yeah. that's what she said. I said, it doesn't feel right like that. That's not helping me. Opposite the injury. That's what she said. Literally. That's not even the sexual joke. That's literally what the nurse said. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, I had to walk in with this giant walking stick. So we were going to record the drive-through. I'll spill the whole beans. We didn't go into this because of the, you know, Terry's passing, but we were going to record the drive-through on Wednesday and you had called me the, the that morning and said, "Well, I'm going to the doctor." Uh, no, it was the night before. You said, "I'm going to the doctor in the morning, but uh, but well, let's record later." And then you called me from the doctor and said, "I'm going to another doctor. Let's let's record tomorrow." I said, "That's fine with me." But we we sincerely hope that you're you're now you're basically ready to join the feather bottoms. Two people with one arm, a guy with one leg, another guy with only fucking nine figures left. A temporary injury that will heal. I am young and in good shape. Well, youngish and in good shape. <laughs> and I'm still hopeful that it will heal if I have the right vitamins and nutrients and I have some cantaloupe here and uh, treat my body good. Cantaloupe will easily fix that ligament up in no time at all. They're not sure. Your it's the knee ligament. will look like a cantaloupe by the time they get finished with it. They believe it's meniscus. As of now, they don't think it's ACL. They don't think it's anything else. MRI coming up. The last time, to be honest, in 2000, and technology was not then what it is now. They also said it's just a meniscus. Don't worry. And they went in and they came out and said. We don't know what it is, but there's a loose body floating in your knee, <laughs> which they then determined was the stump of my ACL. And that began that road. See, back. I don't, don't blame the technology. Blame your, blame your medical staff, because back in 1986, a doctor took one look at my knee visually and said, ah, you're fucked. <laughs> and they can tell if they, if they got the eye for it, but we, we hope that you're, up and around and hopping up and down and turning cartwheels in no time at all. You'll you'll turn some cartwheels tomorrow as as we speak about this. The pro by the time we end this program, folks, you'll be all in with all in. But we're doing this in segments, and you're going to be turning cartwheels when Jericho does Judas on his entrance. See, that's the problem. I can't get. I better have the remote here. I won't be able to get up fast enough to hobble over to the TV to rip it out of the wall and oh, I got the to to stop that performance, I I bet you you'll nip right up. You'll do a Shawn Michaels nip up with that remote in your hand. Is this the official death of rock and roll, do you think? Chris Jericho and his mock rock band playing Wembley Stadium? For yes. the one song anyone knows only because it's been his entrance music in AEW? And he's got to come out and say, I, I'd like to play a song for you off my new LP. Don't give him an idea of using a British accent because he will absolutely come out there and do it. And it'll will be he Madonna? Yours. Will he Madonna the people? He'll adopt a British accent. Yeah. But it will, will it be like a Michael Caine type of Cockney role accent or will it be more of a Sebastian Cabot gentleman's gentleman accent? Well, see, here's the other thing. I mean, I know it's not the originally Wem- the originally. It's not the originally original, Wembley. It's not the original Wembley is what I meant to say in English. But I watch Live Aid. I have it on DVD. I love Live Aid. That was a big stage. Big audience. There's a ring in the middle. 
Where's the stage going to be for Jericho? And again, what happens if those fans decide they're going to pull a prank and chant Encore? Well, that's a very good question, which we will get the answer to, apparently, at All In, because I don't know. I think this could be this could be a big night for Chris. This could be like Freddie Mercury singing Radio Gaga. The whole, P- the whole stadium's going to be all over him. They're going to chant for encore after encore. They're not going to have room for the rest of the matches. Even when the next match gets in the ring, they're going to be screaming, Bring back Fozzie! Should Tony make it up to the wrestlers that he didn't book on this major show that he's calling the biggest show of all time by booking all the bands of the wrestlers that he didn't book? And maybe a- Jeff Hardy can't get on the show, but maybe his band could get a set. After Jericho's and... Well, yeah, because the Butcher and the Baker, they got a band, right? Well, the Butcher does. I don't think the Baker's in the band. The Baker can't be in the Butcher's band? I'm not saying he can't be. I don't think he plays... I mean, I haven't heard about him playing any instruments or singing or dancing or anything. I don't know that a lot of these other motherfuckers that have bands can play instruments or sing or dance. Didn't stop them. Well, that's, uh... That's punk rock. Right there. Right there. Well, they could, they could be rappers, too. They could just let out a string of profanity. That'll suffice. Oh, Swerve. Swerve Strickland. There you go. So all, all the recording artists, they need to, they should have just made this a concert. You know what a rib that would have been. If they'd have sold the 75,000 tickets before they'd announced a match and they said, well, ladies and gentlemen, we're just going to have every wrestler that we have on the roster that has a band and they're going to have a big concert. We're going to call it WrestleAid. And here's the main event with uh, the Young Bucks' dad and his band playing. There, there you go. He could be like he could be like the uh, the Paul Schaefer of the thing. It'd be the house band, the Bob Geldof of the thing. He comes out at the end. Oh, well, there, he... there you go. <laughs> yeah, there's there's the the old Buck. <sighs> anyway, I've not had the most relaxing week either. But to be honest with you, I've uh, I've. I've enjoyed it more because I'm paying more attention to what's important besides you. Because I've talked to you, I talk to you on a regular basis, but no. Harley Quinn was a frisky little puppy this morning, and she's feeling much better. Thank you for everybody that's asked. We've still got some issues we're addressing with her, but she's frisky and getting her appetite back. But I've been doting over my sick puppy over the past few days. And also, thank you to all the people who have sent well wishes. Stacy's back. She's still miserable with this, but she's uh, due for her. I don't know what kind of what the technical term is for it, but a series of she's having a series and having having the the big ones coming up. Shots in her back to try to control the pain in the sciatic nerve. She's got a little stenosis back there going on. Um, so I've been trying to help her and her mom has been in all week to visit with us. And I've mentioned on the program over the past couple of years when she's had some health challenges and been in the hospitals that she's recovered from all that, but her mobility was somewhat compromised. So we've been trying to spend some time together and I've been cooking dinner on a couple of different occasions and spending more family time. And I'm getting used to this. And I'm trying to think of other things that I can cut out of my life. <laughs> That's maybe where you come in, Brian. What? But I'm trying to think of other things that at this point, I'm serious. At, at I'm going to be 62 in 
what is it, five and seven, 22 days as I sit here. And I'm busier than I've ever been, and I know there's people digging ditches, and I'm not whining. I don't go anywhere anymore, but we still we watch or monitor 10 hours of wrestling a week, and we record 8 to 10 hours of audio a week for the Cult of Cornette members. And I've obviously been running Cornette's collectibles for some time, and that does take up... You know, it's not just signing autographs. I got to order a lot of boxes, too, things like that, keeping the shipping supplies in stock. The feather bottoms have taken a lot of responsibility off of me, or I believe I would have closed Cornette's Collectibles because I was slammed two years ago when I brought them and their various appendages on board. I ain't going to lie, the action figures take up a lot of my time signing those things to order. But I'm trying to figure out different things that I can streamline about my life so I can spend more time with the family. And I don't know how you do it. Well, you ignore your family for the most part. That is not true in any way. Well, in some ways it is. Now, when do I ignore my family? It, it's true in the way that I just said it, and now that it's floating around in the air, somebody will believe it. But uh, but you're you're just see you're twenty years younger than I am, and you're filled with energy, and I don't have the goddamn energy anymore. And even I was thinking about this this morning, even without the pandemic. Remember four years ago, five years ago, I was telling you I've got to stop traveling. I hate this shit. I don't want to drive. I don't want to stay in hotels. Blah blah blah. Too long away from home. I got shit to do. I'm behind. Even if the pandemic had not come along. I would not be doing live events of of any description by this point in time. Because, yeah. So, you may lose me, Brian. I may, be, I may be folding this whole thing up. Can you give me a second? I'm trying to get Heyman on the phone. Hey! Wait, uh, hey, wait, Paul, this just, is Brian last. Uh, you know, call me back. What are you doing on Tuesday? God damn it. All right, you won't lose me. Well, I am. What does Hyam have to do with this? What do you mean I won't lose you? You made me start thinking of how wonderful the other side could be. Eh. All right, well, hey. I won't back up on doing the shows, but I'm, I'm, I'll tell you one thing. Go ahead. What were you going to say? No, I had some breaking news, but I'll let you keep going. Well, I was just going to say, you're not going to lose me from the program. But I'm going to be cutting back on some of my other business activities. You may not just see me willy-nilly on every every television program in America, like for the past few years. And no more OnlyFans either. And the OnlyFans is going away. Cause and some of those people were very rude to begin with. That's a scar from an injury that I had a long time ago. <laughs> um, but anyway, I, I do want to. I'll give the people a little. Uh, a little preview, a little headline here as we talk about my professional activities and what might come to an end. After 2024 and the Midnight Express 40th anniversary year is over with, uh, Jim Cornette's going to be pretty much out of the action figure business because I've, they have taken up a ton of my time signing everything to order and blah, blah, blah. And I feel, why not go out on the big one and, and and I will give the bulletin that there's one more variant. I Notice I didn't say deviant. I said variant. We already knew. 
Jim Cornette. Well, you know the difference between variance and deviance. Oh, I th- we already and knew little lambsy divey. <laughs> um, yeah, well, I had your number as soon as you walked through the door, Sugarloaf. Uh, don't call us, child. We'll call you. But anyway, as I was saying, one more variant Jim Cornette action figure in a that will be a little a little different, something special, will be released in 2024. And we've got the Midnight Express 40th anniversary action figures, which is the the crowning achievement. We can't do anything greater than this, folks. And again, with the stuff that requires a year and two years pre-planning and manufacture and delivery, I'm getting too old for this. So we're going to be winding down the action figure offerings uh, from jimcornette.com at the end of 2024 of any description, myself, Midnight, or otherwise. Yo, Mattel, call me. And I'm going to be focusing on more of the stuff that I want to do with classic wrestling, including my photo art and negative archive and some of the writing that I've already done that I'd like to publish and some that I have not done yet that I'd like to do and things like that. We're going to try to... Some call the podcast your negative archive. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we're going to turn a negative into a positive, as Vince used to say, and and, uh, I see more books in my future. I got to get more stuff down on the printed page. That's right. But, you know, you got you to gotta take time to smell the roses and sit out under the dogwood and rub the puppy's belly. And that's, I've, I've, and here's, but now, again, no good deed goes unpunished. I've said this many times. And, and Mama Cornette used to say that as well many, many times. So yesterday, I take the day off. Because nobody had to go to the doctor. I'd take Stace over for more of the shots on Wednesday. Harley had to go to the vet on Thursday. Nobody had to go to the doctor on Friday. And I got I had to get some things done earlier in the day. I said, I'm going to make the big dinner for the family tonight. And I get the big USDA prime New York strip steaks at the store. I mean, these, these cattle, they were serenaded on the way to the slaughterhouse. They were massaged and and just treated like like kings or queens or whatever sex the cow is. I guess that's, you know, I guess he, she'd have to be treated like a queen, old bossy. And I got the scallops. And I made my super-duper broiled New York strip steaks with panko deep-fried scallops and shrimp cocktail and baked potatoes. And we had a nice dinner, Stace and her mom and myself and Harley Quinn's got her appetite back and she had her her uh, puppy food down there with us. And then I, I said, it's Friday night. They're going to go sit and enjoy visiting. I might as well get caught up with SmackDown tonight. It's It's after eight, but the DVR is going. And what I'll do is I'll just clear the table and get all the dishes cleaned up and then I'll watch SmackDown and get that out of the way, right? While Stace has somebody to visit with. And so I cleaned, I put everything in the kitchen. I said, I'll go turn the TV on. I'll come down, stick this stuff in the dishwasher. I'll go right back. to. <laughs> As I walked in and turned the God, I picked up the remote of the television and pressed the button to turn the TV on. The power in the entire house went out. At the exact same time. 
I scared the shit out of myself. It was raining. We were having a thunderstorm in terms of there was thunder going on and you could see some lightning and it was raining. But Brian, I've told the people over the past six months, eight months or whatever, we've had these horrendous windstorms, severe thunderstorm warnings, people on television saying, take cover, tornadoes within a few miles of the house. Only one time for like, what, an hour or two the other, other week have we had a power outage and that was in the middle of the day with no bad weather. And now it's just raining and it's thundering, but there's no high wind. There's no severe warning that's been predicted. And boom, power goes out. What the fuck? So not only did the TV not come on when I pressed the button, but also <laughs> SmackDown last night was emanating from the Yum Center in downtown Louisville. And it literally... 17 miles as the crow flies from my house. It's on live television and I can't fucking watch it. Cause I'm sitting here in the dark. I'm like Newman. And so the, uh, we will have a SmackDown review here on the program by the time that you folks get finished with it, because I'm, I'm going to a backup plan, but that foiled my opportunity to see my hometown SmackDown. And so we sat and visited by candlelight for a couple hours, and I went to bed, and the power did not come back on past till 6 o'clock this morning. There was like 30,000 people without power in the Louisville area from this flimsy little storm we had. How's everything in your freezer? It's frozen. Okay. Well, I didn't say we didn't have any power now. But it melted. Potentially. The power, the power was off for nine hours, let's say. Right. And we didn't open the freezer. And the stuff was completely frozen. How long does it take when you put something in the refrigerator to defrost it? I don't I don't time these things out. Well, see, that's where you make your first mistake. You should time these things. And you know. Then you can pre-plan your dinners that you're cooking for your family that you claim that you don't ignore. But no, it's not going to defrost in nine hours in a closed freezer, especially one inside the house. Can't work that insurance scam this quick. Anyway. All right, we were up and you brought us right back down. <laughs> we brought us right back down. Well, let's go back up. Uh, I want to thank you, send a special thank you to Jason Lehman of the Cult of Cornette, who commissioned from, I don't know whether it's the Franklin Mint or the National Collectors Society or, you know, who's a particular, it might have been the Denver Mint, I don't know, but he got Cult of Cornet Fan Fest Watcher medallions for myself, yourself, the Sergeant at Arms Nick Barrett, and whoever Nick uh, deems suitable of commissioning. These are special medallions given out where they've got a, a white uh, ribbon. They've got my face on one side. Thank you. Fuck them. by on the other side of the giant. It looks like something Al Sharpton would have worn back in the day. It's gorgeous. And I want to thank Jason Lehman for commissioning those from whatever black market mint operation that he got them made at. 
That's you right. haven't got yours in the mail yet. I sent that to you. No, I, I look forward to seeing it. And if anyone else wants to see it, it'll be on eBay in about 20 minutes. Hey, don't beat Get me. Get a good was... look. Look at all the photos, all was... the different sides. All sales are final. <laughs> all sales are final. No refunds. You know, they will not take, uh, they will not give you a refund on underwear. Did you know that if you if you buy underwear and try to return it, if it's open, they won't refund it? It makes sense. I've never experienced this problem. Have you? Oh, what? Well, yes. You've tried to return underwear? Well, yes, because when you get it, it's not as roomy as the description would indicate. You're having the, the boys pinched up. And you don't want to just lose that money entirely. Are you buying like the cheap brands? No, this was silk. Silk? And it was too tight? It was the seam in the middle came up, came up my crack. You had tight silk, tight underwear. silk underwear. See, you can't not, a, but they caught me. I'd been farting through it before I tried to return it. So they said, no, that won't work. You know, this is such a ridiculous image, but I always remember it. Missy Hyatt did an interview years ago, or maybe it was in her book where she said she heard that Gino Hernandez wore a different pair of silk underwear every night and that she's the dream about being in his silk underwear drawer and he would open it up and she would be there people could picture gino hernandez wearing this stuff yeah. people can't picture you walking around with, and then try to return it that's even worse well it, it it wasn't pleasing to my sensibilities i don't know do you think all clothes should be returnable well i think you ought to be able to return shit i think you ought to be able to donate shit too remember when i tried to donate a mattress to goodwill and they wouldn't take it <laughs> i do remember and that. i was like motherfucker where else am i gonna put this fucking thing anyway speaking of where you can put your things folks <laughs> that's what she said it, no no that's not exactly what she said she said something else she said you can put your thing here nevertheless where you can put your your money where your mouth is. It's this Saturday. It's coming up. It's Saturday, September 2nd of Labor Day weekend here in the United States. Or if you work around the world, every day is Labor Day. But at noon Eastern on Saturday, September 2nd, the long-awaited pre-orders begin for the Midnight Express 40th Anniversary 4-Pack Action Figure Collection. And boy, howdy, what you get in this group, it's 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 unbelievable. Not only the first ever four-pack of action figures of all four members of the Midnight Express, Bobby Eaton, Dennis Condry, Stan Lane, and myself. My, my color scheme on my figure is different than anything that has been released to me to this point. That's the, the, that's the first thing. First time ever for all four of us. It's in a del, uh, deluxe collector's box, heavily illustrated with photos of us at various moments in our glorious careers, so you can put it up on your shelf and you can display it proudly. It also comes with a 28-page full-color book on heavy, heavy, glossy paper, heavily illustrated with photos and milestones of our careers, the big gates and crowds, the, the triumphs and the tragedies, the big matches, the whole nine yards, plus... An autographed 8x10 of all four of us, autographed by me, Dennis, and Stan, customized to your specifications by myself. There are about 100 packages with autographed pictures from all four of us, from stuff that Bobby had pre-signed. And you get the certificate of authenticity, indicating that all signatures are genuine and that this set is one 
of 2000 that have been made and will never be replicated. I've already mentioned I'm too old for this shit. So get them while you can, because this is the 40th and final anniversary. And as I said, pre-orders begin. You can get anything you want uh, at jimcornette.com, all of my merchandise. But if you pre-order the midnight set, we're taking pre-orders for that set only. You can't combine it with other items because we're going to hold your money for 30 days while we sign pictures, pack boxes, and then begin shipping the midnight figures the first week of October along with the general on sale for the Christmas season. But we don't know if they're going to last that long. These are untested waters, folks. So if you want to get one, and as I've mentioned, there's a hundred sets with autographed pictures from all four of us. There are nine sets with Midnight Express scrapbooks autographed by all four of us. And then there's about 1,800 and <clears throat> whatever that leaves over of the rest of them. And once these 2,000 are sold, they're gone. And uh, as we mentioned before, the, the book will not be sold separately. You can only get it in this collection. And so I appreciate the, the feedback that everybody's gotten so far. Uh, Bobby's kids are excited about it. As I mentioned, all of the profits will be split equally between myself, the surviving members of the Midnight, and Bobby's kids and grandkids. It's not, uh, we've eliminated the middleman. And uh, this is the way to show all of these guys and, and their families. If you were a fan of theirs or impressed by their work, this is the way to show them and get something of value for your money at the same time. But we're starting at this coming Saturday, September 2nd. Jump on jimcornett.com, and you can see pictures and a description of everything. As I've said right now, uh, go to jimcornett.com, click on the banner on the front page. You will see everything and more that I've indicated just now. Oh, me. And, and with, I guess I'm going to have to get in the medallion business. These things are cool. When you see yours, Brian, you'll probably want to order about another 40 or 50. Oh, sounds interesting. And of course, if you again, if you want to see it, it'll be on eBay. Just look for a Cornet no. Medallion official. Yeah. All right. I said this to you before we started recording today. Do you realize that it has only been four and a half days since Raw was on television this past Monday night? It seems like three weeks with all of the shit that's been going on. And uh, well, plus, you're are you on drugs currently right now? No ailment from your no. physical, uh, imperfection or infirmity. No, and I'd like to thank all the real bad drug addicts for that. Because of you guys, now when someone like me gets hurt, they won't give me painkillers. Go take Advil. Advil. What do I got? My period. Give me something good. <laughs> That's my doll. For heaven's sake, you didn't realize that. It's any kind of ibuprofen. I live with a bunch of women, trust me. Oh, for hell. Y'all have you know that I took a pre-med class one time. I thought you were about to say you took a Midol. No, no, I took a pre-med class. Well, I wanted to know about the, you know, the first aid and how to save people's lives and do things and such, but they made me quit over the incident. I haven't been able, as part of the settlement, I'm not able to the incident. render any medical assistance to anybody, even in an emergency anymore. Well, now, 
okay, I took the class that said that if a severe blood loss, you know, apply a tourniquet, right? Sir, the one time this oh, fucking no. guy he fell down, he got his head busted open. So I applied the tourniquet around his neck. Stephen got me out of it, but <laughs> I'm not allowed don't to. Don't bring him into this story you've concocted. Don't do that to that man. <laughs> what? He's a fine defense attorney. But even I was told that was the way to handle blood loss. Well, maybe you get some painkillers for that, but no painkillers for uh, blowing out your knee. No pills for you. No pills for me. See, you should have gone in with a neck brace, too, and said, well, look at here what's happened to me. They did the x-ray. They see what's going on just from the x-ray alone. And they're like, you know, just uh, ice and Advil. Like, what What if it's throbbing? Uh, ice and Advil. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck. It's throbbing. That's what she said. All right. So I mentioned Raw. Let's come back in that direction. We got to do this sometime or another. Raw was four and a half days ago. And with the arrival of my mother-in-law, and Harley's veterinarian appointments, and Stacy's back doctor appointments, and your orthopedic appointments, and my loss of electricity, and all the other things we have going on over the past four days, we have not acknowledged that it happened or talked about it in any way. And I know a lot of people haven't been clamoring for it, but I don't want to feel like that we're just maligning one of the promotions instead of both of them equally there was one interesting little piece of business or maybe two on the program last week and otherwise it was it was what it normally is but would you would you like to briefly uh, acknowledge some of the things that happened on raw on august 21st i am just so, just so people aren't behind yeah and you you have notes and i don't so i don't remember too yeah. much but i'm sure it'll come back to me as you go through it well, let me just smarten you up with the rest of the folks, because I realized in this day and age, especially three hours, watching Raw is like one of those, the shows that you want to watch on PBS until you find out it's a pledge drive, and then what it, Elvis comeback special, whatever, but when you get there, the stuff that you want to see, to get to that, you have to listen to a bunch of people you don't care about, talk to you endlessly about shit you don't want to know. Is that kind of apropos? You could pay $200 and become a gold tier member and get this DVD that you can get for $12 on Amazon. Exactly. Or we would let you watch this program that you wanted to see, but we've got to tell you for two and a half hours how great we are for bringing it to you. So um, what gets me is like with the oldies ones, they show these oldies shows. And then they cut them up nonstop to go to the studio so they could pitch you on the pledge drive. But they have the producer of the oldies show, the guy who actually does make money on this stuff. And he's like, yeah, donate. It's a great thing because they're giving him money. <laughs> but whatever. All righty. On Raw, there's problems in the Judgment Day, Brian. You remember this. Damian Priest, Finn Balor, they're openly admitting it now. They've had some disagreements. There's, there's friction. And uh, apparently now J.D. McDonough has uh, come along and attached himself to Finn Balor as Finn's best friend. It's kind of a single white male type of thing where he looks a little bit like the great value version of 
Finn Balor to begin with does J.D. McDonough. And he's obviously, he's he's trying to drive a wedge, wouldn't you say, between Finn and the rest of the Judgment Day for his own potentially nefarious purposes. It sounds better when I explain it than it does when you actually watch it happen, doesn't it? Yeah, he was just kind of there. My big thought was something Cody kind of, I think it was Cody, touched on in his promo. He's got a big head on his body. Got a, a, a preternaturally large noggin. It's like a little person, but bigger. <laughs> He's the biggest little person in the whole USA. He's the, t- but- <laughs> the tallest midget in wrestling. <laughs> no, no, <I> just- <laughs> well, no, I've actually, I remember I told the story. Bobby Fulton fucking asked for two midgets. The midget came and brought a fucking old man with him. It was kind of short, but he was obviously not a midget. And he said, where's my other midget? I got to have a midget match. And the midget said, well, I brought him. Well, he's not a midget. Well, he's who I got. So Bobby <laughs> introduced him as the world's largest midget wrestler. <laughs> but anyway, J.D. McDonough, here's the problem I have with it. He looks like a nerd that would never be acknowledged by the cool group, the Judgment Day. There's Rhea Ripley. There's Dominic. There's Damian Priest. Finn's kind of on the borderline of can I see him hanging out with these people? And then you got, you know, the guy with the fucking drive-in movie screen on his forehead over here. But they've acknowledged the issues, and then suddenly Sammy comes out. And he's big over there in Quebec. And the fans ood forever. I Now see... There's so many goddamn tunes. There's Cody's whoa, and there's Seth Rollins's oh, whoa, and there's Sammy either their ole, 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 or the other thing, which is ooh, and I, I can't do the fucking tunes. But the fans did that forever and wouldn't let him talk, and he milked it. And then after, what, three, four minutes at least, and he genuinely loves this outpouring of affection from the the French Canukians up there. And then he says in French, welcome to Monday Night Raw and Judgment Day music hits. And they come out and surround the ring. But Sammy says, I didn't come here alone. And of course, here comes Owens. And again, they go crazy for him because he's he's a French and he's a Canadian. He's a French, a Canadian. And the people go bananas. And Owens comes to the ring and beats up everybody. And the heels powder out to the aisleway and hit their marks perfectly where they do every week where then the baby faces can challenge them. Well, why don't we just have a match tonight against any two of you? And then more French. So we, amazingly, the first promo segment erupted into violence that set up the main event for the night. That's a revolutionary concept that has never been tried on Raw. Did did this peak or refresh or jog your memory? And, oh, I, I didn't mean to say jog, Brian. I know you're afflicted over there. Did this re- refresh your memory in any way? Yeah, because I'm, you know, I got burned out on Owens and Zane, and that hasn't gone away. And Rhea, I like Rhea's hairdo. That looks nice. She's done something different. <laughs> but no, I mean, like I said, I am burned out on Owens and Zane. 
I can respect the fact that for a, especially that local audience, it's a big deal. The atmosphere was great because they're massively yeah. over there. But, and, and that is a wrestling historical tradition in Quebec, the province of Quebec, going back to the 30s and 40s with, you know, Jacques Rougeau Sr. And, and goddamn, every French-Canadian hero they've had is massively over. So that makes a good atmosphere. I just said to myself, I hope we don't get another six-man with all these people. It wasn't. It was only a four-man. And we're going to find out later on in the program which two of the Judgment Day are going to be men enough to step up to this situation. Because the last thing we would want is a six-man tag in the main event. We've got a four-man tag. Uh, then we had New Day wrestled Drew McIntyre and Matt Riddle. And I wrote, who are the faces? Who are the heels? Neither one. The Viking Raiders came in and beat everybody up, and then Drew beat the Vikings up by himself. And happened there. I remember fast-forwarding. Then J.D. and Finn were in the back, and I, I gotta be honest, he, J.D.'s accent is very thick, and he has a little... Just an element of Alvin the Chipmunk in the delivery. And he, Alvin the Chipmunk? It's a little squeaky. Um, <laughs> if they're going to do some kind of deal where he's kind of like a psychologically warped, adoring fan of Finn's, then that's kind of what it looks like. So they better be doing that because he looks like a psychologically warped a potential stalking, adoring fan of Finn Balor's. And as they're talking, Rhea and Dominic come in and they call Finn away and they won't let JD come because it's Judgment Day business. But again, I'm, I'm thinking, I'm seeing a single white male thing here or elsewise, it, Finn's getting a short end of this stick because this guy didn't look like he whipped cream with an outboard motor. Did that jog your memory? Yeah, I mean, I saw it. There's nothing else I could add to that. There's plenty more they could add to it, but they didn't. So then Gunther, Gunther and Gable, I'm enjoying the program, even with the peripheral effluvia of the Otis and Model Girl and, and the whole nine yards. Because again, if they... And if they only hadn't done all these things they've done with poor Gable, he's a talented kid. But to wait for the Intercontinental title match with Gunther and Gable, we were 50 minutes into the program, and they had a wrestling match. And again, Gunther takes control. But Gable is good at staying alive and working from underneath. And he would start reversing and riding, and, you know, he's got the wrestling background, but then Gunther might cut him off with a fucking chop. But Gunther, Gable was having <clears throat> really nice flurries in this. And, I mean, I've, I wrote some play-by-play, -play, but it was just, it was a nice match. It made sense. They sold what they needed to sell. Gunther is a physically dominant, but Gable is a feisty underdog, and they're both, you know, able to do things in their own way. Great shit. Finally, at at one point, uh, Gable hit the fucking German, which was insane. Um, they got the "This is awesome" chance. Chad went for the moonsault. Gunther pushed him off onto the barricade. Nice bump. Beat him up on the floor, but then 
Gunther misses a chop and hits the post. Gable shoves him face first into the post and hits him with a German and dumps him over the railing. Rolls back into the ring and Gunther is counted out. He can't get back in in time. Gable wins, but it's by count out when he put too much space in between Gunther and the ring. Perfect finish. Everybody gets what they need. I love this shit. Gunther is my favorite wrestler in the world right now. Everything he does is good. His reaction to the finish was great, too. Yes, because he sells what's going on around him, and he pitched a fucking fit because if... If the heel gets beaten, especially by an underdog or by a smaller guy or, you know, or by his nemesis or whoever, and he's not pissed off and upset, why should the fans be happy about it? And again, you know, Gunther, he's got that fucking, you know, he's got a nerdish face on that great Gene Koneski physique. To where he looks like if, if you know, the first Darren from Bewitched was a goddamn, you know, Nazi concentration camp fucking general or whatever. What do you do with Gable now? Well, see, that's now. Is this enough to break him away from it? Do they keep using some of the silly stuff? Or are they doing this to get him away from that? What do you think? I'm, well, I'm afraid they're not because that would be admitting that they've sabotaged the kid with all the silly stuff. And I'm sure the writers also will not be able to resist him going shush or thank you or whatever to pop the people now that the people like him. But maybe then why wouldn't Gunther come out now and say, you know what? I'll beat you. I'll not only beat you, I'll beat you twice. I'll beat you fucking twice. And then in some fashion or form could potentially Chad slip up and fucking, uh, he gets beat once, but he manages to, to last the time to where Gunther doesn't win again because, uh, he didn't beat him twice in the appointed time or whatever. There's ways that you can, Get the the underdog over when you're admitting he's an underdog and he's going in at a disadvantage or the other guy deserves it or whatever. Where even if if Gunther says, I'm going to beat him twice in 15 minutes, well, he beats him at 12 minutes and they can't beat him again for three minutes because the people are cheering the last 45 seconds when Gable's running away from him. And Gunther's blowing up trying to catch him. And then you raise Gable's hand and makes him even madder. Well, I beat him, but you didn't beat him twice like you said you were going to beat him. Whatever the fuck. You can keep juicing that up if you want to. It's it's certainly better than what Gable was doing with all the other shit that he was involved in. Hey, beyond that, and you've always been a fan of Gunther, is this Gunther's best feud so far as Intercontinental Champion? Uh, possibly. Because, you know, he's been dominant and nobody's really tested him and that's a good thing. I mean, nobody's tested him as far as it hasn't taken him five of his power bombs to beat anybody. But the the people that he's been working with have not necessarily either been the most beloved individuals in the company or like this, like an L.A. Knight or a fucking Gable where the people have decided we like this fucking guy. We're going to 
we're going to elevate him in, in terms of reaction past the level that he's been pushed at. And if they really like Gable, then it's going to put more heat on fucking Gunther when he fucks him around in various ways. But they're going to cheer for Gable to come back and get a little something. And Gunther is smart enough when he gives people a little something, that's what he gives them. He gives them a little something so he doesn't kill them or make them look like putzes, but he doesn't fly around the fucking room for everybody because he shouldn't. And again, despite the gimmick, despite comedy segments or catchphrases, you watch this match, you watch the way they were sweating. This was like yeah. watching a great wrestling match. That's what this was. In the ring, there was none of that comedy. So we've got some hope there. But then we're going to come back to reality. So I, did, I know you remember this because Cody starts. Oh, and by the way, Priest and Finn are arguing over, you know, the team or who's going to team with what. Dominic's a weasel. And Rhea basically says, you guys figure this shit out. I'm going over here. So then Cody was in the back doing one of those backstage promos. And that's where he said that J.D. had the big head and the tiny body. He looks like a Funko Pop. And when you think about it, you know. I felt validated because I had the same thought earlier. Yeah. In the show. I didn't use Funko Pop as my example, but same thought. And he said it. But then he took the microphone and uh, uh, Byron Saxton and they get the shot with the moving camera where he leads it into the arena and gets a big pop when he comes out, which was a nice idea. They haven't done that. That was actually something they don't do to death or often is have the guy start the interview. So wait a minute and go right out in front of the people. Of course, they were watching on the screen in the arena. So when they come through the deal, oh, shit, they're out here. We don't have to watch this on TV anymore. Even though we bought a ticket to see a live show. So anyway, he asked the people in Quebec what they wanted to talk about in, in, in French, I assume. Um, parlez-vous Francais on your fucking ass is something, he said something like that. I don't know. It's interesting. Cody asks, what do you want to talk about? LA Knight says, let me talk to you. You know, it seems like they'd get together sooner or later. Sit down, have some coffee, solve the world's problems. So anyway, he welcomed the new announcing team and he did a promo where he basically took Cody and Sammy's side against the Judgment Day, which would figure into... Owens and Sammy. Or, what did I say? Cody and Sammy. I'm sorry. Too many names, pal. Uh, he, Cody took Owens and Sammy's side against the Judgment Day, which would come into play later on, unbeknownst to us, little did we suspect at this point. And then Rhea Ripley wrestled Candy LaRue which is like watching the Bride of Frankenstein assault and potentially penetrate Tinkerbell. Ouch. You guys see the potential is there. We, we added the qualifier. There's no potential there, but go ahead. <laughs> well, we had no potential is in that sentence. It, we, we, didn't, we didn't just completely penetrate her. We just said potentially. Anyway, so at the end of this thing, Raquel... God damn, what's her, what'd they change her last name to and from? Raquel Gonzalez Rodriguez. I can't remember. She's Gonzalez oh. now. Or no, Rodriguez. Now she's Rodriguez. She's, she's Rodriguez now as she was Gonzalez before. She has consolidated Gonzalez into Rodriguez. 
She hobbled down to the ring on a crutch, but then threw it at Rhea Ripley and beat Rhea about the head and face and threw her around to a kind of a so-so reaction because, have you noticed, they like Rhea. And I don't think they wanted to see... the. I think they want to see Rhea beat someone up. I don't think they wanted to see the alleged babyface beat Rhea up as much as they normally would. Rhea's the most over female in the entire company. And yeah. I don't think there's any competition. And she's over in the ring, and she's over on the mic, and she's over as a ringside personality. They don't want to see her like that. Again, you don't want to necessarily just make her a babyface because that defeats the purpose. But you also don't want to present that person in a way the fans don't want to see. Raquel can't be the babyface against Rhea. Well, they're, they're going to try. Um, and then she did a so-so promo with some Spanish uh, involved, challenging her, her being Rhea, at payback, which I am led to believe is hell, daddy. When is payback now? We, we're we're going to be all in. We're going to be all out. Then we're going to be paid back? Are we going to be fucking broke and spent by the time the thing's over with? I don't know when it is. Does your fucking broken leg prevent you from Googling shit now today? Yeah. Yeah. I always knew you were typing with your toes. I could tell. Why did Miz bring out Tazawa and have an argument with him? where they went back and forth to say, yeah, really, yeah, really, yeah, really. I fast-forwarded once they got to that point and, and waited until L.A. Knight came out. But basically, they had Miz versus Tozawa as a match on this program so they could have L.A. Knight on color. Tozawa is five foot two and 140 pounds. And I even to hear L.A. Knight talk intermittently, I was not gonna, not gonna watch this. So I skipped ahead to the finish. Did I miss anything, or do you remember? Uh, I thought it was, you know, it's all right for furthering the L.A. Knight Miz stuff. I enjoy Miz. I've enjoyed Miz for a while now, and the stuff with L.A. Knight and him has been good. But it's just furthering that. But why is Tazawa? He on brought television? out he brought out someone that he thought he would kick the crap out of. Well, you got that right. I mean, he's that was the thing. I'm going to bring out someone. I need a, a world class opponent. I'm going to bring out Tazawa. Yeah, he's the goddamn twin brother of Little Tokyo. He's not that small. <laughs> what did you make him? Five foot two, one forty. Did you ever know Little Tokyo? I, I did not Little know Tokyo. Little Tokyo. No. Well, he's about the same fucking size. Just how little was he? He was very little. He was microscopic. He was he was so little Godzilla stepped over him. Anyway, what? What, what, what? what does that even you mean? Asked how little, oh, little I know, Tokyo what? was. I said he's so little Godzilla stepped over him. Why would Godzilla step over him? If he's so little that Godzilla wouldn't even see him, wouldn't he just be walking indiscriminately? No, he stepped over him because he wasn't big enough to step on. But how could Godzilla even see him if he's this microscopic? Well, he's Godzilla. Godzilla got fucking glasses he got he got bifocals he's i haven't, he's seen, I haven't now. seen the new movies i haven't seen the do new you movies. know godzilla will be 70 next year that's right he's, he's walking with a walking stick now and a limp speaking of limp shit <laughs> becky lynch trish stratus and zoe were in the ring 
And they all talked for a while, and then Becky grabbed Trisha's hat and wore it on her own head. That is what I got out of that segment. You know, I'm weirdly entertained by all of it. I don't know if the rest of the WWE fans are, because it seems like they try to hijack these Trish segments. They were chanting various things at her in French. She called them frogs. They weren't on SummerSlam. I don't know what now, to think is, of Now, is that this. according to Hoyle up there uh, across the northern border? Can you Is frog, is that a slur? Is that a, a name you can say? Like, well, you idiot or you moron. Where anybody's entitled to be one of those, or is it specific to a race or some type of, you know, naughty language that should not be uttered? Because weren't they chanting French obscenities at her that she wasn't exactly sure what they were? And I certainly am not, because I don't uh, sprechen Sie Deutsch or the French or whatever. The, I guess it is sprechen Sie Fran Francois? Is it Francois, or is he a, a, a massage therapist? I mean, there was a massage therapist named Francois. I don't know where you've gone. I was looking No, up. that's the that's thing. Do you speak Francois or Francois? I don't know. Does anybody? Is that the way you say it? Parlez-vous Francais. That's what it is. Okay. Well, I, God damn, it's been a long time since I was up there in Quebec. I've... I've this, the reading the road signs hurt my head. Referring to another person as a frog isn't a particularly nice thing to do. However, sometimes British people will call French people frogs. The exact reason for this can be explained. Hold on, there's a few things. Theory one, frog's legs. Many British people believe this theory to be the case. It's much more recent compared to some of the other theories. Here is the theory. Frogs' legs are a delicacy in France. When you think about France and its food, you often think about the frogs' legs and the snails that they eat. No! This snails, may, too! This may have led them to being known as frogs to the British people. Theory two, Low Countries Marshland. What? <laughs> we'll be, what? Uh, uh, while not a low country itself, French people may have picked up the name frogs due to the influence of the low countries and their marshy lands. They would often attract hordes of frogs. Hordes of frogs! With their bountiful marshes, which may have led people to name them as such. So these are all just theories. I didn't, I didn't know that, that frogs had bountiful marshes. They've attracted this hordes, a horde of frogs with their bountiful marshes to come and bring the bountiful marshes to France. Well, this one seems a little more... Uh, theory four here is the counter-revolutionaries. Between 1789 and 1799, the counter-revolutionaries adopted the frog as their mascot or badge. They would have it on flags and let ah. it represent them. This is because the frog was rare compared to other animals used by revolutionaries. Like pigs, cats, and See, dogs. See, now that makes sense. I don't know about the frog legs. If they had it on their flags and they were revolutionaries and counter-revolutionaries and things like that. And like the, the snake on the don't tread on me flag, all these weird flags they had back in those days. Well, the, the, the French people probably had frogs to signify, hey, if you fuck with us, we're going to hop all over you. Uh, finally, the question is asked, is it an insult to call the French frogs? It is insulting to call the French frogs. It is a derogatory term that is used to refer to them as something other than people. 
Well, is it thought of as something that uh, shouldn't be on television up there, I wonder? I don't know. Like, the, is, it, is it the F word in Canada? Wouldn't that be something they get in trouble because of Trish Stratus? If Trish Stratus calling people frogs was the last straw that got the WWE kicked off television in Canada after the Attitude Era and everything else, would that not be hilarious? Well, I guess the point is, do you think this stuff is getting over with the audience? No. <laughs> I said it a while ago, she was the man, and then she came back, and she became big-time Bex, and she was wearing these flamboyant Lady Gaga-like outfits. I think she's lost a step since she went back to being the man. It feels like Becky Lynch is just standing in place. Well, oh, see, I get what you did there also. Standing in place instead of running in place because of your infirmity. That had nothing to do with it. Speaking hey, of, hey, in, well, go ahead. Speaking of infirmary, we have some breaking news. Uh oh, that I was going to get to earlier, but didn't get a chance. Jim, more uh, sad news for the wrestling business. At the age of ninety-nine, Bob Barker has passed away. Oh, okay, you're serious now, then? Yes. All right. I'm. I thought you were trying to do a bit here. What, he was ninety-nine years of Bob Barker, the host of Price Is Right, and. Lord knows how many other television game shows throughout history. But I did not realize he was 99 years old. 99! That's even older than 86. Bob Barker, obviously an animal lover. Did you ever see Truth or Consequences with Bob Barker? No. Is that before your time? No, which... I, I, I never saw that show with Rob, Bob Barker. No. Rob, Rob, Bar, Rob Barker? Um... Truth or consequence, the first time I ever saw Bob Barker, or even his brother Bob, <laughs> the late 60s, the black and white television, you know, truth <laughs> or consequences with Bob Barker. And basically the show was all about either telling the truth or paying the consequences. What were the consequences? Well, it depended. They came up with different stunts and things that you would have to perpetrate if you were not able to divine the truth in the, the statement that they, they, I don't, I was fucking seven. I don't remember the whole goddamn rules, but I remember Bob Barker, truth or consequences. And the price is right came later. I think from his work on the price is right. He has a, he may have a claim to being the greatest game show host of all time. Well, Gene Rayburn is spinning in his grave right now that you said a thing like that. Gene Rayburn's all right, but he's not the greatest of all. He's a little goofy. What about Richard Dawson? Richard Dawson in a drunk, perverted way, absolutely. But yes. him making out with every woman despite their age or anything else on every episode would probably be problematic today. But you, you can't honestly place Bob Barker ahead of the incomparable John Daly. What show did John Daly do? Oh, come on! John Daly, the incredible original host of What's My Line? Don't you remember when they had Bennett Cerf and Dorothy Kilgallen, Arlene Francis, that whole gang back in the 50s? Kitty Carlisle? Kitty Carlisle. I've seen episodes, yes. The, the, the really smart people, the urbane folks on television back in the 50s. The hoity-toity. The hoity-toity folks. Well, Bob Barker, WWE legend, has passed away. Can we get back to this toity? Please. Well, the next up on this toity, Piper and Chelsea against Caden and Katana. 
And Caden and Katana together are nine feet six inches tall. And we were two hours and 20 minutes into the program at this point. Um, and then we got the main event. Owens and Zane against Finn and Priest. And they jump-started it. And they went to the floor. And they got in a four-way. And then they rang the bell. And then Owens kicked some ass after Sammy kicked ass. And then after about two minutes, J.D. McDonough shows up and throws the case in to Finn, but Owens catches it and hits Finn and gets disqualified. And I'm like, what the fuck? We got 20 minutes left on the show, right? And then Priest levels Owens and screams at J.D. McDonough. But while he's doing that, Dominic jumps on Sammy and the fans start chanting Cody. If if it wasn't piped in and was really in the in the arena, it was due to the preconditioning that was very smart that they did in the promo earlier. But now they've they've got a situation created where anytime that the heels are abusing some of the baby faces, they the fans usually or used to chant for the top baby face to come out and help. And in this case, Cody Cody. And here he comes. And uh, with music, and he clears the ring with his, his whipping him with his belt and makes a challenge for a six man tag. There it is. <laughs> and so we got the six man tag, and they go to the break at that point, of course. And when they come back, it's already in progress. And it was a regular WWE TV match. Everybody can work. Nobody's going to do anything stupid. There wasn't going to be anything jaw-dropping particularly either, except that Rhea gave Owens a full body slam on the floor. That was nice. And they milked Cody's presence even in this match until the end. Did he get in and I missed it until the end of the thing? No. Well, they, they got some heat on Owens and... Cody got knocked off the apron accidentally, and then Owens tagged Sammy, who made a big comeback. But Rhea stopped him, and I, just as I was writing, where's Cody? He had to stay down for like a minute and a half off getting bumped off the apron. But when Sammy missed the splash, Cody jumps in, Sammy tags Cody. Big comeback, crossroads on Finn, crossroads on Dominic. Then he tags Sammy. And Sammy tags Owens, even though you cannot do that. You cannot tag multiple people into the ring at the same time. They've invented it here recently, but it worked in this environment. Sammy and Owens are fucking tagged in, and they hit the fucking kick and the stunner on Dominic, one, two, three. So everybody was positioned right. Cody saved the day, but then left the the glory of the actual victory to the two hometown heroes that combined their efforts to beat the, the, the guy Dominic that has the most heat, but at the same time, because of the style of his heelishness, he can get beat and still keep it very smart finish. But we, at least they tried to keep us from knowing exactly where they were going from the first of the program to the last. Well, that was raw. There you go. Boy, your leg is really hurting you, isn't it? It just sucks. I mean, it's the same thing as kind of happening week after week when there's big things that are peaking. It's, you know, you want to see what's going to happen. And Gunther and Gable was good. 
but the, the rest of the show just felt like it's a replaceable Raw show to me. And again, I'm sick it. of Owens and Zayn. I'm sick of six-man main events. We ended up getting that. So, you know, it's hard to have any enthusiasm watching it, let alone talking about it. And that's the thing is that we keep saying is that there's nothing to mockery worth, really, you know, on Raw. It just, it's boring. It's three hours. It takes forever. The entrances, the spots, the filler, the fucking I feel for those guys that have to stand in the ring for 10 minutes watching somebody else do something on the screen while they're in the ring like, you know, Pete with their dick in their hand. But that was raw. And after that, I don't know how anybody can stay awake. Do you, Brian, do you honestly know if you watch three hours of raw, how can you stay awake? I think it's hard to make it all the way through. I think midway through, you may look for a place to lay down for a bit. Well, see, no, see, I had to quit doing that. I had to quit doing that because I was missing raw completely because, you know, when I lay my weary head down here at Castle Cornet, I'm laying down on a Helix Sleep mattress. And I mean, even if the if the Federal Bureau of Investigation is about to indict you on RICO charges, you will still sleep the sleep of angels on a Helix Sleep mattress. No matter what's going on, the stress, the worries, the problems in your life, they instantly melt away. You will forget who you are. The next day when you wake up after a, a night's sleep on a Helix mattress, you will have to have to ask your wife, well, you won't actually say, who am I, darling? You'll say, who are you, you bitch, and what are you doing in my house? Because you won't know who she is. You've lost your memory. You've started No, friends. no, no. There are no, there are no worries no, anyone needs to no, have about no, losing no, their no, memory no. laying down on a fine Helix sleep mattress. I'm telling you, you just start fresh. It's like you're a brand newborn baby and you've just popped out. In terms of energy, in terms of enthusiasm, in terms of drive to get through the day. Yes. Drive to get through the day. You'll, if you drive to speak of drive to get through the day, you won't be able to figure out how to get to work. You're starting fresh after this night's sleep. You won't remember where to fucking go. You're going to remember everything. There are no memory loss issues attributed to having a good night's sleep. And once you get to work and you can't remember how it is that you do what you're supposed to do, you tell your boss if you recognize him, hey, fuck you, fuck face, because I just had the best night's sleep of my life and it was on a Helix sleep mattress. And folks, you can do the same thing. These Helix sleep mattresses, they're not, they're not reserved for the most successful in life, the millionaire, multimillionaire and billionaire businessmen. No, any drunken bum on the street. Any crackhead and wino can sleep on a Helix sleep mattress and be more what? comfortable. What? That's true. It, it, no matter what How? kind of human being you are. Well, no, any human being can sleep on a Helix sleep mattress. You may need a home. Can't just be anyone on the no, street. No, drag it, drag it down the street. Go from underpass to underpass or overpass to overpass, depending on whether you're under it or over it as to how you look at it. You can, because here's the thing, especially if you don't take it out of the box until you figure out where you're sleeping that night. Let's say you want to order a Helix Sleep mattress and you go to helixsleep.com. That's where you, H-E-L-I-X, folks, helixsleep.com. And you take the quiz that tells them what kind of mattresses you like, the soft or the firm or the, you sleep on your side or your back or you want to cool down or you, you want the special kids mattress where you can, Stick them in their own room and not have to worry about them. Whatever you want, 
you take that quiz, and then they send you the mattress. Now, let's say you're homeless. Let's say that you tell helixsleep.com because they're for everybody. Like I said, even if you're a crackhead, a bum, somebody that just walked away from a state home, you need a good night's sleep too, and these things are affordable. They're also for people with jobs, with families, people who well, bathe, people of all if, walks of what life. What difference does it make if you're not asking somebody else to sleep on your mattress? Do you have to take a bath? Maybe you don't mind yourself, but nevertheless, if you need to turn to crime, to to buy a mattress, these are one of the more easy mattresses to buy. No, stop! You don't have no, to no, no. It as many no, crimes. No, no, we do not encourage anyone to commit any crimes to We're buy one of these mattresses. Anyone? You I don't said, need to. They're fairly I priced. Lately, said if you have no alternative and you have to turn to crime in order to afford a mattress, then it, these are not going to set you back as many different crimes as as say some of the big name brands you have to go into a store for. They're very affordable here. And when they deliver it to you, let's say you don't have any place to sleep that night. Let's say that everybody that you know has kicked you out and you're going to go to the park. So what you do is when you order the mattress, you tell them, deliver it to the second maple tree next to the sidewalk at the entrance to the park. And then you will be able, one person can move this box with the mattress in it uh, to wherever you want to put it. Then you put it under the overpass or near the chimp cage at the zoo, wherever you're going to be bedding down for the night and you open this box and boom, it springs to life. And then you will get folks, the best sleep, the, the, the gold standard of a night's sleep that you've ever had in your life. Except if of course, some of the Metro police come around rousting people and start kneecapping you with a goddamn baton again, like they did last week when you were sleeping outside the Dunkin' Donuts. Then you're going to have to get up and you're going to have to drag that mattress down the street. So it is best, I will admit to you, Brian, it is best that people, when they sleep on the Helix mattresses, they have a home, or at least something short-term, possibly a lean-to, a carport. But nevertheless... Carport? A carport. Got to have a roof over your head in some cases in the inclement weather. But you go to helixsleep.com, you take the quiz, you get the mattress delivered to wherever it is, and if you've got a home, that's an even, well, that's just swell, that's better. And then when you wake up the next day, you'll say, boy, howdy, I sure am glad that I knocked over that liquor store because this is the best night's sleep I ever had. And it's all due to the fine folks at OK Liquors and HelixSleep.com. Once again, Helix Sleep is a great mattress. You'll get a great night's sleep. We do not encourage anyone to commit any crimes. And of course, beyond the fun characters and situations Jim just created, for those of you hardworking, everyday living, living human beings, <laughs> who need a good mattress and have a roof over your head, Helix Sleep is the solution for you. We have a few here in the house that me and my family like, and we think you and your family will like them as well. Yes, everybody's family, whether it's the last family, Cornette family, Manson family, anybody's family would love these things. Here's something else they've got a guarantee. All Helix mattresses come with a 10 or 15-year warranty, depending on the model, and they give you the, the premium trial offer to where, do they still do that? I'm, oh, hold on here. Yes, they 100-night trial. So if you get it and you don't like it after 100 nights, you can send it back. They'll give you your money back or the 10 to 15-year warranty. Let's say, for example, seven years in, the police come knocking on the door, say, we need to repossess that mattress. It was involved in a crime. 
Anything like that within 10 to 15 years, they'll give you your money back. And then wherever you got the money to get this mattress, well, the burden's on you and your conscience as to whether you want to return the money to that place or not when you get it back from Helix if you don't like the mattress. Or you could just keep it. Be a criminal. You will like the mattress, and you will like the good night's sleep you have on it. Helix Sleep, what's the promo code, Jim? Well, I'll tell you what the deal is. They're offering 20% off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners if you go to helixsleep.com slash JCE. This is their best offer yet, and they're saying it will not last long. So right now, helixsleep.com slash JCE, 20% off all the mattress orders and two free pillows. Folks, take advantage of this offer right now. You only I would say you could probably get, oh, if, if you knocked over the average liquor store, you could probably get the money for a, a Helix mattress and a half. So right there, you're sleeping better than you ever have. But I'll tell you, Brian, when you wake up the next morning after an episode of AEW Dynamite, you think, my God, did I dream that? Did, was the Taco Bell spoiled? Was it Dalmatian meat? It was in that crunch wrap. What the hell happened? You kind of got a disoriented feeling, possibly still lightheaded, dizzy. I suggest people potentially get some subcutaneous fluids after an episode of Dynamite just to orient yourself to the real world again. What happened last Wednesday? Well, <laughs> la last Wednesday was the Fever Dream edition, but it appears that kicked off after this week's episode, the well, dumpster uh, fire era of Dynamite. That, I mean, last Wednesday, it's the last Wednesday we experienced. It was a couple of days ago now. So I meant that last week. It was August 23rd is the date. Why was it Fighter Fest? Why? Why? What did that have it have to do with anything? Does it just have to have a name? Well, I think Fighter Fest is when they raise money. Then they the last two weeks have been Fighter Fest. No, that was for No, that was Fight for the Fallen. Oh, that's right. This was Fighter Fest. They did a Fighter Fest last year oh, you're as right. a, yeah. a parody on the Fire Fest Festival that was that was a, years a disaster, ago. Yeah. yes. But this was branded Fighter Fest the week after Fight to the Fallen, Fight for the Fallen. Oh, for fuck's sake. Fuck it. It was Fighter Fest. And the opening match was Twinkle Toes and the Buckaroos <laughs> against the Gun Boys and Juice with Jay in the corner. Or Jen, as he is known as colloquially. So now they figured out that if they put them on last, the viewers are going to tune out in droves. So they put the EVPs on first so they can get credit for the highest viewership of the show and it's going to plummet from here. Is that now the new strategy? Well, they put them on first and they put them with Omega, the other EVP, the only one out of the three of them who could actually take any credit for ever drawing a number. Well, anyway, they can't say they drew a number for this match because it wasn't a match. The the Stooge and his two juvenile delinquent buddies came out with their entrance, and the heels started their entrance, and the babyfaces jump-started the fight in the owl way and went into an immediate six-way. And then Juice got a chair and hit Nick in front of the referee, but the referee took the chair away, so Juice just punched the corpse referee and knocked him out, which that was a good pop. 
But then White comes in and starts helping beat up the Buckaroos, and the guns hit their finish on Nikki, and Jay White rock bottoms Maddie, and then Juice and Kenny get in a fight, and it didn't end. There wasn't a match. There wasn't a referee. But it was just guys taking turns doing shit to each other and then disappearing so that other guys could take their turn to do some shit to somebody else. For a while. And then Take a Shit came in and leveled Twinkle Toes, and he and Jay beat up Kenny while everybody else fought on the floor until finally they played FTR's music. And when they joined in, everybody fought off except for Take a Shit and Kenny, who stayed in the ring so that Kenny could make faces and point his fingers and stagger around in an epileptic manner. And right as he was going to finish off old Take a Shit, Take a Shit slipped out of the one-winged ferry and departed. And that was it. That was the first segment. What the fuck was going on here? I don't have an answer uh, for you that's good. This is the Bucks. Were they trying to set up seven different upcoming matches and in doing so just created incomprehensible bullshit? I think company-wide, Tony Khan has tried to get eight to ten weeks worth of booking to build up all in into two weeks of dynamite. And it's just... You know, it's stuff like this. The last two episodes were noticeably nuttier in a lot of different ways. I hate this usage of FTR. You know, other than having great matches, what do FTR ever say or do to establish themselves as being badasses who need to be taken seriously? Nothing. The music plays, they come out, they save the bucks, and they'll have great matches, but there's never like, like, Tully and Arne showed you they had a fucking dark side. They'll pile drive you on concrete. Whatever it may be. Well, see, that wouldn't get over now because it happens four times a week. So I hate the usage of FTR here. And again, this is FTR saving the bucks. This is the same crap that happened when FTR first came into the company. And this is the build-up to this third match. I've said it before and I'll say it again. The bucks have never meant less. They don't have as many fans as they used to. They don't sell as much merch as they used to. They're booking for the people that are still on that train and want to believe it's any good. God bless you. Most people have seen through it now. It's childish and it's bad. Their matches all end up being the same. There's nothing there. They need, they need to latch on to Omega now more than ever before. Well, see, here's uh, something you mentioned earlier. In about Tony doing eight months of booking in two weeks or whatever the analogy was, to Tony's mind, all this makes sense because Tony's mind, being the statistics guy, being the numbers guy, being having the mind that Tony Khan has, let's just say that, he remembers every single one of these little intricate details because also he's the one that wrote it. He's the one that's put it in. That's why... Whether you're a good booker, bad booker, fantasy booker, basement booker, whatever, your shit makes more sense to you than it does to everybody else because you know what you meant. And every time that somebody does a fucking spinning toehold in the middle of one of these goddamn chaos-ridden 
10-way brawls, Tony puts that in, and then he's going to, six months, somebody's going to do a spinning toehold, and he's going to look at the long-term storytelling. You can't remember all this shit with all these people running around with their heads cut off. Like they're on fire, committing mayhem. It, it Most people can't fucking... It, I'm taking notes. I can't write that fast. And, and that's why this program causes more conversation than raw i'll give it that because there's always questions you're always saying why what who where that's the thing too a lot of people watch that show and they say to themselves what the fuck is happening and then some podcasts are like yeah it was great and like, wait a minute that's not what i saw yeah it was great and i just happen to really want the wrestler in that segment to be my friend or some people say, this was fucking crazy. Well, speaking of people being your friend, MJF and Adam Cole are still good friends. Yeah. Because Renee Moxley Good sat down with MJF, and MJF did a nice little sit-down promo about England and Wembley and his, his witticisms. He's very quick. He's in the opening match and the main event. We know the Ring of Honor tag title on the line and then the, the big one. And MJF got kind of serious and sold the show kind of straight. And they watched video of his history with Adam Cole. It was a lengthy sit down. It kind of was. MJF can carry time. But the, the bottom line of this thing was he got humble and he said, Adam's made me a better person. He's not just my friend. He's like a brother to me. And he asked the fans to go on this journey with me and be vulnerable too, because he's never had a friend and he doesn't know what it's like to be vulnerable. Fans, go on this journey with me and be vulnerable. He better be going to turn because any grown adult man that actually speaks this way and expresses his feelings and, he, and says, I can't wait to do it with my best friend. He's got to be goddamn setting Adam Cole up because if he's not, he's a fucking pussy. Does any grown adult speak this way? Well, the other problem is if he does, he may become a bigger baby face. That's probably true. But it, I, are they, is he, I mean, obviously he's doing a good job with this, but if Adam Cole can't see through it, then something's wrong with Adam. But if Adam's the one that turns on MJF, then MJF is out there talking about Go on this journey with me and be vulnerable like I am. And I don't like that person anymore because he's a fucking pussy. I don't know what the fuck to think about all these people. The most important thing in Tony Khan's universe, and this may be Freudian, if nothing else, is who or who won't be friends with who? And will you be my friend? And if you are not a good friend to me... <laughs> That's the worst thing that can possibly happen. And every angle revolves around it. I thought you were my friend. Yes, betrayal and revenge and retribution are part of wrestling, but not in the childishness of the grade school level banter and interplay. Not It's not about 
Bruno making Zabisco his protege because he begged to get in the business and treating him like a son and then having him stab him in the back and hit him with a chair. If Bruno didn't say, I thought you were my friend. He said, I misjudged the character of Larry Zabisco. I thought he was worthy of my teaching. But he's repaid my kindness with this, with treachery. Like a fucking grown adult might. I'm sorry. I like the look of the uh, promo or the interview. Where they were sitting there, the set. Yeah, I mean, the, the colors. And then they go to the, 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 the video behind them. That's not a bad idea. I thought the set looked good. That's all I'm saying. Receive faint praise, but at least you found something. You know, I don't know what to say. I mean, I, I'm a big MJF fan. The stuff with him and Cole isn't really for my liking. Now, with that said, as you're talking about it, I'm sitting here and trying to think of what is going to happen. And I don't know. Is MJF going to turn? Is Adam going to turn? Is neither of them going to turn? And it leads to a feud with Roddy, Taven, and Bennett? As much as I think those guys are good, they're going to get into the main event picture with Cole and MJF? I don't know. Again, Kyle O'Reilly's kind of a wild card out there. You never know if he's healthy enough to do something yet. Not that a wrestler's health has ever stopped Tony Khan from (laughs) using them on a show. But that's the thing. It's, It's one of the more silly things they've done. Unlike the silly stuff with him and Jericho, this silly stuff at least has gotten over with their fans. That's one of the few things you could use to justify it. They've gotten this kangaroo kick over with their fans. <laughs> they've gotten the, the hug and they've gotten the double clothesline over with those fans. It's one of the most over things on the show. You know, maybe, I mean, again, I've, I've said it before. It looks like these two guys are having a good time. For all the stuff we've heard for the last few years, stuff that people know, stuff that people don't know, about the locker room drama and all these problems, you know, maybe this is just like something MJF needs right now. You know, remember, he was going to work with Punk. That rug got pulled out from under him. Yeah. Him and Moxley, based on that, that was right after everything with Moxley and Punk. Do you think Moxley, with Regal trying to get out of his contract, were easy to deal with? That probably wasn't easy. The three-way things with Sammy and Jack Perry and Darby, seems like it was a good idea on paper that maybe didn't execute well, not because of MJF. Maybe this is just his... I'm doing something fun. And it just so happens that it got over more than everything else in the company right now. (sighs) It's either the most brilliant angle they've ever done because we can't figure out what in the world is going to happen. Or we will find out if they don't really know what's going to happen either or it's not the right thing that it was a brilliant angle that led to caca if it doesn't fucking work out. If MJF turns on Cole, and it's MJF and Roddy and Taven and Bennett help him, again, that that would be like the third faction MJF's had, so I'm not saying that's the best thing. But if that's what it is, does Adam Cole... I guess he can come at him and do a fired-up babyface promo the next week, but he's got to do something not to look like a sucker. I guess if they went down that road, because he's looked kind of weak for a while now. Again, you know... Earl Stanley Gardner wrote all those Perry Mason books. 
created all those crimes. If we'd have come to find out at the end of one of them that the real murderer was Perry Mason himself, nobody would have been able to figure that out. But it probably wouldn't have made any sense either. So is this one that's going to be a brilliant reveal, or is this one that's going to be, well, that doesn't really make any sense. We don't know. That's right. It could be Perry Mason in the courtroom, or why is Perry Mason fighting Godzilla? Who's going to be 70 next year? That's what I heard. Well, you know, something else that's really fucking old, Plumber Moxley staggering through the arena on his entrance. And the next matchup on the program was Plumber Moxley against Felix with Alex in his corner. And I can't. I mean, it, I knew it was going to be long and I knew it was going to be the same thing as always whenever these two get involved. And 13 minutes later, son of a gun, Moxley got the chokehold on him and held it for over... 30 seconds while both of them were immobile in the ring. And then the referee called for the bell. What a fucking thrilling finish. And then did you hear about why they stretchered Felix out here? No, he's got some kind of visa deal going on with his paperwork where he can't leave the United States while he's getting it sorted or they might not let him back in. Yeah, I mean, that's, I heard about this on the internet. I'm not making it up. It oh, you're was, saying this is why he's not going to London? Yes. Um, but but also, that is a thing. Sometimes if you're here, but you don't have proper paperwork and you're working on it, you can't go or you wouldn't be able to get back by the time, you know, blah, blah, blah. So anyway, somehow they booked him on the biggest show of all time in Wembley Stadium and then didn't know about this and then found out about this and unbooked him. By after Moxley beats him, then Claudio and Useless come in and try to hit him with one of those, I think it was a telescoping baton or whatever. But Eddie Kingston and Penthouse came out to try to help him, but Ortiz showed back up, looking more like a skinny Joe Pesci than the last time we saw him, where he looked like the son of Pampiro Furpo. And he's waving the slapjack, or the mad ball as they call it, and then Santana's music plays, and he comes out, and everybody's like, oh, shit, what's he going to do? And he jumps on Penthouse and Kingston, and then everybody gets in a fight. And in the ring, they knocked Felix out with the telescoping baton, which I believe Sockface called a crowbar, which they look very similar. I don't know. And at that point, here came Pockets and the Puddin' Gang walking out, holding chairs and a chain, and the heels just got out of the ring and walked off. And Felix was fucked up, so the doctors brought the stretcher in, and he's carried out. It's great to do a stretcher angle. I'm not opposed to those. I can't believe they picked now after a fucking mess with 12 people that nobody cares about just to take a guy off a show this weekend, and I bet you he'll be back on TV in two weeks. You can watch the pay-per-view with him at Dave & Buster's in Jacksonville. <laughs> so, uh, that was this. Did I miss anything? No, you know, I watch these things now because of 
knowing that there are people who think we're crazy for saying Moxley's the worst. There are people that insist he's really good. So I watch now to look for it, and it just makes me, I enjoy his matches because of how bad they are, how predictable they are, how typical they are, and it's the same bad shit over and over again. What do you think of the return of Santana? I mean, technically the return of Santana and Ortiz, but the return of, now he's Mike Santana. Yes, at least he got a first name. And his big return will be in the stadium stampede match. Oh, yeah, and, and they put him in, yeah, because they had to have extra people, because now it's, that's six on six, right? Well, Instead now, of five on five? Didn't they change it now to five on five? Who'd they take out of it? I don't fucking know. Because, again, they've taken Felix out, but some one of these people that did a run-in is in on his side, and... Oh, yeah, they, they took get, Felix out. That's who they took out. Yes, but... Well, we ain't finished. We're changing some more shit here in a little while anyway. But, um, and by the way, if Mike is Santana's first name, can Tito be Ortiz's first name? Tito Ortiz? Well, at least you might draw some money. Anyway, uh, they put Felix in the ambulance and Kingston told Renee Moxley good what fur he told her off because of what her husband did. So they've at least acknowledged that. That was the best part. Because his reaction when she came over, oh, you. Yeah, really? You. Seriously, your husband's the one doing this. Don't come up to me with a microphone. <laughs> the gall of you. And speaking of gall, she had plenty because Renee Moxley Good went back to get more words from people with Sammy Guevara. And before he can say anything, the other ex-appreciators uh, came in and were pissed at him for helping Jericho last week because then they did more arguing about who's friends with who. He's never been our friend. He was only out for himself, and we thought you were our friend, but why was his friend, and he was in... And a lot of friendships are going awry. Until you said it, I never thought about it. I mean, with the Young Bucks, it's always been one of the things we've made fun of. It's all about friendship and feeling awkward or having anxiety not knowing how to deal with it. Like Socially this, inept. Yeah, all the stuff with them and Adam Page and Omega is just really, really, like, not for adults. But we've talked about that, but just about every other thing is about, you won't be my friend, or I want you to be my friend, or why aren't you my friend? Or you I've never had a friend, but now I've got a friend. <laughs> it's everything Tony books. <laughs> I'm telling you, there's some fucking projection or on-air therapy or something that's being undergone here. <laughs> um, but now it's time for the friendless because Tony Schiavone was in the ring with Don Fallis, Will Ostrich, Sammy Guevara, and Chris Jericho and six security guys for their contract signing of the big match they're having in this weekend. They just now, they've been talking about it for a while. Now they're signing the contract. Well, no, they've only talked about it for a week. So I guess they wouldn't have had time to sign a contract. Um, I know the network has to love the fans sh chanting shut the fuck up over Don Fallis. Does Will Ostrich look to you like a guy that does landscaping? No, I wouldn't say that. No, what? It, I mean, seriously, he's got the fucking cap on. He's got the goddamn, you know, is it a, 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 a football, as they say, across he's a hooligan. the jersey? He's a hooligan. I buy him as a hooligan. 
Okay, does the average person here in fucking Des Moines or Billings, Montana know what a hooligan looks like? Soccer is the sport of the future, and it always will be. And it always will be. But in the meantime, people down across the Chattahoochee River, they're going, I think he was mowing my fucking yard last week. It, it the Have you noticed, by the way, that Don is accenting or accentuating his scar where he took the bump and hit the light stand weeks ago? Yeah, it's he's been, now put, It's growing. Well, no, he's putting red makeup in it. Because it was a scar on his head because he's got no hair so you can see it, but now he's drawn it in red like the Frankenstein monster makeup. That's very subtle, but I love that. Uh, he is truly a really smarmy, slimy individual. It is public image I'm talking about on television. And I noticed when Will Ostrich talks, he's got a mouthful of mar marbles. Uh, because the accent combined with that he's always he's always doing the voice where he's annoyed with the accent and he's annoyed too and he's yelling and he's kind of mushy he tries hard but the voice and the accent and the bummy look on this program with so many other low rent visuals I think he's you know one of the fucking miscellaneous people that you don't really know who the fuck they are they pop up every once in a while and they they don't really get over as special because everybody else is doing the same shit. Just why don't you say me flip, love? Well, uh, Jericho was very Hoganish. took the c credit for making Ostrich a star, uh, knocked all the social media dipshits that don't like him. And I think at one point, Tony Schiavone gave Jericho the Iggy for time when Jericho was really digging in on his dramatic go-home line reading. You see Tony behind him, and I used to, as an announcer, if I'm wired to the truck, the talent isn't. He gave him the Iggy on his arm, and Jericho got mad and slapped his arm away. <laughs> okay. They were over 10 minutes at this point on this interview. And then Ostrich slaps the microphone out of Jericho's hand. Jericho slaps Ostrich. Security gets in between them. And here we go with a big dream match for Wembley. Two weeks in the making. Jericho versus Ostrich. Because he saw Ostrich, and then he sent him an email and said, let's be friends. <laughs> it, was, it all went sideways from there. Eh. Long promo segment. Yeah, I mean, this was uh, Jericho going for his Emmy, I guess. So then, they were. this was the, the night they taped Collision that we're going to get to by the end of this podcast, folks. Uh, so they were doing a lot of post-production stuff and sit-downs and plugging VTRs in so that they could do without keeping people there for six hours, which they probably did anyway. But Renee, Moxley Good, had another sit-down with Adam Cole. <laughs> or the incomparable Lord Fogg. He was my least favorite Batman villain, but I admired Rudy Valley for being on TV in the 60s after being a vagabond lover in the 20s. <laughs> you admired him for this. I admired him for it. Anyway, so Adam Cole is talking about MJF and Wembley and the Hall same flavor as before, and there was more best friends talk. And MJF, according to Adam Cole, MJF has helped me find myself. And finally, when Renee talks about Roddy questioning 
MJF and his motives or whatever, Adam gets pissed off and walks out. He's not going to hear any more of this talk about Max. And then, unfortunately, the bell rang and history class reconvened and they had to get their seventh grade readers out. Well, beyond that, and again, I like the look of this. What do you think about the fact MJF talking about be vulnerable with me? Here's Adam Cole acting more heelish than he has in a while. Is it the setup nothing? Is it the setup the obvious? Or is it the swerve everyone on both? I don't know if he was even acting heelish or just petulant. Don't you knock my friend in front of me. I'm tired of everybody knocking my friend. He's, he's helped make me who I am today. <sighs> By playing video games and letting me hang out at the bar while he slept with all those women. Yeah, boy. It took him forever to come back, but there was four of them. Anyway, speaking of taking forever, now, uh, now up next, we got back in the ring, a tornado tag team match with Darby Allen and Nick Wayne against Swerve and A.R. Fox with old Prince Nana at, at ringside. Something related to this is coming up at Wembley, isn't it? Or is it? Who are staying in Darby and what? They, I thought they were going to get even at Wembley for the things that had been done. Or is that another match I'm thinking of? How many angles is Darby Allen in? He's in a few, and I think that's a casket match. And again, this is quite the segment here. I can't wait to hear you break it down. That was what I was thinking watching it. Well, uh, This changed some of the things for that match, I guess. Well, yes, but they'd already announced, okay, here's the coffin match, and we're going to get even for this. But now here's a tornado tag match, all four in the ring, and I guess around the ring, no DQ, lazy booking. They jumpstart it immediately. They get in an immediate four-way in the ring and on the floor. And a couple of flips and cannonballs, and then the heels take over immediately. And that's another thing... And we'll talk about it later on with the, I think the gun boys did it again, but you will see the heels just shut the fucking baby faces down, whether it's even numbers or they've got the man advantage or whatever the fuck. These baby faces get jumped and get shut down with no fight. I've never seen anything like it. And that used to be something that was almost impossible to do for a shoot with a baby face is get him down and they're they're just dropping like flies whenever they're touched on this program so they take over immediately the heels do and then they go out on the apron and they completely botch a four-way apron spot where they were going to try a double vertical suplex but both the baby faces were supposed to drop behind on the apron and shove the heels together and then do the flip and the dive and the and it was a goddamn clusterfuck. And then they went to the break, whereupon apparently they spent the entire break fighting in and around the arena and on the floor because they were out there when we came back. And I couldn't, again, you can't, it's just back and forth shit for no purpose. So I zoned out on the match, but at the finish, Darby had been taken out and the heels were punishing Nick Wayne, remember the boy wonder, the teenage sensation. And Fox missed a splash off the top rope. And Nick Wayne rolled him up one, two, three. And then the baby faces rolled out. Darby was already out on the floor. Nick rolls out. They're about to leave. They do leave. 
Swerve gets the microphone and says, boy, that was real disappointing. I'm disappointed in you, Fox. What? You blew it. This was a test. You can't beat an 18-year-old child. So now Swerve tells Prince Nana to fire Fox. And when he fires Fox, Brian Cage appears out of nowhere and levels Fox. And they're going to kick the shit out of Fox, the guy that just turned three weeks ago to join their group. But then Sting and Darby Allen and Nick Wayne come out. And again, the heels just leave and just walk out and, and there they go. And there's Nick's all beat up. He's been, his mouth was busted open during the match anyway. And this whole thing with Fox and then Darby tells Fox, it doesn't matter what you've done. You know, we've always been friends. I love you and always will. While the guy that Fox tried to murder, that le he left Nick Wayne in a pool of his own blood two weeks ago. At his home. When, at his home when he invaded his father's training camp and sanctuary, his dead father. Now, the, here's Darby, supposed to be his mentor and champion in this situation. All is forgiven against the guy that just fucking stabbed him. And he's standing there with his dick in his hand watching that. And then here comes Christian Cage and Dino Douche. And Christian is knocking Nick Wayne's dead father to go along with Jack Perry's dead father. And there's somebody that's going to be a partner to somebody, but I don't know who the I don't know how they've changed this match again. What? Uh, well, at least they. I guess merge Darby's different feuds from different programs. I like how as soon as Darby accepted AR Fox back, he went back to just being like, oh, shucks, AR Fox. After being a real dick for a few weeks there, after we had just met him like a month ago with a video package about what a kind man he was, that he turned heel for three weeks. He went from Patty Hearst to Tanya back to Patty Hearst. But in three weeks instead of a year and a half. This was such a bizarre segment. And again, it feels like they rushed a lot of things that, I mean, to say that though, I mean, A.R. Fox should have been introduced on the show well before he turned then, so you would care. Now, well, yeah, because remember the first time that we ever heard any backstory between Darby Allen and A.R. Fox was on the show where he turned on Darby Allen, right? Yeah. And, and that was only three weeks ago. And then the next week... He invades, home invades Nick Wayne's place and leaves him in a puddle of blood. And they're goddamn dressed up like terrorists and gangsters and evil people. And then he loses a match on a fluke and the other guy fires him and all is forgiven. I would have taken that opportunity to laugh at A.R. Fox, say, ha, ha, ha. You turn your back on us and look what happens, you fucking prick. Again, the ultimate prize in AEW is not the championship, it's the friendship. And Darby and AR Fox, I guess, are now once again friends. That's how we end this chapter. Well, at least our hearts can rest easy tonight. Did you watch the sit-down with FTR and the Buckaroos with Rene Moxlegood? I watched it. I didn't like it. 
Okay, I'm going to be honest with you. You can fill me in on a little something because as soon as I see that fucking little fucking Matt Jackson with that smarmy little pie face and his little mannerisms where he thinks he's hot shit and trying to sniff his own farts without anybody fucking noticing and his balding little brother and their their whole demeanor, their insufferable douchebags, I, I've been having a tough week. I didn't have time or the patience to listen to what was said here. Was anything good said here? No. And again, what I said earlier about the presentation of FTR, other than the good matches, what has been done to establish FTR really, other than that one promo from Dax where he talked about his daughter? That was, that was an all-time classic, and everything else I don't remember. So they're sitting here and just having this casual conversation. Again, we go back almost like to the first match, just we need to know who's better, it's this whole thing. They lay out the story real haphazardly. The Bucks have lost all their steam. FTR still have steam. But no, I'm not feeling that. I don't think a lot of people are feeling the Bucks anymore. It's not just us. We just caught on to it before other people did. If the Bucks win those belts back at Wembley Stadium, which they're going to because they will not be able to resist winning the big match that they can control in front of the big crowd and their families so that they can again delude themselves into believing that they're in the pantheon of immortal tag teams it'll be like if dusty had decided hey new breed want to put you over the road warriors next week for the fucking world tag title it's ridiculous there's not even close in standing at this point in the eyes of the fans or in the presentation of the company and next on this parade of terror Ruby Soso versus Blue Sky. Jump start to the floor to the break. <laughs> now they're doing the goddamn WWE thing to the break. Uh, Ruby won eventually, didn't she? I don't remember the results. Yeah. I think so. All righty. Well, Renee Moxley Good, the hardest working woman in show business was in the back with Roddy and Taven and Bennett. And now that's a Roddy's comment is that at Wembley, we're going to find out who the real MJF is and who the real Adam Cole is. And that's kind of a veiled reference. So we'll see what, again, what's going to go on. I will say one thing. This feud has been the most personality we've ever seen out of Roddy Strong. And that is, that is the the element of his game that he has struggled with in the past, and he's he's overcome that here. Probably because he's maybe really wondering too, what the fuck? Maybe they haven't told him what they're going to do. They get a genuine reaction out of him. He doesn't know. All right, should we talk about Billy's boots? Okay. Billy's boots come back from Boot Hill, and now once again he's going to take one of his boots and he's going to break them off in the house of black's ass i thought that the whole angle of billy doing the retirement billy leaving the business was a way to break the acclaimed away from billy gunn to focus on them as young talents rather than billy who is in the best shape of anybody in the company but is also almost 60 and so they're going to make the the acclaimed their own guys that are going out to get even in the memory of their mentor, but they're their own men. That's what I thought was going on here. And what it actually was, was a pro was a, an angle just to get Billy Gunn more over. 
And because he's coming back to get even for his guys who have been basically completely ineffectual since he's left. And so they play the spooky video from the House of Black where they bury Billy Gunn's boots. Oh, they buried Billy Gunn's boots under the old mulberry tree. That's one of those old plaintive country western songs. So they buried his boots in a trash compactor. And then the acclaimed come out and they storm the ring. No music. It's serious. They're pissed off at the House of Black. They call him out. <laughs> they say, let's fight. And the lights go out. And they do the spooky music at entrance. And the three heels come in. And he immediately stopped the baby faces that asked for the fight and kicked the shit out of them. And yes, there was three House of Blacks and two Acclaims. However, if you go back and look at any of the Territory Days, any of the top baby faces, go back and look at Stone Cold Steve Austin. Go back and look at any major baby face in the history of wrestling. Even if they're outnumbered, when the heels come in, they're swinging and they do a bit of damage before the guy behind them stops them or the numbers takes over. But in this case, like in all the AEW, I was talking about it earlier. <clears throat> I said we were talking about it with the gun boys, and that's the acclaimed boys, the Billy Guns boys, the acclaimed. The House of Black just gloms a bump, and down they go. And they're toast. And then they go to use a chain on them, and then they play the music, and here comes Billy Gunn out. And he's the savior. And the heels just step out of the ring and slowly walk out because there's three of them and they're giants and half his age, but that's Billy Gunn. And I love Billy. I'm not saying he's great. He did a great promo here. He got the microphone and explained his retirement, said he's back to get even because you hurt one of my kids and you destroyed my boots, which was even worse. And at all in, I'm back. It was a great promo. But the problem is, again, Billy is the star of the fucking team. Not the young guys that are going to be there for another 20 years. Well, nope, none of these guys are going to be here for another 20 years, but you know what I'm saying. It, the angle wasn't to get the acclaimed over on their own merits. It was to give them the people a break from Billy so they'd be happy when Billy came back to save the acclaimed. Am I misreading this? And he won't be a daddy ass, he'll be a badass. That's right, he's not going to be dad or daddy ass, he's going to be Billy, badass Billy Gunn. Unless Jerry McDivitt says, no, you're not. Again, what... Uh, is that, that's obviously what we are led to believe is now the acclaimed are pretty much fucked without Billy, right? Yeah, you know, it... I agree with you, but it felt off. Like, I agree with you that it seemed like, okay, they're going to use this to try to get the acclaimed over on their own, but it always felt like they're going to bring Billy back for something. Something's happening. And it's this, and like you said, you laid it out perfectly. How can I miss you if you won't go away? Billy's the one who went away. Everyone missed him. They brought him back. Yeah. The acclaimed don't mean any more than they did. The House of Black... Uh, a feud with the House of Black, to me, doesn't do it, but 
Again, we're talking about Wembley. It's going to be an audience that... Why is House of Black on both Wednesday and Saturday? Can't they be serious on Saturday and leave the foolishness on Wednesday to other people? You would think. I thought originally they were only going to work Saturday, but I guess we're building up this big pay-per-view. Everyone's in the same building. Why don't we just uh, have an intramural day? Well, but besides that, everybody gets to work on Wednesday night. You see 152 different names. They've only got 14 different people on Saturday, and we have to see the Bullet Club Gold for 45 minutes at a time. That's true. All right. Well, speaking of time and how we're ticking away the moments that make up a dull day, frittering and wasting the hours in an offhand way, while Tony Khan was kicking around on a piece of ground in his hometown, waiting for someone or something to show him the way. They had a Ring of Honor World Tag Team title match in the main event spot with the team of Ozzy Oldham defending against Matt and Jeff Hardy. And... I know it's hard to believe, Brian, but after this rest of this show, which was composed basically of jump starts and brawls, this match started with a jump start and, if, and pretty much digressed into a brawl. They didn't start the match until there was eight minutes left on the air. And they did the first minute at, at, at close to 100 miles an hour as they could with a four-way and on the floor and then went to the break and came back with four minutes left before the top of the hour. And that's where the announcers uh, indicated that Tony Khan says we're going to stay this t stay with this till we're finished, which is another way of saying we're running long again. We can't manage our time. We've called the network and asked if we can please have a few extra minutes. Uh, but this time, for whatever reason, maybe this was planned. Maybe they said we need five extra minutes because my DVR recorded it without me doing anything irrational to it. So do you think this was a scheduled overage, Brian? We have seen more overages in the last two months than we have in the previous four years. So I think there's something that's somewhat strategic. They may just be saying, hey, we're going to give you an extra five minutes. Just quit calling us. Just you're bothering us last minute. Fuck it. We'll just make it two hours and five minutes. But anyway, in the I mean, it was a match. Ozzy Oldham, they've done nothing with particularly. They are interchangeable, more, more blah with another company's title belts. Matt and Jeff Hardy, how the mighty have fallen. One of the. <laughs> most iconic tag teams of the last 30 years, and they're forced into doing a job to these two nobodies for a secondary or even thirdary championship in eight minutes on this goddamn rotten program. Jeff is moving better than Matt. And I don't know that's a compliment. And finally, the heels hit Jeff with two shitty-looking double-team moves in a row that it looked like they botched up in different ways, and then pinned him. One to, so a flat finish to beat an iconic name in the wrestling business with two shitty-looking double-teams, and then they started doing a promo, Ozzy Oldham, about MJF and Adam Cole, and nobody wanted to hear that, but here comes MJF and Cole, and they do the face-to-face -face and the big fight, and then here we go. Every cliched, tease, dramatic tension builder, 
foreshadowing incident that's ever been done in wrestling was done in the last 90 seconds. Adam Cole goes to kick the one of the heels while MJF is holding him. The heel moves, but MJF catches the foot. Then he and Adam Cole face off. Then MJF shoulder bumps Adam Cole as he walks by him. Adam Cole will not turn around and look at MJF. He's got his back to him because that's dramatic. MJF looks at the camera, pulls the diamond ring out of his pocket and puts it on his fist and looks over his shoulder. And then takes it off and puts it back in his pocket and looks over, hey, Cole! And Adam turns and they hug and embrace. Is it a little much that at every every obvious miscue, every innocent line, every every breath, they get mad at each other kind of and threaten to turn on each other and then make up in full view of everybody when they've just been talking about how their brothers and friends and family members and be vulnerable, take this journey with me, but oh God, the heel moved and you almost kicked me. I think I'm going to have to destroy you. Is it too much? As Mama Cornette would say, are they protesting so too much? When you kept denying and kept denying that you had done something that she thought you had done and you wouldn't leave it alone, she knew you had done it. That's not even a question, but it's a statement. I was going to say, what are they? I don't know how that applies to this. How it's, it's, it, they're constantly teasing, I'll turn on you, I'll turn on you, I'll turn on you, which is, is it too much? Is it too much? For me, it is. Obviously, for you, it is. Again, the AEW fans are taking to this more than most of the things, if not everything, on that show right now. But for me, it's too much, and it's too, not childish, but, you know, I hate when WWE talks down or treats the audience like, you know, they have to be talked down to. And it happens a lot. And when WWE is doing really well, usually that's not happening in that moment. This, in a sense, feels like that, but again, the AEW fans kind of want to go with that feeling. They want to be the audience talked down to, and they want to <laughs> pretend like they believe, even though they don't. Do you want us to talk down to you, little babies? I'm sorry, little babies. We talk down to you. I think one way or another, whether you like this stuff or not, there has to be some sort of resolution at all in. And it can't be like, if they stay together as a team or as friends, this shit has to stop. Yeah. I'm behind you and I could super kick you at any moment, but I'll give you a hug. You're behind me and I don't fully trust you, but I'm not going to turn my back because that way, if you do fucking sabotage me from behind, I'll know that I was right in suspecting you, even though I'll be dead. They better, they better have a good ending for the pay-per-view. All righty. We will, we will say, and that's right. It's not even a finish. It's an ending. This is not a match. It's a story. So they don't get a finish. They get an ending. Well, before we uh, move on from the ending of this and time travel, you want to talk about the ratings? Yes, because then after we do that, we are going to have to time travel so that I can go back and catch SmackDown that my electric company uh, denied me last night. Hey, can someone shut Swami up? <laughs> hey, think about this. What if, what if Swami was just sitting moping around and not making any noise and not being frisky? How bad would you feel? I would feel very bad. However, uh, 
I also feel like if you're running around going in and out of the front door and you know you're riling the dog up and then you know you're not going to walk him and you know that, let's just say, someone in the house has a little bit of an injury and it's hard to move around, they don't want to get stuck walking the dog, <laughs> you got to do your part. But I think, hey, we're going to talk ratings, I believe. Oh, are we back on the air now? <laughs> AEW Dynamite on TBS, August 23rd, 2023. Jim, the overall number... I'm going to write this down. On TBS, AEW Dynamite was watched by 870,000 viewers on average. Is that within like, what, two or 3,000 of, of the previous week? And it's the, how, I, in a way, it's almost amazing that they're getting almost the exact same number every week now. Number one, it's amazing because how do they talk 870,000 people even into starting this program? And secondly, how just does nobody even go on vacation anymore? It's the same number of people every fucking week. Okay, 870,000 for this thing, that was a fucking gift. But the question is, where'd they start and where'd they end up? Well, they started at 8 o'clock, 8 to 8.15 p.m., quarter one. Kenny Omega and the Young Bucks... It's not even a match. And the Guns and Juice Robinson and Jay White and Takeshita and FTR all brawl all around. And MJF sit down interview with Renee Moxley Good. 961,000 viewers. Jeez, oh, Pete. That's a bigger number than they've been starting with. Uh, curiosity for Wembley Stadium, potentially. Why would... Uh... Was there something interesting advertised for this program and they just didn't do it? <laughs> or why would they get a good tune-in number? Who knows? What was on beforehand? How's the Big Bang doing these days? I'm not sure. Again, the big news in wrestling was Terry Funk coming into this, but I don't know how many people would tune in just to see if any mention was made of Terry Funk, and they did have a graphic up on the screen. But quarter two, Jim, 8.15 to 8.30 p.m., John Moxley's entrance through picture-in-picture -picture ads, and John Moxley versus Ray Phoenix, once again with picture-in-picture, -picture, 865,000 viewers. Ouch! So, that is atypical and unlike the last few weeks where, again, we said, you know, for the first hour or so, they were pretty pretty static pretty standard and then they started dropping but a hundred thousand in the first 15 minutes not a good choice of a mess to have you know in in your first opening segment so they lost nine ninety six thousand to be precise how many fans did the young bucks drive off last week at the end of the show i think it was about two hundred thousand, wasn't it well in that one quarter it was it was they were two hundred thousand lower than when they started in right. the one quarter it was six figures but not yeah i think it was pretty much stuff. similar to this it was about a hundred thousand yeah. people which is telling yeah. And also, I think with MJF, people, I think the viewership may appreciate the in-ring stuff with a live audience more than the sit-down stuff. But that's yes. just my two cents. Segment three or quarter three, 8.30 to 8.45 p.m. The post-match of Moxley versus Phoenix with the Blackpool Combat Club, Eddie Kingston, the best friends, Orange Cassidy, Ortiz, Mike Santana, Penta, then it's an ad break, and then Phoenix is loaded into the ambulance, and then a Sammy Guevara promo interrupted by the appreciators, 915,000 viewers. 
Holy shit. So you mean to tell me that another 50,000 people came back just... They said, fuck it, let's just make sure that the the buckaroos are not on anymore and it's safe to come back? What... Between... uh, the first segment being a mess and then segment two with all of the things that you mentioned being just, you know, Moxley and the rest of the Gaga. Okay. So they, they bump back up 50,000. It's safe to go back in the pool. And by the way, these were compiled by WrestleNomics. Quarter four, 8.45 to 9 p.m. The Chris Jericho, Will Ospreay contract signing, an ad break, and the Adam Cole sit-down interview with Renee Moxley Good, 899,000 viewers. And they dropped back 16,000. Not that major of a change, but not going in the right direction. Quarter five, the big nine o'clock hour. Darby Allen and Nick Wayne versus A.R. Fox and Swerve Strickland with picture-in-picture, 886,000 viewers. Again, just dropping 13,000, not bad in and of itself, but now they're down 30,000 from the quarter three increase they got. And from their average, it looks like this is not telling a good tale for the last 45 minutes of the program. Quarter six, 9.15 to 9.30 p.m. The post-match with Brian Cage, Christian Cage. Hey, it's the Cage Brothers. Luchasaurus, and that's it. And then the Young Bucks FTR sit-down interview, an ad break, the Britt Baker, Tony Storm, Hikaru Shida video. I forgot there was something like that in there. And a Ruby Soho inset, 855,000 viewers. Okay, so the Buckaroos came back and people said, oh shit, we thought we were done with it. And here went another 31,000 people. Now they've lost their 44, 54, they've lost 60,000 people in three quarters. And again, the average tells me that we've got further to fall. And I remind you, we also have a five minute overrun, so we'll get to that as well. Quarter seven, 9.30 to 9.45 p.m., Ruby Soho versus Sky Blue with picture in picture, the Roderick Strong and Kingdom promo, and then the Acclaimed and the House of Black have their confrontation leading to the return of Billy Gunn. 848,000 viewers. You know, I'm not, uh, I'm surprised that I'm not more surprised because they only lost another 7,000. That's staying remarkably consistent throughout the program at that level for this quality or lack thereof of a television show. Well, finally, the main event, quarter eight, 9.45 to 10 p.m. with an overrun. The Hardys entrance, an ad break, and then the Hardys versus Aussie Open with picture-in-picture, 759,000 viewers. Huge. That's where it comes. Um, Five-minute overrun with MJF and Adam Cole coming out for the post-match, 776. So that was uh, 90,000 people. That was 89. On top of the... Jesus Christ. So 
I'm trying to do this math in my head. They started with a bigger number than normal. They managed to keep halfway consistent throughout the program and even gain a little bit in quarter three, even though it was a downward trend after that. But then people got to the last 15 minutes and said, fuck it. And they ended up 202,000 down from where they started by the end of the two hour time period, which is over 20% again. Because how much of that can you sit through? I am shocked and amazed that the second hour doesn't tank worse than it does on these programs the last few weeks. And I guess we've figured out now that the AEW audience on Wednesday nights that can that will be interested in this is somewhere around 900,000. And a few big bangers are hanging on. But they're mostly at 800 and something through the program. And then if the buckaroos or something as lame as this are on the last segment or two, they're going to finish up in the 700s and they've lost 20% of their audience. Or you go to Saturday night and they're not going to start with a big number, but they're probably going to hold the number that they've got. And sometimes they increase in the middle, depending on where punk is placed. But they don't, while they don't lose any viewers and sometimes gain by the end of the program, they start out and generally finish up 300,000 below Wednesday night because of the difference in Wednesday and Saturday. So. Could God, somehow, some way, you could take the talent rosters of Collision and Dynamite and the time slots and you could get rid of half the shit and make the other half actually good if you tried hard enough, I bet. The question is, what part needs to go? Well, that is a question we will answer. Not now. When? <laughs> If we'll answer it, then that means that uh, we know more than everybody else because nobody can figure that out. How do you fucking do something acceptable with they've got they've got dreck and they've got talent. They've got attributes and they've got detriments. They've there's good and bad. And if they could just do more of the good stuff and less of the bad stuff, they may be able to put something together on one night of the week that would please everybody that would get numbers, ratings, that would have actual legitimate talent having matches. But instead, they've got three weekly programs, one of which nobody's going to watch that watch. The people that like Wednesday and the people that are on that probably don't want to watch Saturday and vice versa, and nobody remembers that Friday is even a thing still. So there you go. Travel us through some time so we can... Uh, I can go back and crib up on SmackDown. Jim, we are in the future once again, and was it is another really, day. Was that really fucking necessary? What? With the whole god, it sounded like Don Fallis coming to the ring. Would just That's, that's all you need. That's not what I need. We need the time travel, and we have done that once again. We are on another day. 
in another time, perhaps on another planet mentally, after all the wrestling we've watched the last few days. Yeah, I, d- I don't know if that's if you've covered the entire list of all the things that you need. I think some type of therapy may be involved as well, but I, I need it too. I need some type of counseling. It is not fair to make the human brain process or try to process or sort out as much wrestling as as you and I have watched since we just laid down the audio track for this program that we're in the middle of and in time traveled. And when does this thing ever come out? Or is this the Winchester Mystery House of podcasts? And it's never completed. We keep building onto it. It's never going to air because we can't stop doing it. It's either that or the Winchester Cathedral of podcasts. Well, you're bringing me down, I'll tell you that. Hodio do. Uh, when does this show air to the public, to the people, to the to our friends out there? How am I supposed to answer that right now? <laughs> okay. Well, if it's anywhere, because I realized I've been talking, we've been doing so much preparation here at the castle privately. I believe I mentioned it when I was talking about uh, Stacy's mother, my mother-in-law being uh, visiting from California. But happy birthday to the Queen of Castle Cornet, Stacy. If the people are hearing this anywhere around August 29th, which is the red letter day. So I want to get that in there because I don't know. I don't know where we are now. Is this my program or yours? This is your program. This is the experience. So I'm leading the charge here. All right. We're going to real quickly recap the weekend's wrestling before we get to the giant all-in extravaganza. and. As I mentioned, I think at the top of this show, when we started doing it, I had not been able to see SmackDown because of the, what was it? Was that Friday night? I guess I told somebody today at the bank I lost my power on Saturday night, but it wasn't. It was Friday night. That's right. SmackDown doesn't air on Saturdays. Yeah, well, that's a good indication of that it was Friday night, but my power blew up. The the LG&E people... We're out in force fixing the electricity, but not until Saturday morning. So I had to catch up on SmackDown through illicit means. I'm glad that Jay Sharknado is hooked up to the the black web, or what is it? The dark web? The black web? Dark web. The worldwide black web. So he can get all these things. But they were at the Yum Center. 18 miles from me, 17 miles, 17 and a half thereabouts. And I couldn't see it. But uh, by the way, the Yum Center, can you tell how steep that building is on television? Could you see those seats just going straight up? I didn't really notice, actually. Holy shit. I've been in that building a couple of times. And one time I was on the side down low. And the other time I was in the top up high. And you'll get vertigo in that building. It is fucking steep. They dug a giant fucking hole in downtown Louisville and then built the Yum Center half in the hole and then half out of it. So it's it's twice as deep as you see when you go into it. It's it's an amazing thing. But if you fell from the top row, you would keep on rolling till you got down to ringside. Have I stalled enough? Can we talk about the wrestling now? Well, it was a very different episode of SmackDown as opposed to the ones we usually yeah. review. Well, and and that's true. Uh, this was August 25th, and obviously 
the main attraction of this program for us, at least, maybe for a lot of people, was the tributes to both Terry Funk and Bray Wyatt. And, you know, they had all the talent, everybody, all the on-camera personnel out on the stage and a big split screen, which I thought was tremendous of them to do because Bray Wyatt could have taken up all the oxygen, you know, in, in that instance, because he was current, he was modern. He's, you know, had been a part of their program right now, but they still honored Terry because of how many people that are there that he probably either inspired or helped or whatever. But Michael Cole did a nice announcement. He's good on things like that. That's his news background coming out. And they did the, Ten Bell salute, and then right into that Bray Wyatt video, which was incredible work. I mean, you know, we talk all the time about how their studio and their production people are, you know, the stars of that promotion. In a lot of cases, they make the chicken salad. But you can tell they they put special work in that. Whoever was leading the charge, it yeah. was, you know, because they went through, obviously, in what, you know, they had... A day? Two days? A day. You know, yeah. not even two days. They had a, a 24 hours, maybe. And they had to go through every piece of video they ever shot of this guy. And it was just, you know, there were a lot of tears on the stage. And, you know, the you could tell the love they put into it and the work they put into it that they wanted to make that special, I think. You know, and then when the, the when they came back out of it, the fans saying he's got the whole world in his hands. And they did the fade to black on the empty rocking chair in the spotlight. And, you know, say what you want again about, and we do many times about the WWE's product, but nobody does better television. You know, that's that's their thing. And unfortunately, that's what hampers the wrestling a lot, is nobody does better television. But in this case, you know, you couldn't have done anything better. It was really touching and, you know, it was surprising, pleasantly surprising. And I hate to say that considering what we're talking about, that Terry Funk received equal billing with Bray Wyatt. Because like we said before, Bray Wyatt came up with a lot of these guys, although a lot of them were around Terry Funk at one point or another. And he is an industry legend. Great video, impactful opening. Michael Cole did a great job. They had Eric Rowan, Redbeard, former member of the Wyatt family up there. I hate to say you are happy to see someone involved with something like this, but, you know, it was nice to see him there for something like this. Yeah, does he... He doesn't even work for him anymore, right? I don't think so. I think the last time we saw him may have been something under the name Redbeard for AEW, either associated with Brody Lee or maybe the up upstate New York Buffalo show. I forget exactly what. But, um, you know, that's... again. Like you said, there's not really a lot of upside to something like this, except, you know, it was a, a wonderful tribute. It's about the best that they could have done, you know, on the video and with the opening of the program. You know what it is? It's something that matches the way a lot of the fans are feeling. And when you tune into a show like that, if they had just gone right into the show, which they wouldn't do, especially, you know, I mean, with Terry Funk, I don't know what how different the show would have been. I don't think they would have opened with a thing like that. Probably not. But with Bray Wyatt, who's someone that modern fans have watched regularly for a decade, it matched what a lot, at least from the feedback we saw, it matched what a lot of them were feeling. And I think it was the show they needed in a way. 
Yeah, and and there were obviously there were clips uh, and later on another video for Terry, and we'll talk about it. But through the that was the theme through the whole program. But I think they had to start off, you know, because if they'd have tried to start off with oh, and here's you know those you know battling munchkins or whatever, and then tried to get serious, it it would not have worked with the way the people were not only feeling, but the shocking nature of it and it had just having happened. So that was, and it, you know, for people, there are people in the world who are still not on the internet, bless them. And I hope to join you one day. And they may not have heard when they tuned in, they may have been, oh shit. So anyway, uh, then the, the program began uh, technically with Rey Mysterio and Grayson Waller. So we went from the sublime to the ridiculous. And imagine that, Rey Mysterio beat Grayson Waller, but Escobar and Theory got in a fight at ringside. So obviously these ill feelings are not over with. Did you, Michael Cole actually mentioned OVW in one of the transitions coming in out of the uh, break or whatever. So our former training center. Mm-hmm. Uh, did you did, were you captivated by EO Sky versus Zelina? I actually did watch it and I did enjoy it, yes. Well, tell us what happened. EO won, and because you didn't watch it, I'm not gonna go too deep into it because there's no reason to, but it was a good match. Well, good. WWE's go. women know how to work. I mean, that's the problem. When you watch AEW, you see a lot of women who want to work but just can't seem to get it down in a lot of cases. There's a few exceptions. WWE has women who can work. Io Sky is one of the better ones in the ring in the business right now. And Zelina, with the right opponent, can have a good match. Obviously, this passes your muster. Yes. All righty. Let's move along then to the Cody in-ring promo, where they got Cody to be the one, and he was the perfect choice, obviously, to honor Terry Funk with his live promo and told the story of hearing Terry call Dusty an egg-sucking dog for the very first time when he was a kid at the Denver airport. Um, and he put both Terry and Bray over as, and what did he say, cowboys in the best of ways. And did you like the little knock where Terry said, or Terry said, where Cody said not only did Terry go to West Texas State. He actually attended classes there, unlike a lot of other fucking... Yeah. Murdoch didn't even go there, and he got into the alumni game. Yes! that Well, that's been the rib for years, and for our younger listeners, West Texas State, because it was located in Amarillo, and the funks were so entrenched there, and wrestling was so big there, graduated... Okay, who was it? It was uh, Ted DiBiase. Tully Blanchard. Bro Tully. Brody, right? Uh, I think Brody. I think um, Kelly Kaniski, Stan Hansen. Yeah. And as well as both the Funks. Did Tito Santana go there? Tito Santana, I believe. And it goes on and on, but of, of all the most famous residents of Amarillo in West Texas, Dick Murdoch, he told everybody he went to West Texas State, but he never went to college a day in his life. And by the time he got finished telling the story around town, what was it, 15, 20 years later, he played in the alumni game. <laughs> That's amazing. 
So anyway, um, and he played well. I don't know why. I feel like I read somewhere he played well. Yes, too. yes, he could do everything. <laughs> he could do everything. He just didn't want to try hard enough to like do it legitimately. Um, but anyway, Cody, back to Cody. He put Terry over as a guy who helped others and brought him up to his level. And there was some nice, especially the seventies and eighties. Little video clips and the stuff from Florida. Where who'd they have? Um, it was all Florida, really. Well, it, but most of it all, was all Florida. But uh, Gordon Soley's son Greg, in, in those days, was the guy shooting film, and they have that slow motion shit that looks so cool from the house shows and everything. But that kind of brought back what we were talking about when we did the show a few days ago with Terry. That he was bigger and meatier when he was younger, and he had a more technical style, and then he slims down and becomes middle-aged and crazy and he's doing moonsaults and fucking chaos, whatever. But um, the video had some clips of Terry when he did a sit-down with him before the Hall of Fame and a lot of stars putting him over from Steve Austin, you know, on down. And, uh, you know, again, Cody was the perfect choice on this roster because of the family connection and his verbal ability to go out and and do that and that was a nice it was a nice deal until they introduced a in honor of terry funk a terry funk hardcore match yeah that's the only wrinkle in the whole thing cody did a great job and it's nice that wwe did anything i mean that's the nice thing yeah yeah. and then they do a whole video and they have the biggest baby face star in the company talking about him and then it would be like and here's the jim Cornette scaffold match yeah, and and or you know even actually even more because mine drew money. It it would be like the Jim Cornette fucking Delta Airlines fantasy pilot camp. <laughs> Jim Cornette will teach you how to fly an airplane. The brawling brutes and the street profits, or now are they the private profit. I've I've lost their name myself now. I've confused this. They were times, the street profits. Yes. Okay. You named them the private prophet. All right. Well, I couldn't remember what. <laughs> but they, they, neither, none of these people have the uh, experience in a hardcore setting, potentially, that, nor were they going to be allowed to do it as Terry Funk. So it's like me teaching people how to fly a plane. And I, again, that's the superficial view that people get of Terry Funk. It was actually just an excuse to have another hardcore match. But, you know, apart from that, it was a wonderful tribute to Terry Funk. They were almost there. As a tribute to Terry <laughs> Funk, we're going to have a Texas death match. Then you would have been like, okay, I don't know why these guys are having that match, but at least that's a Terry Funk match. Not a generic use anything around ringside match. That's not well, really... but, then, but then who would have had the Texas death match and been able to figure out how to work that? Cody. Cody versus Dustin. Uh, he's not there. He's not there. The zombies. The zombies. Oh, that she's not there. Yes. Yeah. The but I can tell Rod you she, <laughs> I can tell you about the way she moves, the way she acts, and the color of her hair. Well, it is the time of the season, Jim, here <laughs> as we talk about the Brutes and the Prophets, and uh, did you have any other comments about the Terry Funk Hardcore Memorial Tag Team match? I'm telling you, no, 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 I'm telling you, no. Very good. 
no, 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 no. There are fucking six people now that are blowing snot. And they're all music fans are over 60. If you don't mind, can we get back to the Odyssey and Oracle that is SmackDown? All right, L.A. Knight entrance with everybody standing. As soon as they play his music and here he comes, they stand up now. Because probably because they're sitting for most of the show these days. I think he's one of the things that people who attend these shows look forward to. I mean, this is what it is at this point. They look forward to participating in whatever a top guy is going to do, whether it's sing their music or say their catchphrase. He's one of the guys people look forward to being a part of his show every week. Instead of we're going to have to sit here and listen to this guy talk to us or at us. Hey, here comes one that we can fucking talk or sing back to him so we can get up off our ass and do something. Fucking blood clots are forming. Anyway, the reason why I like this is because even when they've started pushing L.A. Knight recently, they've been sending him out to just do his his shtick about another, just uh, with everybody saying an L.A. Knight and pointing and yeah. And this time he was actually talking about an issue. He's in an issue with somebody. He's pissed off at the Miz and all of that uh, stuff that's been going on. As, after he put Bray Wyatt over, uh, he started out kind of serious as a serious L.A. Knight and then transitioned to the promo with The Miz, but now he's getting in an issue and he has something to talk about. So he's not just... The catchphrases, yes, are great, but it would have gotten old if that's all they were letting him do was come out and say the catchphrases and leave if he says the catchphrases in the middle of a promo where he's doing new stuff every week or every time you see him. Then that's will just swell, right? So he's he's doing a good job at at least on the grading curve that we have now in wrestling. He's doing a good job of sounding like a wrestler mad at another fucking wrestler, which is refreshing. People are into him, and it says a lot that they had the top babyface in the company, Cody Rhodes, go out there to do the tribute to Terry Funk. Again, to set up something else, but a nice long segment. And they had, I guess, arguably the top babyface on SmackDown. L.A. Knight come out here to talk about Bray Wyatt, who, you know, for all the talk about no one came out of a feud with Bray Wyatt for the better, one guy did. Yeah. <laughs> L.A. Knight. Yeah. He's the one guy who actually, you could say, in a way, got made by that feud. Maybe, to the, maybe to the people backstage as much to the fans. Well, it was, it was a combination of the fans feeling sorry for, they're just killing this guy that we kind of like. And at the same time, I get—I think that you're right. The people in the back, whoever they may be these days, the movers and the shakers, they were like, well, fuck, I guess this guy will do just anything we fucking tell him. And the people still aren't spitting on him. So, you know, maybe there's something there. It, wrestling works in mysterious ways. And speaking of mysterious ways, the main event on SmackDown, suddenly from from us saying not that long ago, where's L.A. Knight? We can't see L.A. Knight now. L.A. did the live interview, and then he's in the main event with Finn Balor, who now, Brian, help me. I'm being led to believe by what I read on the interwebs 
And you know that that sometimes is valid and sometimes not. That the that priest is the one they're going to boot out of the judgment day instead of old Finn here. I saw it more as priest is the one who's going to get a big push coming out of the judgment day imminently, as opposed to being pushed out of the judgment day. Well, but I mean, whether they should or should not be broken up is a completely different thing. And I don't think they should, at least him, Dominic and Rhea, I think Dominic, do we still call him Dominic? Dirty Dom and Rhea, they have a thing going on. You need to call him Dominic. You need to have some respect for Mr. Mysterio there. That's right. He's been in prison. But I think that's what it is. It's not. Well, I'm not saying they're going to boot him out and he's going to be selling fucking apples on a street corner. I'm saying that somehow Priest be the one out of the Judgment Day and Finn stayed. Does that mean that little J.D. Funko McDonough comes into the Judgment Day? Now, what the fuck? <laughs> is it, it, it's, it's like Rhea and Dom, this wild, kinky couple with their fucking nerdy friend Finn and his little fucking you know, odd cousin. Now it, it's, it was the group of cool people. And Finn kind of worked cause he was standing next to all the cool people. And now it's going to become, I don't know the fucking Adams family. The fuck is going anyway, back to SmackDown. <laughs> so Finn and LA Knight, and it was action. They kept it moving. I don't have a problem with Finn Balor's, work he's a, a professional he's in great shape i just think i don't think he fits the picture of this gothic super group and you know now they're doing a thing with la night he's he goes out and it's a genius because again all these other motherfuckers are taking these super paralyzer canadian pile destroyers off the top rope through furniture and L.A. Knight's got it over where he goes, takes the guy out, and runs his head into the flimsy, like, fucking salad bar shield on the announce desk. And that wouldn't hurt anybody. And he just keeps running their head into it. And the people go, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's more reaction than people being stretchered out on a spatula. And then finally, uh, they, you know, got into it. Heat, come back. L.A. Knight's power slam, the L.A. elbow, got a two count. He got his leap to the top and super superplex in and hit his finish one, two, three over Finn Balor. And even the announcers, I believe, even said something to the effect of this may be the, you know, the biggest singles victory or whatever in L.A. Knight's career. So, yeah. Yeah, I don't know yeah. what else to say about it. I mean, I didn't think Finn Balor was going to win. I thought that L.A. Knight had the win. I didn't did. know. I didn't think it was going to be that that elementary, my dear Watson. That he did, boom, here's here's my finish. Boom, one time. Thank you for coming. But it shows they've got confidence in L.A. and Finn's involved in other shit. What about the overall show though? With a show with this tone, would WWE just want to leave people with a very simple happy ending? You know, probably because, and then after that match, I should mention that then they did the deal where all the lights go off and the power goes out and they closed the show with the lantern lit in the, you know, the rest of the place in darkness, which again was great television. I'm not saying that, you know, I expected a Mid-South wrestling angle at the end. I'm saying it shows they really got a lot of confidence in LA night that there wasn't more 
I'm not saying th- 13 people running in or juice or whatever, but, you know, some more complicated fashion that L.A. Knight's going to beat a guy of Finn's stature. But they just, boom, here you go. I'm not arguing with it. He needs to get over it. It didn't hurt Finn. Well, that was SmackDown, and it didn't hurt us too bad. It certainly didn't. But I'll tell you what, Brian. Here on this program, my program, and I am going to tell you about one of my new friends. I've got, I've got royalty, Brian, royalty for a new friend of mine. Have you heard of the DraftKings? They're, they're kings yeah. of draft. It's, I mean, it's a, they're, they're <laughs> royalty. At first, actually, I thought that it was a, a, a brewery, uh, but then I was informed that no DraftKings is a sports book. It's fantasy sports. It's the official sports betting partner of the National Football League. And if you're official, then you know you got something going for you. And right now, DraftKings has just come on board here on the program to spread around a lot of money. Apparently, they got a lot of money because they're they're giving away, Brian, $200 if you give them $5. Now, I don't know how they stay in business doing this, but it's an amazing opportunity that I wanted to bring to all of the members of the Cult of Cornette. Say that again. What do they do? If you give them $5, they're going to give you $200. Really? That's exactly what it says right here because they've sent me their brochure. You know, I've I talked to the to the head king over there, and he sent me the brochure. And apparently, you know, I'm not much on the football, but apparently NFL season is right around the corner. Have you heard about this? I've heard they're about this. They're yes. doing it again this year. Apparently, it did well last year, and they're going to do it again this year. The National Football League is having a season, and apparently, from what I'm told, once they start this shit, it goes on and on. It's practically nonstop. There's football all over the fucking place. Well, it's going to stop. It'll stop by February. Well, but it's nonstop until it stops. That's right. Because once they start, they 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 jump in with both feet. Until the break They're of dawn. They're not just... The, the, the beat don't stop. They're not just dipping their toe in the water on this National Football League season thing. Once they start playing games, they just start playing games all over the place almost That's every right. goddamn day, it seems like. It's not going to disappear off the map like that XFL garbage. Well, there you go. See, you heard about them, and then they're gone, and you don't know whether they're coming back. And But this in this case, the NFL, they're pretty serious about it. And DraftKings are their official sports betting partner. And right now, this is what I'm telling you, how you're going you're gonna to make 195 bucks here. Because right now, new customers can bet just $5 and get $200 in bonus bets instantly. So that's, that's what's going to... And then all you, all you have to do is bet correctly. Because after all, if you're going to put in $5 and they're going to give you $200, then you got $205 on the game or games of your choice or the people or players of your particular preference. And all they got to do is go out there and do their job correctly and you're rolling in dough. You're farting through silk. Or maybe incorrectly. I guess you could bet against them. Well, if you think there's some kind of fuck up, then I would encourage you to bet against them. Do they have fuck-ups in the NFL? 
Oh, they practically invented the fuck up in the NFL. Well, good. Then bet against those son of a bitches all of your $205. Because again, folks, that's it. Nobody's missing out on the action this season because all DraftKings customers can take advantage of two new offers every game day this September. So if there's a day that there's a game in it, they're going to have two new offers in September. Wow. Back to school. So not only, well, there you go. It's fun for the whole family. Well, no, 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 no. It's, it's fun for adults. Let's be clear about this. It's fun for adults over the age of 21, I believe. Well, I thought you were an adult when you were 18. What does it say here? I think there's different uh, different methods on this in the different states. Well, age, depending on what kind of county or whether right. you're in a commonwealth or a... I'm receiving word right now. It's uh, 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Okay, well, you've got that word in now from your headset. That's right. And then what if you're in a, in a parish in Louisiana that's different than a county? Ooh, good There could point. be some Catholicism involved. But folks, once again, if you're a new customer, you can bet $5 and, and get $200 in bonus bets instantly. If you're a regular customer, and everybody should be, I think you should do this constantly every day of your life because you'll, you'll get rich quick. Um, moderation, if if, ladies if and you're gentlemen. A, if, do everything in moderation as long as you binge on it. Um, no! Every, every customer can take advantage of two new offers every game day this September. I don't know what they're offering. I don't know what their morals are. It may be fun. They may have an offer that you can't resist, but li they, they say life's more fun when you're in on the action. What kind of action are they going to give you? It depends on what they look like. But right now, and they, I mean, the people who work for DraftKings, because they have to pass a, an appearance test. They no. have to be attractive before they can Not true. entangle you in their web of you know, sex and sin. <laughs> Again, not true. You just, you just went completely off copy now. But you can download the DraftKings Sportsbook. Yes, you can, ladies and gentlemen. You can download the DraftKings Sportsbook with code app, JCE. App, app. Oh, app. 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 You can download the DraftKings Sportsbook app before kickoff. Yes. Do it before kickoff, or elsewise there will be a penalty. They're going to kick and us off. And then there will be a flag on the play. But right now, folks, what? how do you, There's. is there a website? No, you download the DraftKings Sportsbook app, preferably before kickoff, as, as we say, and then you use the code JCE. This is how you get your money, folks. <laughs> use the, that's what they've been waiting on, how to get their fucking money. <laughs> You'll use the code JCE to get $200 in bonus bets instantly when you bet just $5 on any NFL bet. Only on DraftKings Sportsbook with code JCE. Now, is that clear? Use the code <laughs> JCE to get $200 in bonus bets instantly when you bet just $5 on any NFL bet but only on DraftKings Sportsbook with the code JCE where you've downloaded the app before the kickoff. That's what you need to know. That's correct? right. The crown is yours. Well, it depends on whether you want to wear it or not. I think you win the crown even if you decide not to wear it. <laughs> 
Oh, so they're going to send you money and a crown. No, it's a metaphorical crown. There's no actual crown they're going to send them. Well, what if, what if I've, I've got a real head? I need a, a real crown. I don't have a metaphorical head. Well, if you close your eyes in your head, you could dream the fact that you are the crown winner. You don't need the crown to be the winner of the crown. Uh, I'd rather have the crown jewels. Uh, now, there's additional copy here. This is in red and in capitals. Are we supposed to... <laughs> Is this a disclaimer of some sort that we are allowed to... You know, I'm actually not even sure. I think it's part of what they definitely want read yet. Well, it, it seems like because there's almost there's everything around long. it but flashing neon. <laughs> it's red capitals <laughs> with asterisks. And it's highlighted. And, highlighted so <laughs> let me just buzz through this real briefly here and folks by the way DraftKings Sportsbook download the app before the kickoff use the code JCE $200 in bonus bets when you bet $5 on the NFL gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.1800gambler.net in New York call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY parenthetically 467-369 in connecticut help is available for problem gambling call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org sounds like a power company please play responsibly on behalf of boot hill casino and resort parenthetically <laughs> ks is that in kansas i thought boot hill was in missouri 20 20- what are these people at Boot Hill doing coming back to get us? 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. There's where we saw it. Void in Ontario. Void in Ontario. Most people are. Oh. CCDKNG.co slash football for eligibility. What I did I have a stroke? CCDKNG.co slash football. For eligibility terms and responsible gaming resources, bonus bets expire seven days after issuance. Eligibility and deposit restrictions apply. Order before midnight tonight. No, it doesn't say that. <laughs> Chicago, Illinois, 60609. No, it doesn't say that either. We would like to welcome DraftKings to the yes, show. Yes, we'd like to say hello and goodbye. <laughs> no, hello, they no. must be going. No, we want to say hello and welcome aboard, and we look forward to talking about your drafts and your kings much more in the future. Who are the kings involved in the draft? I didn't think you could get drafted if you were the king. If you're already the king of a country, how could you be drafted to serve in the military? I wonder if there was like a ceiling fan company that had to like fight them for the copyright. Like, we're the Draft Kings. We've been the Draft Kings since 1911, and our father built the first fan. No, because, no, because draft has a bad connotation in in terms of the wind business. Right. Because you don't want a cold <laughs> the wind business. Well, if you're in the wind <laughs> business, if you're in the air circulation industry, but we we here in the in the in the uh, business, call it the wind business. But the air circulation industry, you don't want the cold, drafty hallway. No, you want breeze. So they would be breeze fans because you'd want a cool breeze to cool you off rather than a draft to make you well, sick. Well, you do but want now to... now you don't want to be drafted in the armed services, but the draft kings... Yes. 
Well, what kind of draft are they? They're neither a bag of hot air nor the military service, unless these kings indeed became commissioned because they served in the military of a particular country. And then, where is the draft kings located? They're in Boot Hill. Where they have a sports book. Well, that's, that's different than being in, like, King of Prussia, Pennsylvania, where I mentioned that communist enclave. So who are these... Who are the who drafted these kings and how were they commissioned? We need to find out more about the people we're doing business with. Well, we will continue the investigation and talk the to the NFL because episodes. they're the official sports betting partner <laughs> of the NFL. So they got they obviously did the vetting. Once again, the code JCE on the DraftKings Sportsbook app. And with that, we will see DraftKings next time here on the show. But Jim. This is your show. (laughs) Oh, Kasman, don't start fucking transitioning all over me. We want to talk. We're going in chronological order, right? Is that what we're doing? We don't have to. It's up to you. Well, we're going to. I could. If if, you want, I could turn the time machine on. If we know, goddamn, don't skip us ahead of you. You know, I don't have that much more time. I'm going to be 62 in a couple of weeks. Stop skipping me ahead. If you need to, turn me back. If I could turn back time. Oh, no. Oh. If I could find a way. You kind of sound To like go that. back to the territory days. You going to wear an outfit with your ass hanging out, too? Hey, I had the ass for it back then. <laughs> I asked, It would have hung out everywhere at that point. <laughs> I, I lost my ass in the wrestling business. But anyway, right. should... chronological order, I believe. Chronologically, it was. <laughs> yes. A collision happened on Saturday night. And uh, yeah, so we got more Fighter Fest. And this one, they finally they gave up. They You can tell now what the pecking order, the importance is going to be because they had to be in Londinium on Sunday. So they couldn't do live collision on Saturday night in the United States. That would have been a little a little difficult. So they taped this past Saturday, August 26th, collision the same night they did that stinky fucking dynamite that we just talked about, I believe, somewhere earlier in this marathon edition of the program. And this was even more... They just, they gave up. They said, fuck it. If they, it's going to be Saturday night. If they ain't bought it by now, they ain't going to buy it. We don't have time. If we only had time, we're going to do a lot of pre-tape shit. We're going to do some short matches, get some people, some wins and give them a main event. Get the fuck out of here. Was that basically the, the feeling you got of this program? No, I felt like it was dynamite part two. And then the last 45 minutes, it was collision. Well, that's another way of putting it. I think we're we're in we're in concurrence and agreement that this was not a stellar offering from the uh, collision folks on Saturday night. It didn't feel like collision. That was no, the it, issue. yeah, it it was. We didn't get the pre tapes. It went straight to Elton. They didn't have time to do that. You know, these guys have for the past fucking year, they've only worked one or two days a week. They get a busy week, and nobody can bring them in and say, "Okay, we're we're having a pre tape day. Where we're going to get these fucking." Two or three pre-tapes for the open of the program. Uh, Kevin Kelly and Caprice Coleman were the announcers. Nice to, because Nigel had obviously gone across the pond in anticipation of the event. Caprice did great. He's very good. He's yeah, very he's good really in a completely good. different way. Yeah, really good. 
But then, as we mentioned, it looked like dynamite because the first thing we see is here comes old Jungle Jack who is going to have an eventful weekend, which, well, don't worry, folks, we're going to get to it. But it hadn't happened yet as of this. He comes out dressed as the douchebag that he is, and he's got Stooges carrying the FTW belt on a giant platter with the flowers. I don't know what. It's the funeral service for the belt. He's going to bury the belt tonight. And the ring's set up for a funeral. What do they call the thing that they were carrying that the belt is on with the flowers? Is that a funeral? It's not a pyre. That's when you're going to fucking burn something. A funeral dirge is music. It's a funeral something or other. I'll get it. Funeral pyre. Come on, baby, light my belt on fire. <laughs> so it looked like a cheap raw, and he started giving the eulogy for the title belt, and my comment was that this kind of segment needs somebody with a lot more personality than Jack Perry to carry it off verbally. Was that? Would you concur with that, or do you think that because he has made strides from no personality to a semblance of one, that that's a step in the right direction? He's made strides when he has the sunglasses on. It really works well because he looks like who it appears that he may really be. And the talking is the issue because he doesn't have the voice for it. No matter yeah. what he's saying, the voice is part of the problem. Well, it's not only the voice, but the conviction that is not within the voice. Even if right. he was right. still sounds like he's fucking going through the fucking awkward phase that Jerry Mathers went through when Beaver Cleaver's voice started changing and he sounded more like Foghorn Winslow. <laughs> Stop me before I sub-reference again. It, 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 it does, he doesn't have any conviction. He's just saying it, right? He's a bad actor. But anyway, um, he, he fake cried and they played a video of him in ridiculous poses with the belt that's been a part of his life. And then he goes take a sledgehammer to it. And all of a sudden, when he's going to take sledgehammer to the belt, the hook video appears. He's doing chin-ups with his back to the camera and a menacing voiceover. And then they cut back to the ring and Hook's standing in the ring behind Jungle Jack. And he beats up Jack Perry and suplexes him through a table, puts the belt on top of him, and walks out. So, it, it hook, it, Hook's exciting. When he shows up, something fucking happens. But, um, but that's what happened. Whether the lights go out or music plays or a video plays, the heels just stop anything. The guy's about to smash the belt. He stopped what he was doing to watch this video. Let me stop what I'm doing. This may be an important message. Yeah. Let me hear what he's going to say. This is an important message from the National Weather Service. Did Hook, sh did Hook show up and I like hand him the video, play this, and then I'll sneak up behind him? Like, how yeah. did that work out? Well, obviously, Taz, who is oh, uh, yeah. an announcer. Yeah, good point. Obviously knows the production crew, and whether he wants to, to admit it or not, he is obviously engaged in some type of concerted effort. Maybe uh, they could get him on Rico. He's, he's involved in a conspiracy with the sound guy and the, the technical director, the director and the truck, and so many more. You know, for someone who's not a big guy, he's in good shape, but he's not a big guy. Hook carries himself like a big guy, and that makes you forget about it. And, it, you know, it, he's committed to what he's doing. It's not often that you see him 
He's he's the stone face. He's not the laughing and joking. What was it Dusty used to say? When everybody's in the back laughing and joking, I'm going to be in the ring, baby, cooking and smoking. And speaking of smoking, smoke is now rising from the yard because my gardeners have showed up with a great variety of power implements that are going to drive you and the rest of... For the all-in review? Really? The Arcadian Vanguard Network completely out of their mind. We're on an odd day. Can we time travel again? You want me to turn this on? Quit it. Stop it. Just uh, act like they're not there, ladies and gentlemen. (laughs) So anyway, they did an MJF and Adam Cole package. And then we are treated on collision to the site of Pockets, our little puppy Pockets coming to the ring. And that's where I said that they've given up now. It's a bad Wednesday night show. And we got Pockets and Penthouse and Eddie Kingston against the Butcher, the Baker, and our little friend we haven't seen in so long, Cute Pip Sabian. And they went into an immediate six-way and went to the floor. And so I said, I'm not going to watch a garbage match involving jobbers and mascots when we got all this wrestling this weekend. So 14 minutes of television time later, it was over with. Except they came back from a break. And now not only are Pockets and Penthouse and Eddie Kingston still in the ring for a promo, but they've been joined by the Puddin' Gang. So they are determined to drive the viewers away. The, our little island of, of, of legitimacy over on Saturday night has now been invaded by the Lollipop Guild. And the people that have gone to Saturday to get away from that, now we have no no recourse, nowhere to turn, nowhere to run to, baby, nowhere to hide. What is wrong with Muffin Top Taylor's face? Does he have the heartbreak of psoriasis? Has he been performing felching on a fucking jackass? Has Has he had his face farted on by a zebra? What the fuck is going on? I didn't know that would be one of the, uh, suspects here but i don't know this is the first time i've noticed eczema acne i don't know what exactly it was but it was so noticeable it almost looked like he was burned like his skin was like really badly sunburned or something it looks like he was on his hands and knees crawling up behind trent's mom's minivan trying to put a potato in the tailpipe when she hit the fucking gas you know what the problem is the best friends are the one remaining tag team from the original crop of aew like the indie tag teams that the Young Bucks wanted to work with and brought in. They're like the last remaining ones because Tony fell in love with them. And Tony got a kick out of them and the stuff with the mom and the van, put Orange Cassidy with them because Tony loves Orange Cassidy. It keeps these guys around. But boy, as soon as you see the best friends on your TV, it's death. You just want to do anything else. And I did. I watched the, uh, the game that was on. Well, I, but you missed one of the great quotes. In all of wrestling history, imagine this, ladies and gentlemen, and then we're going we're to move on here very quickly, but you got Pockets, you got Penthouse, you got Kingston, you got the Puddin' Gang. They're doing an in-ring promo on what's allegedly a national fucking television program. And these, and Trent says with a straight face, in, these are the baby faces vowing revenge on the fucking heels in the 
bad garbage match they're going to have at Wembley, the football field fuckery contest. And Trent says, you sons of bitches broke my mom's van. And was acting like he meant it. I say you should work like you mean it, but the material has to back you up. Anyway, the BBC pop up on video and say some things, and Kingston freaks out and runs to the back to find them, but he couldn't. He couldn't find where they were shooting the video, so he bullies a cameraman and cuts his own promo just in the back, yelling at, at when he was just in the ring with other people doing a promo. It, it was all almost sad in terms of the, when you watched, you watched a professional television production organization on Friday night do those tributes, and you watched this malfeasance of the broadcast arts. It was jarring. And then we had another package with FTR and the Buckaroos. And then did you enjoy the next tag team confrontation there, playa? I don't know. What was the next? I don't remember. From memory. From memory. What was it? From the next. It was a tag team. Conf- oh, the tag team. I, I skipped this match, too. This was the um, the Dark Order. Little Brutus and Long John Silver of the Dork Order competed against Action Andretti and Darius Martin. Remember Action Andretti, the next great superstar? Okay. So then after that match, in the back, and they graphic this from last Wednesday, they had Darby Wayne, or Darby Wayne. Darby <laughs> Wayne. Darby, they had Darby Allen and Nick Wayne standing there, and A.R. Fox is on the other side of them. And A.R. Fox gives the apology and the explanation. And normally I don't go into this much detail on a pre-tape, but God damn it. He gives the explanation and the apology for, for what he did, turning on Darby and trying to murder Nick Wayne, leaving him in a pool of his own blood to bleed out at his fa- dead father's own gym. And A.R. Fox says, I, you know, when I lost that match, I, I just panicked. I thought everybody lost faith in me. So I just basically, <laughs> because he lost a match, he panicked. He thought everybody lost faith in him. He turned on his longtime friend and he stabbed this kid in the fucking head with broken glass. So I turned to a life of crime. I turned to a life of crime. for three. I turned to three weeks of crime. But now... I'd like to apologize. I'm so sorry. I'll do what I mean. He's got his hat in his hand. He's got a lot of shit in his hand. Hat, dick, everything's in his hand. And, and he's standing there apologizing. And Nick Wayne looks at him and then just walks off. And as he Dar- should, as he as should, because he, he says to him, he goes, I can't do anything to change any of that, but I can give you my word. Yes, I can give you my word that obviously is is good since I just turned on yeah. this guy three weeks ago I've known for 10 fucking years. Nick Wade's smart. He said, fuck this, I'm out of here. <laughs> but he, but the thing is, he walked off. It, it was bad acting when he walked off. I swear to God. The kid's in over his head. He's still too young. He's got that mope face. And instead of any body movement or changes in expression or some type of 
angst that he was going through. He just he took his cue and just 45-degree angle walk off. And then Darby Allen says, hey, I love you, man. And he hugs A.R. Fox. <laughs> this is the best character in AEW, guidance counselor Darby Allen. Because <laughs> that's what it is, right? He's the guidance counselor to everyone now. <laughs> Oh, Brian, we've we've known each other for all this time, but next week I'm going to break a fucking glass picture frame of your dead father over your fucking head and puncture an artery, and three weeks later I'm going to apologize. I expect you to take my hand and shake it. If Jim Cornette did any of those things and told me the reason he did it was because he panicked because he lost to Orange Cassidy, I would believe him. (laughs) I would believe you. (laughs) I'd believe you with that reason more than A.R. Fox. Uh, By the way, the life of crime would have continued. Swerve Strickland turned on him. Well, that's true. Yes. He didn't say I've had enough of this in your evil ways. It's three weeks is enough. He said, wait, what? (laughs) Don't do this to me. That's what he said. That's right. He didn't even tell Swerve told him get the fuck out. So now, of course, he's coming back with dick in hand to beg his former friends for forgiveness because otherwise he's goddamn pariah because you can't trust this son of a bitch. He will stab you in the back in a heartbeat and then have you arrested for carrying a concealed weapon, even if you're a friend of his. All right. Every feud, it's either guidance counselor Darby or everyone's fighting over who's friends with everyone else or the best friends are upset because something happened to their mom's minivan. Like when we say it's all friends wrestling, it's like become that. It's become what the parody is in terms of every one do of these you, feuds is some like childish feud. Do you think that Tony also, when he was a kid, he wished that his mom carried him around in a minivan instead of the chauffeur with the limo and the whole nine yards? And and that's why he likes the the minivan thing. Because he always hey, wanted to be in the minivan. And we could have had been in the minivan with my mom and she could have taken us to Dairy Queen to get ice cream. But instead, I had the chauffeur and and the fucking partition, the bulletproof glass and the partition was up where I was isolated until I got back to the compound at the mansion. That's when you'll know they're desperate when they introduce the evil chauffeur as a character. <laughs> like, I'm the secret 50% owner. Your dad gave me everything. <laughs> I was recording <laughs> all those All those secret conversations your family had all those years ago, and now you'll give me money. All right, so speaking of giving us, giving them money, we certainly wouldn't for the rest of this program. We had an acclaimed music video in a gym and a parking garage. This was great. Did you watch this? Not really. This was great. This was one of the best things the acclaimed have done in as long as I could remember. It was getting back to how they got over a clever, well-done rap video, great lyrics, you know, for wrestling-related stuff. Really well done. Best thing I've seen with the Acclaimed in a long time. They couldn't afford a goddamn location. They had to just do it out in the back of the building, though. It worked. What location did you want the Acclaimed and Billy Gunn to be at? <laughs> a different one besides the one I was watching at the time. <laughs> they were outside a hospital. Oh, oh well, that makes all the difference. <laughs> long as they're outside the hospital. Big Bill wrestled Buddy Morales, Pedro's illegitimate grandson. The guy was five feet two and 135 pounds. So yes, the size difference was even more marked with Big Bill. But at some point, 
just for the visual, can these guys please not look, please look like athletes and not look like children with, you know, the fucking rub on tattoos that wandered in from the county fair in the parking lot. There are way too many people in wrestling, both guys who have good pushes and guys who are just like this appearing on shows who have really bad tattoos. Yes. I'm not saying all tattoos look bad, but some of these people, I don't know what they're thinking, and it's not pleasing for the viewer. Well, but really, this guy, there wasn't much space on him to begin with, and anything that you could cover up about his appearance, I would vote for, but it just it didn't work. And then the 9 o'clock hour was Willow Nightingale against Robin Renegade. Are we just going to fucking roll over and show them their uh, show us their belly and play dead? I mean, what? And that just was followed two, up. Two Go things. Ahead. One, clearly this was an episode where I don't care what they say. It's almost it felt like they gave up yeah. this week. Secondly, Willow Nightingale's good. And I've never seen Robin Renegade and her twin sister at ringside before, but they were not bad. This match went longer and was more competitive than it probably should have been. But Willow's one of the unique women wrestler personalities that stands out. One of the few in AEW you could see on a WWE show, I think. If you close your eyes and think about it, she's good. I'm not saying she's not. But I'm saying at the 9 o'clock hour, where you're trying to go for Steve Austin in the ring with The Rock, instead you get, you know, The Undertaker tombstoning Mario Savoldi or whatever. Mario Savoldi. Or Angelo, or <laughs> Jumpin' Joe, or any of the other family members. Uh, Keith Lee is dyeing his hair again, and uh, he wrestled a guy named Vicky Dice. Zicky, they said. Vicky, Vicky Zicky? No, Zicky Dice. Ah, well, he's very icky. Here, talk about another one with some tattoos. Um, so yeah, that was that. That was all right. You know what? For, again, he had tattoos all over the place. It looked like a modern day Don Fargo at the end. But, <laughs> you know, he had, you know, he was. Except Don was tougher and had a better body. But, you know, he looks, I guess maybe because he's older and he's been through shit. He looked like a wrestler. He kind of was yelling at him and you stopped and you said, who is this guy? And then he got his ass kicked. But he didn't do bad. Keith Lee's most interesting thing was leading the fans in a sing-along. I'm surprised they remember to bask in his glory. What has happened to him? I mean, all this stuff swerves now mixing with all these main event guys on these shows. They're trying to do something with him. They never did anything with him and Keith Lee to really pay off. There must be a reason for that. Keith Lee's barely on these shows anymore. I, and then he just I, randomly shows up on a tape collision for a squash match? That's what I hesitate to say anything because I'm, you know, if he does he have health issues? I know he had health issues at one point. But if he's got health issues, one would think that would preclude him from coming out and doing bad four-minute squash matches um, as well as doing anything regular. So I don't understand, you know, but again, I don't want to say anything just in case, but... Jesus Christ, shitter, get off the pot. Did you see what was next? The video. The... Who is... Somebody has decided that they're Quentin Tarantino in that company. 
and they're making everything look like some kind of bad art house fucking cinema production. Lucha Underground. Is that what that looked like? Because I didn't ever like watch it. That's what it looks like to me. Well, did they have any refugees from that off-brand mud show promotion seeking shelter here in AEW, or what's going on? I'm not sure what's going on. What did we see here? Was it a murder? So what it was? No, it was a, a, actually a mass murder. Because if if there's over three people killed, that's a mass murder, right? Is that what the qualifier is? I, I don't know the qualifier. You would know about mass murder qualifiers better. Well, I've tried to read up on it just so I can skirt under the fucking limits. But from what I understand, they had the video of the kidnappers that kidnapped Preston Vance. I know who who who. That's not an owl you're hearing. That's his name, Preston Vance and some lucha guy that was with him. And they kidnapped him and threw him in a fucking van last week. This week, a very stylized, artsy-fartsy video of the kidnappers beating these guys up while they've got bags over their head. They're tied to chairs. It's the classic, you know, movie-type beating, right? And then suddenly, and bear in mind, this is Preston Vance and some fucking lucha guy. I don't know who the fuck this guy is. He's got a mask on, all right? They've been kidnapped. They've had hoods thrown over their heads. They're being beaten by a room full of perpetrators, gangsta-looking individuals. And this is, again, Preston Vance, who had never won a goddamn wrestling match in his life on this show. And another guy, we don't know who the fuck it is, and they elude their bonds. They break the fucking rope. They get up and make a comeback. And in some kind of goddamn bad kung fu movie scene, they beat up and kill the kidnappers, all of them, and leave them laying in pools of Hollywood blood. They let the cameraman live. They let the cameraman live to tell the tale. They learned that from our friends, the DraftKings, up on Boot Hill. And then the last scene is Jose, the assistant, blurry, so you're not supposed to know who it is, but it's obviously him, in silhouette, opening a door with light behind him and applauding, doing the slow clap. Like, I knew that you would be able to overcome this. This was the first of the tests that I'm putting, or whatever the fuck this is going to be. This was the phoniest-looking fucking shit I've ever seen on a wrestling program. And on this program, in this company, that's saying something. And it's not going to get Preston Vance over. And it's not going to help any of this stuff. None of this matters. This is just like a vanity explanation vignette series for stuff that's not going to get over. Somebody's a friend of somebody, so well, let's do something with so-and-so. They've got an idea. And and Jose, he knows a guy with a camera in Mexico. And, I mean, this is how this shit comes together. You can tell. We just talked about a goddamn network quality television production facility that can do massive tribute videos in a 24-hour turnaround, and these fuckers are all film school students that think they're going to be the next goddamn Kill Bill Volume 14. All right, is it time for our main event? Now it's time for Collision. And Collision started with Samoa Joe doing an in-ring promo. He's the king of television. I remind you, as he reminds us every week, as he should, to get something over. 
And the deal was that he can't interfere in the main event tonight or he's going to lose his match at All In with Punk at Wembley. So he's going to do color at ringside and not interfere in a match. And it's, again, he's got great delivery. And he gets it, how to present a fucking image and how to get shit over and verbally and make shit seem important. Imagine that. So he goes down and sits at ringside to do color with... I wasn't sure who was goddamn wrestling in this match for a minute because it's Sting and Darby and Hook and Punk, but the entire heel roster came out for the match on the entrances. Their opponents ended up being Swerve and Brian Cage and Dino Douche and Jay White, but they had both Gun Boys and Christian and Juice out there at ringside. So it was a little confusing at first. But anyway, at that point, we had a goddamn, a real wrestling match involving some level of talent, and they tried to be serious about it for the last 20 or 25 minutes of the show. Like you said, Collision suddenly broke out after Dynamite Part B. And it was nice to see Terry Funk forever on Punk's wrist tape. But, um, but anyway, you know, again, it, it was a good match. It wasn't to the level of the recent collision main events, but on this program, you couldn't argue, but they got some heat on Punk. Punk got the tag to Hook. He made a comeback. They stopped him. They got some heat on Hook. Hook cold tagged Punk. Punk got a comeback, did the Hogan ear cup, and the fans were booing him there because they're on a Wednesday night crowd. So the little buckaroo bonsais had had bought the tickets. So he had fun with that and milked the booze. And then everybody hit something over and over. And then finally Punk got the go to sleep on Brian Cage, but got the Kakina clutch that Joe uses for the tap out. And as soon as that happened, Joe said, gentlemen, correct me. Is the match over? Yes, boom, and he's off, and he's in the ring. And it's a, it's supposed to be a big fight between Punk and Samoa Joe, and Perry came out and jumped hook at ringside. Everybody got in a fight, but the camera, to be honest, was on almost everything but Punk and Samoa Joe, and they're the only money issue in the whole thing. So we saw a little bit of their fight and a lot of everybody else blathering around the ring. And that's pretty much what we got out of out of colliding with with when collision collides with dynamite. It's a popcorn fart. You know, we haven't talked about the ratings for collision in a little while. I don't have them in front of me right now, but they have not been good the last few weeks. And whether it's running against a WWE pay-per-view or the upcoming preemptions, I worry about this show. I mean, if you look at that collision main event, that was a lot of the what has become the normal collision roster. Jerry Jarrett was able to make it for a little while with like a roster of nine people in 79. <laughs> Not everyone could do that. There has to be an influx of some new energy, I think, or just some new personality on the show. I don't know what or who though. And, and that is, and, and I've seen on Twitter people saying over the last week, well, why didn't you say something about the rotten collision rating? Well, we did say something about the rotten collision rating SummerSlam weekend. We skip one week and people are up in arms. 
They did not come back last week for Collision, the week after SummerSlam. Um, And that can be usually attributed to football or whatever. In this case, there was apparently not a big football game, but there also, that was the week, there was nothing advertised in the way of CM Punk having a match or involvement, and that's the first time that that's happened. And that, as we've seen, plays a part, I would think, in the number because whatever quarter they put Punk in, people seem to find him, and there are some that's just going to watch for what he's doing. And conversely, as you said, when when either a football happens or the monthly premium live event from the WWE that you know, takes up a lot of the, what, at least as we saw, a couple, several hundred thousand, well, several, a few hundred thousand of the viewers, you know, Saturday night program is going to be the one to, t- to bear the brunt of that. Wednesday, for the foreseeable future, is going to do the same thing, I think. Again, it's going to start about where it's been starting, and it's going to drop 20 25% over the course of the show. It will be interesting to see, which so far it has, Collision, no matter where they start or where they finish, it's kind of steady. They just need more of them, and they need a, a more... A lot of people were saying Saturday night was such a crummy night for television to begin with. They've proven they can get 600000 700000 on Saturday night. They just need to do it uh, regularly, and... The, the preemptions and or the conflicts with other major programming are a bigger detriment to, your, to a wrestling show's viewership than just the night it's on. If the wrestling fan wants to f- watch it, if it's on the same time, same day, same station, he'll find that. But if it's bounced around or there's similar programming in opposition to it that's not a regular show but a big pay-per-view, once-a-month event or whatever, that's a little bit more problematic. Well, like this coming week, WWE Payback is Saturday night. AEW All Out is Sunday night. So you would think Collision would be a big show leading into the pay-per-view event. I don't know, uh, is it live in Chicago or is it taped? I got to double-check here. But right there's the problem. WWE is running a pay-per-view right against it. Well, and again... (sighs) Also, the collision was putting up a string of great programs to establish that's how you get over. When you're a great wrestler, a great tag team, not a gimmick, but the, as we used to say, a great working wrestler, a great working team. Repetition, seeing you constantly, always having good matches, delivering, that's the way that type of talent gets over. Collision was being regularly featuring good matches, great main events, and a serious program, and that will develop a following, but only if it's consistent. And so inconsistency, in terms of this week being a throwaway show, who knows what's you know going on in the future with some of these other programs that are up against pay-per-views, they need to still keep, for the viewers that are sold on the program and that are dedicated and are going to watch it regularly, they need to keep producing for those people as well as so that the word can get out that if you watch on Saturday night, you're not going to see the fucking, you know, trampoline cowboys. You're going to see the wrestling program. 
they can't back up on that by putting pockets on a fucking show just because they're all in the same locker room or it destroys the the only appeal that Saturday night have has is that punk is going to be on it and it's the wrestling show otherwise it's just another program from AEW and lord knows we already got plenty yeah, I mean, I thought Collision was going to be AEW's attempt to cater to the fans that don't necessarily think pro wrestling gorilla is cute. And that's what it typically has been. But when you have an Orange Cassidy on there and the best friends and that kind of stuff, and all of a sudden the Mexican cinematic drama <laughs> segment and all these things, it's not the show we were promised. It's not the show that, even if you want to say it wasn't a promise, it's not the show that it's been when people have been raving about it. And we heard from a lot of people that said we saw... What was happening and we turned it off. So it'll be interesting to see how the ratings are for this week, but that was AEW Collision. I hate to bring this up because it may, it, again, you were a very young man. You, you've heard about it. I mean, you may have heard about it at the time, but the full impact of it may not have registered on you as a eight-year-old child or whatever the fuck. But when Turner Broadcasting had bought Crockett Promotions, become WCW. Jim Hurd was in charge, and they had a bunch of people in the TBS corporate offices that thought, well, they could come up with ideas to sell that, that wrestling show they got now. And they did the mini-movie for the Bash at the Beach pay-per-view with Vader and Flair and all those guys where they had the midget in the scuba diving oh, outfit. Yeah, Cheatham. That wasn't the the bomb on the boat. That's right. It wasn't Flair. Let's take him out of that. It was Sting and Davy Boy versus Sid and Vader with Harley Race and Colonel Robert Parker. Okay, I'm, and I'm sorry. Flair was on the episode of Baywatch out on the beach. I was seeing him on a beach. But nevertheless, the midget blew up the and they showed the boat blowing up. The midget blew up the boat as part of this plot in this mini-movie that was a uh, what they thought was a promotional vehicle for the pay-per-view. Instead of It didn't have any wrestling in it. It had guys running around on a boat and on the beach. And the midget that blew it up. And the fucking wrestling fans, universally everybody that watched WCW said, what the fuck are they doing? That was one of the big happenings that started turning well not started they were already started but really turned a lot of the old nwa and wcw fans against this fucking whatever the fuck they're doing to our wrestling program the fans were offended by what the suits were doing to their wrestling if that happened 30 years later do you think that now with the way that the the wrestling fans have basically given up hope and they've made new fans that think it's all supposed to be silly. I guess what I'm saying is, would the midget that blew up the boat have been the next indie wrestling darling getting booked by everybody in the fucking country? Maybe. It depends on his price. I think a lot of fans would pay to take some money on the boat or next to the boat or the remains of the boat. That's what it would be today. But I don't know. But, but again... That was what main eventers. I don't know if anyone's going to want to take a picture of Preston Vance and the other kidnappers or dead kidnappers, whatever was going on there. But once again, that was AEW collision. Well, what's going on when you collide 
With the wrestling news and the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network this fine summer week. Another action-packed week in professional wrestling, so of course another action-packed week on the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network. Get information about all the shows on Twitter, at Super Podcasts, or on Facebook at facebook.com slash Vanguard. A few notes. Of course, the wrestling news. Your daily free wrestling morning newscast has just celebrated its first anniversary as a podcast, as a podcast delivering free wrestling news to you each and every day. Subscribe today, wherever you find your favorite podcast, Arcadian Vanguard's The Wrestling News, or get it directly from thewrestlingnews.com. Wrestling news you can trust. It's dependable. One full year of proof of that. The Wrestling News. How old is it? One year old. The podcast. Happy birthday! Well, thank you very much on behalf of the uh, Enterprise. Also this week on the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network, a few special notes. Breaking Kayfabe with Bowdrin and Barry returns with a special Terry Funk tribute episode. Get it today at BowdrinPod.com or look for Breaking Kayfabe with Bowdrin and Barry wherever you find your favorite podcast. Also a Terry Funk tribute coming up this week on Shut Up and Wrestle with Brian Solomon. Check that out wherever you find your favorite podcast or get it at suawpod.com. And of course, the 605 Super Podcast, The Mothership! (whistles) Go through the archive today at 605pod.com, available wherever you find your favorite podcasts. The Mothership! Hey. Yeah. Yeah, what? Well, I know somebody whose stomach is upset after the weekend's happenings at Wembley Stadium. Do you think old you think old Jungle Jack Perry? What is it? F A F O Fuck Around Find Out? Is that what the kids are saying these days? I didn't know the kids were saying that, but I believe that is what that is. Well, he fucked around. I don't know if he's found out yet. It seems like it's hard to teach these kids a lesson. Yeah, he fucked around, but then Tony rewarded him by giving him a Saturday morning show. Well, that's true. And and also, uh, he was able to leave the show early because <laughs> he didn't have to wait for five more hours till the main event was over to get out of there. Uh, now, old Jack Perry was asked to leave the premises after getting uh, reprimanded, I guess, again, for his behavior by CM Punk. This was reported pretty much as the first match was going on. As Punk was in the ring, he was already... 1 and 0 in backstage skirmishes for the for the afternoon or the evening whatever time it was over there. You know when I saw the first report of this, I thought it was a joke. I didn't yes, think it was real because of the timing. What one would think, but again, it it is a joke. It's a joke that this cannot be controlled. It's a joke that Tony has lost the plot on getting his EVPs and their little fucking play friends in their clubhouse to just stop, to just quit. And uh, for those of you who have not been on the internet, we reported here a week or two ago, and it was all over the place, that old Jungle Jack Perry wanted to tape a, a brawl with Hook here not long ago at one of the tapings, that would involve getting thrown through or slammed through a car window 
with real glass in it. And apparently now that the, the story has come out more fully and we understand what was happening, there was several people before Punk got to the building that day that had already told old Jack, no, we don't want to do that. We don't have any gimmick glass. No, no reason to take that risk. I've, I've heard of Tony Schiavone was one of the people that told him that. I've heard that the, the new director, producer, head of television production, can't recall his name, but he told Jack Perry, no, we can't do that. Somebody else involved in talent relations may have been, you know, one of the uh, uh, office people, whoever, several people had told old Jack, no, we're not going to do this. And he's like, fuck you to all of them. I'm going to do it. And that's why they all came to Punk when Punk got to the building and said, would you tell this guy we don't want him to do this shit? So apparently Punk had to be the one to tell him not ask him, we wish you wouldn't do this or please don't do this, but say, no, we're not going to fucking do it. You've been told you're not going to do it. Are you going to do it now? Apparently not. And so Little Jack got his panties in a bunch over that. And on the pre-show of All In Wembley, which added another, I guess, two hours to the four-hour pay-per-view, so it was a six-hour presentation altogether there, Old Jack is working with Hook, and they're having some type of garbage match. What was the rules of this thing, Brian? Because I, I saw the clip of the incident in question. I didn't watch this whole match, because why? But what was the rules? They were they were in the entrance way fighting next to a car. I watched this and I don't remember because I didn't have the commentary on what the rules were. I think it may have been like a street fight, maybe. <laughs> I don't Anything know. Anything goes? Something goes or nothing goes. A Wembley street fight. So they're they're fighting in the entrance way next to a car. And then old Jungle Jack looks at the camera and pats the windshield and says, see this? It's real glass. Cry me a river into the camera and then goes to suplex fucking Hook on it. But Hook turns it around and suplexes old Jack through the windshield. It didn't bust all the way out. It's it's the, you know, windshield glass. So it broke everywhere. And you could see that it cut the guy, cut Jack on his arm. You could see him bleeding when he when they staggered back to the ring. Uh, but he just wanted to prove that even though that he was told by people representing his employers, various people in charge of various things, that he shouldn't do it, and then he was told by one of the big stars in the company, of which he is not one of those, that he shouldn't do it, but then he gets over there and he said, well, I'm going to do it anyway and I'm going to make sure that this fucking guy that told me no is suitably chastened for restricting my artistic creativity. Hey, the bigger issue is since the story got out, did Tony tell him no? Well, nobody even said Tony was there at the time. I'm saying the for, the se for the second time for doing it at the stadium. I thought that's what you were talking about. Oh, no, I'm, I'm saying that all these people told him not to do it the first time. It has not come out whether he bothered to tell anybody that they were going to go through the windshield this time around, or whether this was just something he was going to do and he was going to tell the camera because he knew that Punk 
was on first on the pay-per-view. It was the next match, and he'd be back there within reach of the monitor, standing by like a good professional waiting to go out so they didn't have to run and look for him. And you didn't do justice to his voice because you made it sound like, because again, like his I voice. I made it sound like he was a grown adult man, didn't I? Yeah, his voice is part of the issue with his promos, but it was like, real glass, cry me a river. Yeah, and cry me a river. And he's also 137 pounds. But I have to think they have a car out there. There's no way he's doing that spot without someone giving pre-approval. And there's a car out there. You have to expect it's going to happen, too. Well, but the, the question is, is anybody supposed to go through the windshield or are they just supposed to slam their head in the fucking door? Or were they going to start it and run over somebody? We don't fucking know. But point being, childish bullshit, right? From the children. The same group that we always hear from. Same the locker children. room. Same, Same locker, locker room. room. So, and now that the Cucamonga contingent had been heard from, they go ahead and finish their match, does Jack and Hook. And then, apparently, from what we are, were told, from what we are hearing that has been reported, Jack Perry, and I can see, you know, if one guy's coming through Gorilla, the other guy's standing there, you're going to pass, right? So Jack apparently comes through and either the story was confronted punk, but either said something smart ass and or bumped him as he went by him saying something. And then at one time, the story was that punk then punched Perry, but that was quickly modified to no, no, no. A lot of people are saying he choked him. Now, this has brought images to mind to people on the on Twitter, apparently, of that punk reached up and grabbed the guy in a rear naked choke or a front head chancery or something and choked him out on the floor. I don't believe this to be the case. I've not heard. We don't know yet. But the first thing when I thought, and I'm envisioning this kind of confrontation where this little fucking cocky ass wipe after he said that right in the fucking camera where he knows the guy's going to be watching the monitor and then he comes through gorilla, whether he said something or whether he just shoulder bumped him on the way by or whatever, I think punk goozled him. And that would be the, the normal reaction to me would be to goozle the fucking guy and tell him what the fuck you have a problem with. I don't think... People, huh? people may not know what the term goozle means. Oh, good Lord. He grabbed him by the goozle pipe. Um, <laughs> he, imagine you're going to choke slam somebody, ladies and gentlemen, and the first move is to reach out and grab them around the neck. But normally you wouldn't do it if you're right-handed. You wouldn't do it with your right hand. If you're going to, and that used to be what the boys would say, well, I had to goozle that guy. You grab him around the goozle pipe. If the guy is up in your face, he's close enough, you got a problem with him, you're mad, but at the same time, you either don't want to hit him, you don't have room to fight, you don't necessarily think it needs to come to that right now, but a point needs to be delivered. If you're standing in front of the guy, you reach out with your left hand fairly quickly, and snatch that motherfucker around the neck with your thumb on one side of his neck and your fucking fingers on the other side of his neck. That means his goozle pipe, his windpipe is in the middle 
and you squeeze. And while you're squeezing, and if there's a wind, a, a, a wall behind him, even better yet, because then you're squeezing and pushing, and you got him pinned up against the fucking wall, and that's where you can get in close, and you can relate the message to him that you want him to hear while you're looking in his fucking eyes and telling him what's going to happen if he doesn't have the proper goddamn attitude when you let go of his fucking neck. That's when you goozle somebody. That's what Ron Harris did to Shawn Michaels in Madison Square Garden. That's what the Sheik did to that fucking collegiate wrestler that wanted to try him that time in the back of the Kobo. That's what I can't imagine anybody in the wrestling business at one time or another hasn't goozled somebody, whether it be fellow co-worker, fan, or fucking potential employer or representative of same, or just... If you're out somewhere, I mean, you've goozled people in your goddamn daily life, haven't you, Brian? What do you mean in your daily life? Like, if you get into you've, a fight, you get into a fight, you do all sorts of things, but in your daily life? No. No, you, you've never goozled. <laughs> Have I ever put the banker against the wall by the throat? No, I haven't had to do that. Well, that's... Well, My lawyer would, does that. You would be a, a, an odd standout in the wrestling business, at least up until the last 20 years or so, because I can think of about... 12 to 15 people at various instances over time that I have had to goozle to make a point to. But anyway, um, that's what you, and I, I bet that's what punk did. He fucking goozled him and he put him up against a convenient wall. And he said, you little motherfucker, I got to go out and work now, or I would have more time to fucking go into this with you, but you probably shouldn't be here when I'm fucking come back. Something like that. I mean, you know, whatever. I have not seen any detail about him goozling him. Where are you getting this? Somebody said he choked him. I, th I saw a front face lock. Do you, I, I, do you think he got him in a front face lock? I don't know. I didn't, I didn't, I just heard choked him. And I'm thinking, well, that would be an odd place to just go for the UFC stuff right there. I would think you would just, with that little prick, because what's Jack Perry going to fucking do? What's he going to fucking do? He should have thought about that before he started running his dick liquor. But if I was punk, I would say, I got to go out for this match. I'm going to fucking goozle him. I'm going to tell him what I think of him. And I'm going to fucking leave the door open to rehash this later on and go out and have my match. So that's what I thought. That's what I could envision happening. And again, we don't know the whole story because Sean Ross Sapp was the first one with a kind of a detailed story. And then Miro said it wasn't true that he was there, but Miro didn't say what he saw. And there's, you know, the punk side, and then there's the other side. Everyone can agree there was a confrontation and some bumping. Jack Perry was asked to leave the building. If you're Tony Khan, and you are about to begin the greatest day of your life as a wrestling promoter, do you appreciate the fact that Jack Perry started this shit? No. No, I don't. But at the same time, I don't know if Tony will will realize that he's continuing to let these jackoffs do this or whether he just thinks this is stuff that happens and there's nothing he can do about it. I, I don't know yet whether, you know, fire the fucking little goof. Send a message. Look, I don't care if y'all have a problem and you want to talk about it in the back, then that's fine. We'll all sit down. But at next person that does shit on the air, I'm firing them, just like I fired Jungle Stooge. Get it? 
That would that would send a message. Either fire them or make them work together. That's the other thing, because now everyone knows this happened. Everyone knows. See, I think that's what hurts the Bucks. When people see the Bucks now, people know that CM Punk kicked their ass. They know that happened. And they know that there's never going to be any working retribution. Now, here's another guy. No one is saying Jack Perry came out of this for the better. Everyone's saying it's a confrontation. And one way or another, Punk schooled him. Whether it was goozled him, or whether it was say fuck you to him, whatever it was, something happened. People are going to know about it. You either have to do something with it, or what's the point of the whole thing? Then you have more people on the roster who can't work with the biggest single star on the roster. Well, but the thing, is anybody clamoring to see CM Punk versus Jungle Jack Perry anyway? They could make it mean something. I'm not saying, I, I'm I not saying on the face of it anyone's demanding that match. Certainly not. I think we're stretching it to say that you could even make that match a try. Would that be the best use of Punk's time and effort to try to drag a match no. and money out of Jack Perry? The argument wasn't whether it was the best use of CM Punk. It certainly wouldn't be. So I, I would make guys work together when, you know, with the, with the group of the elite, I'm sorry, the elite versus punk at ftr that you could get money out of a shoot instant that happened out of that but just but, he, but even punk jack, versus perry i'm not saying punk versus jack perry the main event all out although i don't know who punk's working with it all out we'll see what happens do we know who's working it all out it's it's only fucking five days away there's miro versus powerhouse hobbs there's uh ruby soho versus statlander there's another darby versus luchasaurus i think or darby versus christian one of the two, but I was saying something, goddammit. You were saying that we ought to make these guys no, work together. I was saying it doesn't have to be the main event of a pay-per-view. It could be a three-week program on Collision, because Collision needs shit like that. I don't know if Collision needs Jack Perry. You get what I'm saying. Yeah. You hate I Jack mean, Perry. I... You hate Jack Perry. <laughs> I mean, it just, it's ridiculous at this point. This guy's had every chance in the world, and he underperforms every time. He's the anchor around everything's neck. You know, in the, the four pillars deal, he's a good underneath mid-card babyface that gets sympathy selling against a veteran that'll keep him in line. Otherwise, he can't talk. He's obviously got an attitude problem. And the thing that... Maybe this is the problem. Maybe you're like the, you know, average person in the locker room these days that's never been goozled or never goozled anybody. There's not enough goozling going on. These kids are, are in a fantasy world that where they're all actors performing, you know, with friends instead of in a goddamn business where it's predicated on fucking heat and violence and people that get out of control, and if you fuck with somebody, they're going to goozle you. They don't expect to get goozled. <sighs> the solution is not goozling anyone. Let's be very honest about it, and that wouldn't work, and that would cause a lot of problems for the company. So there has it, to be well, something else. But here's the thing. The solution is not to goozle people, but also part of the problem is is that there is not the belief there's not the threat there's not the trepidation that if they keep assing off that they will get goozled and again that's a systematic problem with aew well the the thing is you need to know that there is potential goozling 
that's going to take place if you run your fucking pie hole about somebody enough. And then you either you either want to continue running the pie hole and risk the goozling that you believe you can handle, or you want to fucking shut the fuck up if you don't want to get goozled. But again, this goozling, whether it was a real goozling or a metaphorical one in terms of some sort of discipline, why would anyone there be afraid of that? What's been done to show anyone that there's any discipline for anything? Punks goozled a couple. Well, he didn't, See, no, he didn't goozle least. a couple. He punched one. Like you're, you're using goozle now as okay. an overall term for things. Well, uh, the, goo- the goozle, the, 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 the overall catch-all phrase of goozling. He goozled the Bucks. He goozled old Jungle Jack. Kenny got goozled in the way of, of goozling by A. Steel. Why don't they just stop talking about him and just continue with their own other nattering about everybody else behind everybody else's back? That's the other thing we haven't even talked about, just the stupidity of Jack Perry. Why are you doing that? Even if you were going to do the spot, say nothing. Why would you do that? Like you said, he has to know punks nearby. He knows what the schedule of matches are. I mean, that's why I think Jack Perry was the first one sent away. It wasn't just because Punk was working that match. What the fuck is he thinking? He's not thinking. They think they won't get goozled. That's what he's thinking. That's what kept order in the wrestling locker room. Not only the camaraderie, not only the nature of being a family, a brotherhood, but also the fact that most of the guys in the locker room, if you dicked around with them long enough, would fucking goozle you. And you had to, in turn, be ready to do the same thing. And that kept everybody from goozling each other. A lot of the goozling you've seen were because of things off camera. When it's something like this in a high-profile way, and again, enough people know the story that everyone immediately went to thinking he's talking about CM Punk when he said it. Does that change yes. things? No, because well, no, it was obvious. That's, that changes things for the worse. That exacerbates him. He's being obvious. He can't even say it's it's the, what do the kids call it, passive-aggressive, where you're too much of a fucking gutless pussy to just tell somebody, fuck you, so you say nice shit to them that means the same thing? He's just fucking around. Fuck around, find out. Tony Khan has announced an investigation into the matter. <laughs> at the uh, media scrum after the event. He couldn't comment on it. He admitted that there was indeed an incident without naming anyone, but said that he can't comment any further. Uh, it is under investigation. Luckily, Inspector Jacques Clissel <laughs> was able to immediately take care of the issue. All right, well, and uh, by the way, it was indeed... Hold on, let me find... I've scribbled this number down. I'm sure it will be ingrained in everybody's memory. It's in here somewhere. Where the fuck is it? God damn it. 80, hold on. Where did I... Ah, 81,000. How many pages did you use for this? Jesus. Well, 81,035. A new world record at Wembley Stadium on August 27th for the biggest paid attendance in the history of wrestling of all time, anywhere that we have been able to verify. And all the people who aren't on the internet are going, wait a minute, that doesn't make sense. They had 93,000 at WrestleMania 3. And 100,000 at Res... Because AEW is announcing shoot numbers, and so many people believe the WWF's work numbers now that they sound, again, like idiots for telling the truth. You say so many people believe it. Guinness Book believed it. Yes. They, you know, and 
they like they're like Trump. They just said bullshit so long that people believed it. They still do it. I mean, it's not like just for WrestleMania three. For every year's WrestleMania, we hear about what they announced, then we hear about the legitimate number, and then we hear about the comps, then we hear how many people they think could possibly be working in the area <laughs> of the building. You know, I know Brandon Thurston at WrestleNomics just did a study attempting to count the seats at the Silverdome based on photos to see how many could possibly have been in there, even if they sold every ticket. So there's still so many questions about that. And with All In, give Tony Khan credit. This is something to brag about. In an era where WWE is constantly announcing one record after another, AEW debuts in Europe and England with the biggest paid audience ever. And they're, according to Tony Khan at the uh, press scrum, they think it was in the neighborhood of 90,000 people overall in the building. Well, and, and again, they should have said that. They should have said we have 81,000 whatever paid, and with our comps and boxes and et cetera, the crowd is 90,000 or whatever it may have been. They couldn't get a record if they did that, I guess. The record was about the paid audience. It wasn't about the overall amount of people in the building. Well, but still, it's if you've got the record for the paid audience and you've got another 10,000 people in the building, you might as well mention them too, for heaven's sake. No reason to be modest at this point, Brian. But it, the only thing I had to think when I watched this was, do you think at some point, either in the lead up to this or if somebody makes him watch it or at least look at a clip, if Vince says, why the fuck didn't we do this first? And then somebody would else would turn around and say, Vince, you wouldn't let us. Because they've been screaming up there a big show in England or whatever. They did the clash at the castle finally in Wales or wherever. Because they got a bunch of money from the the government. But they, you know, the the reason why Vince never wanted to do pay-per-views over there, because the time difference, especially WrestleMania, they always catered to the North American market. But do you think now he's thinking, well, fuck, we could have done this. Tony Khan has announced that the preliminary pay-per-view numbers were the biggest numbers in over a year. With an afternoon start time in, on the East Coast. So obviously it did not have a real negative effect, I don't think, on those pay-per-view buys. And that was, I always think, Vince's biggest concern about running the event from over there. Well, but remember this now. That's when pay-per-view buys were in the several hundred thousands or 500,000 or 600,000 or 700,000 or whatever the fuck. Now that, I mean, I'm not doubting this is Tony's biggest in a year, but even, especially with Peacock, the WWE doesn't really do particularly pay-per-view numbers of any kind anymore. But we're down now to the people that are going to order the wrestling pay-per-view or not the the people during the Attitude Era that ordered it and have 10 friends come over and get pizza. It doesn't matter what time of day it is. They're going to watch it. They're going to record it. They're going to stream it. It's down to the, what is it, 100,000, 150,000 that are going to watch no matter what time it's on or what day. You know, and another thing is, remember, Cena just teased it just recently at that show, WrestleMania in London. WWE's already teasing going down the path of trying to get it subsidized, which is what they do now. They have different right. towns bidding on WrestleMania, and then they get a whole bunch of breaks for it. 
AEW didn't have to do that, and I got upwards of 90,000 people in the building. Well, see, and they already announced a return date for next year. Tony Khan said at the scrum afterwards, he wants this to be an annual bank holiday event in England. Okay. Uh, slow down, cowboy. I mean, you know, here's the thing. This is the first time they've ever been to the United Kingdom. Next time will be the first time in a year. You get a law of diminishing returns. This time, this was an incredible, bizarre gift that people just made a happening, made the Woodstock, as we talked about. With no card. No card. It, you know, and again, could Austin and Rock have done that 25 years ago if they'd run Wembley Stadium? Of course they could have. But this was a happening that you can't rely on to be an annual thing. I think he he should look at his what are the the open the tennis uh, tennis facility they got up there in New York. What is it? The Arthur, Arthur Ashe. Yeah. First year they sold it out twenty thousand. Second year they came back. Well, they did what they do. They did ten or twelve thousand. Maybe a bit more than that, but not as much as the first night. But I understand this year they're coming back again fairly soon, and I understand they're in the single thousands. Because it it's not the first time ever anymore. It's not special anymore. You have to work harder. You have to have a more intriguing attraction or a better main event, whatever the case. And, you know, I think it's going to be eye-opening for Tony it, that... Can you make money if you run Wembley Stadium and you draw 30,000 or 35,000? That's a third of a house. Can you still make a profit? But here's the thing, they don't need to make money. He's pro- and most of the things that have happened have happened for Tony because he doesn't need to make money for the first time in history. Somebody got in the wrestling business not needing to make money. And I don't mean the guy that had Six million bucks from his lottery winnings. I'm talking about that does not need to make money for years. He he got a hundred million dollars and he started a company and we've gone over it. He because of that money and because of the connections that his dad already had, he was able to do all these things and bless him for being a promoter. He's still a lousy booker. But it it wouldn't. It won't always be this easy because you can't do things for the first time over and over. And my God, again, if anybody thinks this is specifically because of AEW and what they've done or haven't done, then just reflect on this. This, you're, this show was bigger than Londos and Lewis, than Thez and Leone, than fucking Bruno and Zabisco, than fucking... Austin and Rock, then every big major event that's ever happened when millions more people were watching wrestling than they are right now, tens of millions more. This was a fucking aberration made by current day market conditions that I don't believe you can make an annual event. Maybe I'll be wrong. Again, they had no card. If they come back next year, they have. Omega Punk, if they have Osprey in another high-profile match, because the British fans liked Osprey, 
If they have a good card, this was a event with no card leading into it. You had to guess what it was. The matches were still coming together. Hook Jungle Boy was announced the night before on TV. So there was still stuff coming together. If you had a good card there, and people all seemed to have a real positive experience, they made a whole day out of it, obviously. Again, if they don't kill the market, it's not crazy. England's different than Queens. <laughs> In <laughs> a lot of ways. England has the Queen. Yes. Um, well, and that's true. And uh, again, you can look back to the 90s. When Vince's business domestically was in the toilet, they were constantly touring Germany, the UK, Kuwait, I remember. Uh, sometime, especially every year after WrestleMania, the guys would go over there for like a week and a half, two weeks. And sometimes they'd have two different tours in different countries at the same time. They, they plumbed that well because they, it was newer then. And the people, they were drawing thousands of people every night in these little towns in Germany or whatever because it was novel. And that carried them over until they could get their domestic business back again. But that's the thing with, with Vince, with the time difference and the big shows, Wembley worked out for SummerSlam 92. But now that there's, you know, less emphasis on selling the pay-per-view and more about just getting people to watch Peacock, and there's fewer people overall that are watching and more, they're more motivated than ever before to watch, I, don't, I think you, we're going to see them do something over there as quickly as they yeah, can. I think they're going to want to be able to one-up Tony on this announcement. That's, a, that's the kind of thing that, for whatever reason, matters a lot to those guys. They're going to want to be able to announce that they have the biggest paid audience ever. Tony's coming back to Wembley next year. It's going to be very interesting. Very, I mean, he was... At the media scrum, it was a different Tony Khan. Still a little nutty, but more serious. Wearing a suit, his hair is still a mess, <clears throat> but a more serious Tony Khan. And I think a lot of it was understanding what just happened. And it is incredible what happened. And he's going to try to do it again next year. And we'll see how the British people take to it. It's going to be very interesting. Well, let's see how they took to what they did already at All In. I like that they opened the show with at least give me some reason to continue watching. If they'd opened it with some of the matches they had, I would have mentally shut down. But we got the real world championship on the line first out of the gate with Samoa Joe versus Lack Mussolini, Goozle Jack Perry. Oh. So the fans were singing. <laughs> And the big, it's clobbering time. He, Punk got a big ovation. And again, you heard a lot of people singing the song because the UK wanted, wants to see stars. They're deprived of the live events as we've talked about. So they're there, the fucking atmosphere, people ready to fucking scream and yell. And they reacted to Punk. And then as soon as the match settled in, they got firmly behind Joe and started booing Punk. And it, you know, and he worked with it. I was glad to see Jim Ross on the show, and he sounded better and more energetic than we've heard him in a while. Yes, and he crapped on all the stuff I was mentally crapping on watching yes. it, and it made it made Jim Ross the highlight of the show in a lot of ways for me. 
Yes, because and when know, he left the show, I should have left the show. <laughs> that's that's the thing is he was you know when he'd say I never understood this when two guys are doing something completely stupid, um, but he sounded better and more energetic. Of course, they switched out. If you're not paying attention and you miss the start of the match where they switch out the announcers, then you're disoriented because whose voices they had everybody on this show at one point in time. Taz was out there. Jr. Sockface was all over it, and he was especially unbearable, as one would imagine, being as he was, I'm sure, creaming in his pants to actually be doing something that he's not very good at in front of that many people. But the the besides the uh, Nigel's great, and plus this was his environment. Punk came out with a shaved head and the short tights, and <laughs> at the bell there was a big chant for Samoa Joe. Uh, I'm enjoying this because I didn't know at the time I was watching the match that he had just, Punk had just had a skirmish with somebody, but it just seemed like he was having more fun with being booed even than normal. And he, when he's doing the Hogan ear cupping and he's just giving the people the look and and encouraging it, do you think now he was thinking, you know... I've just had another one. They'll probably start yelling at me when I go back there again and I'll fucking go home again. So fuck it. I'm going to come out here and have fun with Samoa Joe. You think that's what was going through his mind? Again, the news was breaking as this match was happening. And I thought yeah. it was a joke at first. Cause I was like, no way. Come on. Can't be every year at the same weekend or the same time period every year. And I think he knew. And I also think he's working with a guy he wants to work with, a guy he's going to enjoy working with despite getting his ass kicked in the match. And how do you not enjoy that kind of crowd reaction? And uh, there was a bit, oh, I know you love the, uh, he did the Terry Funk tribute when he got hung up in the ropes and got bounced up and down, up uh, upside down. And then Joe did the thing where he walks off on a guy that's trying to do a dive on him and got a huge pop for it, and then grabbed Punk and ran his head through the front of the desk. So Punk came out bleeding and had good juice. And again, benefit of being on first before all of the indie-rific outlaw fucks get a hold of the ring and bleed for no reason that won't make any money. And then they were still having the match where Joe gets heat on Punk, and Punk sells big, but fights from underneath, even though Joe was the babyface for the fans. This kind of match works because Joe can't and really shouldn't sell as a babyface. And it's still Punk. It works for Punk, regardless of whether the people are behind him or not, when he fights from underneath, in this instance, against a big guy like that. So, blah, blah, blah. Finally, Punk makes a comeback. He milks the ear. He hits the leg drop and gets a one count. And that was great. And then Joe starts hulking up. And the people are coming up. And they do the finger pointing. And <laughs> again, it's a little homage, a little tribute, but it wasn't over-the-top silly. I'm not sure everybody actually picked up on it. I'm sure a lot of people did. And then... Joe does the jabs, boom, 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 and the power slam, and then they're back and forth. And again, Punk does another Terry tribute with a spinning toe hold. We brought that back. And then finally, as Samoa Joe is going for the 
Muscle Buster. He nails Punk, and Punk falls to the apron. Joe tries to pick him back up to give him a superplex, but Punk foils that and hits the Pepsi plunge off the top rope. Boom, one, two, three. And as soon as they hit the music, now there was a big reaction again when Punk gets his hand up. Okay, they're they're working. They're working with him through the match. We're going to boo you. We're going to cheer Joe. But we appreciated all of that, and we're glad to see everybody's here. And then they cheered, and they booed, and they sang, and they did all the things they wanted to do. But at least we started the show with a fucking wrestling match that actually had a story and an angle behind it, and there was no superfluous gaga, and it got over. What'd you think? Really good match. Can't add too much more to what you said. Really good match. I like the look of everything. The ring ropes were lighter than they usually are. The ring aprons were lighter. I watched Collision after this, and everything was so dark. I mean, obviously, they have to darken a lot of the arena because of the amount of people there, but the brightness, the changing colors, and the tones. Now, were you using products from CB Distillery at this point in time, where the, the, the colors had such richer hues, and the sound, it was so quadraphonic, and then... You know, maybe that's what it was. It wasn't that, and now we're fine friends at CB Distillery. Don't give you anything that makes you see colors, ladies and gentlemen. That's not part no, of you, the deal. You, you hear the colors. All right, well, this isn't... You, a, ought to, you ought to hear blue, I'll tell you. Well, what I was going to say is I think it made a big difference, especially for a show in that building with part of the show at least being open air or partially open air. It looked more like a WrestleMania than a Dynamite. Yes, and uh, just because of the sea of people on the floor, if nothing else, because you never see that anymore, uh, was, you know, it, they were so deep, and, and they was deep and wide. But anyway, so it was a, a good way to open with Punk and Joe. Where are we going to go from here? You know where we need to go from here, Brian, to match number two. And do you remember what that was? <laughs> <laughs> they front-loaded the show. I remember being surprised it wasn't uh, the tag match show. What was number two? Well, it was the six-man with... Oh, uh, that's right. That's right. With, with you know, the, the all the friends. You got Twinkle Toes, and you got his friend and golden lover cohort, Kota Ibushi, and you got a hangnail page that he's a friendly guy that takes up for his friends. I think this may have been the match where Jim Ross asked the question, why is everything golden? Yeah. <laughs> you know what? I guarantee you nobody has yet told Jim Ross that their tag team in Japan was called the Golden Lovers and their finish was called the Golden Shower for fear of what he might say on the air. Or he might just stand up and throw his hat yeah. down and walk out. Or he may participate in a Golden Shower. You never know. Hey, but anyway, uh, actually... You know that actually was, that was a, what that, that was a best-selling novel. <laughs> what was Golden Rivers by I.P. Freely, a famous author. That uh, I thought you were going to say that, Jim Ross's Golden Showers was no, a no, no. That was that was a video. But and then, <laughs> Mama Cornette used to say that right next to Golden Rivers by I.P. Freely was the novel Under the Bleachers by Seymour Butts. Mama Cornette so, used to say that. Mama Cornette used to say that. Hangnail Page, Adushi, and Twinkle Toes against Gin and Juice and Take a Shit. So we didn't get Gin and Juice against FTR in another classic or even a banger. 
we got them wasted in this, and this was the start of the the modern style of wrestling. Juice Robinson is animated. He makes Twinkle Toes and Hangnail seem exciting when he's in there with them. He, it, it's movement, it's personality, it's fucking, it's sound. Different. He said he's sound. always saying something. He's always uh, antagonizing his opponents. So I just wrote down just a few highlights of this match. So Adushi stood there and let Jay White hit him 12 times with forearms that he didn't sell a one of and asked for more of them. That's where JR said, well, I never understood this because it's stupid. So nobody would. And then Jay White took a bump for one kick from Okoda. So the full-time guy gets leveled by one kick from this plump, unimpressive part-timer, but the the full-time guy can hit the part-time guy 12 times in a row, and he just, oh, give me some more. That wasn't enough. And then Twinkle Toes got in, and everything suddenly was 100 miles an hour and a lot of wasted motion. And uh, Take a Shit and uh, Ibushi then got in and traded forearms that nobody sold, and then everybody jumped in and derailed the heat that they had going on on Twinkle Toes. After his dives and everything, they stopped him. They started to get some heat on him, but then when everybody came in and started their own fight, that was useless. Knox is useless as a referee, the corpse referee. I wrote, take a shit is the best of every single one of their Japanese talents, and it's not even close. He's a star. I wish somebody could get him under their wing, under their booking, make him a real wrestler, Pinocchio. Uh, so then Kenny tagged Hangnail, and he made a comeback of rushed, sloppy dives, and then everybody did some more stuff. And then Kenny and Coda tried to do their stereo moonsaults, where they run to opposite sides of the ring, jump over the top rope, and flip onto... Two people that are standing there motionless watching this happen. And Coda slipped off the rope and fumbled his footing and had to do a backflip off the bottom rope, which that was interesting. And then the fans chanted, Golden Lovers. And then every babyface in the match beat up poor old Jay White by himself. And then they each started pairing off in the ring one against one to do stuff with those people while the other ones disappeared until the cue for their next move. And they were just kind of doing stuff and it went a while longer. And then Kenny hit two of the heels with knee lifts and take a shit school him one, two, three. That, I mean, there was really nothing, nothing else to say about it. Cause you couldn't really keep track of it. Cause it was guys doing things to each other over and over again. What'd you think? It was kind of a throwaway six-man match in a lot of ways. Kota Ibushi, this is twice now he's appeared in AEW and not appeared to be as impressive as he used to be, whether it's physique-wise or just in-ring-wise. I think it's a waste of Takeshita. He shows so much potential, and not even potential, he's really good. Just watch what he's doing in there, and he's got size and a look. I guess the one positive is he beats Kenny, so it sets him up, hopefully, for some more singles action as opposed to everything being multi-person matches. Juice Robinson, from the moment they come out there, from the moment they're on the entranceway, and they stood there for a long time for some reason. <laughs> but when they're out there, Juice Robinson, you can't take your eyes off him. 
and he's screaming at you. Even his voice is distinct. And we'll see where they go with this. You know, again, I said before, we talk about Wembley next year. They sold out Wembley with no card. They continued to sell tickets with Kenny Omega being in a match that really didn't matter. I don't think anyone was really looking forward to this match. Not that there aren't good people in the match. No one was looking forward to it. And this is the former world champion. He's just in a six-man match. Maybe next year they use him better. Well, I mean, a lot of it depends on what kind of condition he's in, to be honest. I, I was about to say, maybe next year, you know, they'll, he will have uh, recouped and recovered from because he was talking about, well, I don't know how much longer I can do this, what, two or three months ago. So, but never, or maybe he can transition to a, a role behind the camera where we don't have to look at him or listen to him. What would a good role for him be behind the camera? Um, cameraman's stool? He could get down on his hands and knees. The cameraman could sit on his back. Anyway, so then we come to the rubber match for the AEW World Tag Team Championship, the Buckaroos versus FTR. And boy, Brian, you and I, we've this is the one we were sure of, the one we knew what was going to happen. There ain't no way that the buckaroos are going to put FTR over and do what's right for business and the biggest show of all time. They're going to have their, their wives and their kids and their uncles and their daddies and their mommies and their mistresses. And the whole family is going to be there. Everybody's going to be watching. They know way they're going to do it. They got to beat FTR. They got to rub their faces in it. And for once, Brian, for once we were, we were, re- we were uh, we were wrong. No, we weren't, because I said the other day, the finish changes if it's what gun, and Tony says everyone thinks the title change is going to happen, I'm not going to lose cash because it's what gun, I'm going to put the titles on them. Obviously, well, you know, cash we was running with, what gun? What gun? You know what I was going to think, or what I was going to say, is that I believe down deep in my heart that they were indeed going to beat FTR, but then somehow somebody close to them played them what we said and they saw the light. They reformed, Brian. They, the, the, like the Grinch, their hearts grew three sizes that day and they realized by our eloquent commentary on the matter that they would be so selfish and egotistical of them, the gall of them, and so therefore to keep the heat off of them, and because we were able to touch some human part of them down deep, way down deep, that they they had a change of heart and a change of plans. I'd like to think that that we brought this on by appealing to their their humanity. I don't think so. I think the bigger appeal was reality. And I think reality was pretty apparent here. One team is really hot. One team isn't. And the Bucks aren't. And beating FTR here would do more damage to FTR than it would do to help the Young Bucks. So you think maybe I think, Tony I think even put they had to down. see that. I think even they had to see that. Well, but do you think maybe Tony put his foot down? And maybe that's maybe that's why the match was no better than what it was because the 
the buckaroos weren't all mentally on board with it. Did you see boo-boo job face, as you put it? Well, it's hard to tell with their faces because they look like pricks no matter what the fuck their emotion is. So it, it, but at the same time, I mean, you know, part of this could have been that I just don't think they're up to it. I don't think the Bucks are up to having a real, legitimate, professional wrestling tag team match without doing the same shit they always do and being allowed to do everything under the sun for, you know, just pop after pop after pop from people who like to see shit break and make noise. They had a bunch of their same shit in here, but I look at, I look at FTR. They had three match of the year candidates by everybody's assessment, not just ours with the Briscoe brothers, all three of the matches different. And all three of them took place in a goddamn barn in front of a thousand people or less. So maybe not the last one that was on a, Ring of Honor show, I think, that maybe had 2,500. And then I see that FTR had the, not just our opinion, but the consensus of many people, including even Uncle Dave, the greatest American tag team match on television of modern time or all time with Gin and Juice. And I hear the praise of the six-man tags they've been involved in on Collision. And I'm thinking, well, FTR and the Bucks was, eh, must be the Bucks. Because you mean to tell me that if they had the match they had on collision with Gin and Juice, that a rematch in front of 80,000 people would not have been just a rip snorter. And instead we get this, and yes, FTR tried, but you've got if the Bucks can't do the same old Buck shit and have the same old match where rules don't matter and it does nobody can follow it anyway, they can't hang. They can't have a tag team wrestling match. Their timing is shit. I'm not talking about timing on gymnastics. I'm talking about timing on getting heat and being in the right place. Their psychology is rotten. They're still visually ridiculous against two guys that look like Cash and Dax even, much less, you know, the classic teams of days gone by. Their gymnastics are perfect, but that's the same thing they always do. So I don't think they can carry it. They're, this has exposed them. When they work with teams that are much better from a fundamental level to a psychology level to a fucking execution level of the more intricate shit they they can't hang with it and you know it got tedious after a while with ftr trying to have a match and them trying to throw in the same flip over the top and yank the guy's ass and then i'm going to jump back on the apron and backflip off that they have been doing since i was having to suffer through them in ring of honor in 2012 so you know, they were they were going home. Finally, Nick took forever to superplex Dax for the deal where they do the power and glory superplex splash. Matt got hung up on a top rope. They traded spike pile drivers for two counts. 
uh, a bunch of false finishes. Finally, the crowd started waking up with the back and forth false finishes. And finally, FTR foiled the buckaroos and hit the shatter machine one, two, three. But I just, it's not even now me just personally being offended by the presence of Maddie and Nikki on the planet. It's that they just aren't as good as now that they may have been a lot to write home about when they started the company and everybody was just all enthralled with this whole idea of the elite. But now that they've had actual talent come in that are better and we've seen the same old shit with no growth or exponential improvement whatsoever from the Cucamonga kids, it's kids playing. It's more obvious now. Your thoughts? The right result for a number of reasons, but the wrong match in a lot of ways. I think it was the weakest of the three matches between the Bucks and FTR, and the three matches were under very different circumstances. I did hear a lot of people in the building say that it was hotter than it appeared on TV, and that just may be a miking the crowd issue, especially in a building like that. How do you mic a crowd like that, that size of its open air? Well, but my eyes were working even if I couldn't hear everything, and what I saw wasn't that thrilling. You know, the fact is we've been saying it on this show now, maybe going back to 2015, 2016, I forget what, but FTR better than the Young Bucks and the Revival were better than the Young Bucks. The Young Bucks had a lot of matches. What we've all come to know now on national TV, no rules, tags don't matter, referee just lets anything happen. Non-stop flips, go for cheap pops, keep going for those cheap pops, kick out of everything. Sell nothing. Sell nothing. Despite your size, you're as powerful as Hulk Hogan. We've seen all of this stuff now for years. When the one dipshit double Northern Lights suplexes two grown men because they let him, it's just... (sighs) But we've seen all that, and at the same time, you know, FTR and American Alpha was three matches. That we saw on TV. I'm not talking about whatever they worked in small towns in Florida. Three matches. FTR and Gargano and Champa. Three matches. Not non-stop matches. And those matches were all excellent. They established themselves as being this modern standard of excellence in tag team wrestling. And you would just hear the churn from people that love the Young Bucks. And we've now seen them in the same company for years. There's no question anymore. FTR are the more talented tag team. They're the better tag team. Right now, they're the tag team the fans chose out of the two options. And the Young Bucks went with the right thing here because FTR are what's happening right now. People want that music to hit. It's very similar to the Midnight Express. You know, even when you guys were heels, people started looking forward to the music. People want to hear FTR's music hit, and they want them to come out there and have a great match. This match became almost a cliche at times. Just kicking out of everything. We're going to do your finishers. You do our finishers. Why? Why would anyone do any of these things? I will say one positive, and this blew me away. I could be wrong because I've talked about it on the show before. I think this is the very first time AEW has acknowledged Excalibur on commentary, and he was unbearable all night that FTR lost the first match because Cash Wheeler 
in an act of desperation, went for a 450 splash. The team of no flips, just fists went for a flip, and it cost them the match. And then they never said anything about it ever again. This is the first time on this show, because it played into something later in the match, that they mentioned it, which I couldn't believe that they finally mentioned it here. I think everyone's ready for both teams to just move on and do something else. And the Young Bucks certainly come out of this cooler than they've ever been. Ever. Since they've been on the Indies. Ever since and, they left and, Impact. And not cool like Fonzie was cool. Cool like cooled off. Yeah. They haven't grown. I mean, if you've been watching AEW since the beginning, you've seen what their matches are. So then it becomes, what about the character development? They've become more childish. They've become more of a parody of wrestling. They could have leaned into it and just been great heels and gone all the way with that. But it all comes back to the silliness. It's all about them and what they want to do as opposed to what's best for the company. In this case, what was the right thing for the company was the result. Well, now we go. You, you'd never go full outlaw, Brian, but they went full outlaw. We, we've slowly been descending into madness. We had a good wrestling match to start the show, Joe and Punk. Then we had the six-man tomfoolery, but at least there, you know, there was a, an element of athleticism involved and a couple of names that you could do something with. And then FTR and the Bucks, that had to be done, I guess. But now we've gone to the point of no return. I knew we were in for problems when they announced Giovanni was sitting in to replace Jim Ross. I said, oh boy, he left for a reason. Yeah, they, he didn't want to get any of this on him. Not only did they do a football field fuckery match, but they did it with literal job guys, literal preliminary talent in a gimmick match where anything's supposed to be legal. Now tell me, Brian. I double dog dare you. Tell me who was on what team. Who wrestled this fucking thing? Okay, I could do this. The BCC, so that's Yuta, Moxley, and Claudio. And they're not proud and powerful anymore. Just Mike Santana and Ortiz against the best friends, Pockets, Eddie Kingston, and Penta. God damn it, okay. I didn't think you'd be able to do it. But you realize that since those teams were just put together, literally, last Wednesday night was when uh, Santana and Ortiz came out and re-debuted, right? Yeah. So the point is, think about this. You're in an 80,000-seat building with 80,000 people, and here comes a 10-man tag team match and the teams were just announced three or four days ago, and some of these people are people that have not even been seen on television through injury or dispute or whatever in a year now, and they're all fighting at the same time in various places in the building. Who the fuck could keep track of who was on what team and who was winning and who was losing at any given point in that stadium? I mean, it was a train wreck of a match. It was hard could to follow. You, but I mean, if you were just watching, could you instantly remember, oh, wait a minute, that guy's on the other team, and his guy's on this team, and his guy's... And they changed it within the last week to fucking add these other people that ran in and did this and surprise announcements. It was a goddamn mess from the start. You've got a garbage outlaw mud show indie wrestling match 
with preliminary talent in a on a giant stadium show like that where nobody even knows who's on whose side. It was fucking ridiculous. And again, this was every outlaw indie wrestler's jack-off session to do all of this stuff in front of a big crowd. And the plumber was bleeding two minutes in. And there were camera shots being missed all over the place because it was such a mess. Nobody knew, nobody could agent this. There was nobody telling the director, oh, make sure you go to camera six. They're about to do this intricate spot. It was just a fucking a mess. And then, then they have a split screen at one point because there's guys fighting out in the hallway while other people are still in the ring and or in the stadium. And then the fucking plumber pulls out the skewers, whether they're the shish kebab skewers or the whatever the fuck they're for, shrimp on the barbie. Chicken satay. And, and the other knucklehead drills them into Moxley's head. And he's s- sitting there in front of all those people with shit stuck in his head for real. What a... a a gimmick aside, wrestling business aside, what a fucking stupid garbage human being that he must be. Because I've never had the displeasure of running across him. And I and certainly there's no reason to start now. But can you imagine having 80,000 people, the record crowd in all of wrestling and the grandioseness that that takes in and showing them piss poor pretend talent in a garbage mud show match like this. And some were in the ring and some were in the back of the Royal box and they had chairs and ladders in the ring. And I started fast forwarding and pockets was bleeding and Trent was bleeding. Cause you know, that's a big fucking deal for the, Oh, I'm not only going to wrestle in front of 80,000 people, but they're going to let me cut my head too. And none of this could possibly ever lead to any money being drawn, or it was completely embarrassing. And then here comes Trent's mother's minivan. And she's in it. Did they did they find a lookalike minivan, or did they carry that son of a bitch across the ocean for this fucking unfunny comedy? There's no way they did that. I can't I mean Tony they, would do they, it, they, but they, I can't they, imagine. No way. Hey. They if I, they carried the old battleship across the ocean, Trent's mom, they could have carried her old car over as well. And she handed them pie plates and cookie sheets with cookies on them to use to hit the heels. This is where we're at with these supposed grown adults. And then music played, and Penthouse, who apparently had been sidelined earlier and I missed it, came out wearing a different color gear. And I, and then they he took with Santana a bump off of a ladder through a table on the stage, and I said, fuck, where's the finish? I can't take this. I skipped some more shit. I came back, Pockets had gotten a bucket and a bottle and broke the bottle, put the glass in the bucket, wrap duct tape around his fist with the sticky part outwards, which the, 
the fucking idiot announcer that used to do this on VHS from his basement that's now been propped up on a platform like this was telling probably some normal people might have accidentally been watching this and he was actually telling well the reason why he's doing that is because the sticky parts on the outside so then he stuck his hand in the fucking bucket of glass to make a super glass fist to fuck these it's like this is supposed to be the generation of wrestlers that's not on drugs is that why the ones from my generation behaved normally like logical human beings because they were on drugs? Is this what the human mind comes up with when they're it's totally straight? Cuz these people are fucking morons. So as he's got the super glass fist, Claudio and the plumber stopped him. But Kingston beat Claudio up with a chair and then speared the plumber through the table and then Pockets hit Claudio with the super glass fist. One, two, three. So you now have a situation that was created where the mascot pinned one of the more talented guys in the company who's hidden in this dreck by hitting him with a glass or by hitting him with a Superman punch with broken glass duct tape to his fist. This looked like what Ian Rotten would have done if somebody had given him money. The glass is what he did. That's what he did in ECW with Axel. Oh, the good type God. A death that's, match. Wasn't that it? That's right. I was talking about the overall, the furniture and the, the stupidity of all of it. The idiocy, the garbage people in a garbage match. 20 minutes of indie-minded marks playing with their own dicks in front of all of us, and we had to watch it. They would be ashamed of themselves, but they think they did something good. I would never have become a wrestling fan if shit like this was allowed, so fake and so stupid. Even at 12 years old, I would have never become a wrestling fan if they let anybody in the business at that point do anything like this. And this is probably the biggest reason why wrestling is a niche product now and is probably going to stay that way because you've got a bunch of fucking garbage idiots like this poisoning their own well. Do you think the skewer spot only works on wrestlers losing their hair? Can you do that on a wrestler with a full head of hair to get the full impact? Well, you know, it, it seems counterintuitive because... Moxley's the biggest shithead I know, and usually shit grows where there's manure around. But in this case, his head's completely barren, not only of hair, but of intellectual thought or cognitive ability. What do you think? Do you think they gave him the electroshock when he was in therapy? I think Moxley has a fetish for what was CZW, what is GCW, what is Nick Gage, this... You know, whatever you want to call it, just dirty. Then why don't they bring out the chicken and let him bite the head off and and spit the blood? Maybe and, he will. Maybe he will. And and then if, if whoever's the Rob Zombie that remakes all the horror movies, he can remake Freaks, and Moxley can be the fucking thing in the box at the end with the feathers. Moxley continues to be an embarrassing guy to have 
as a professional wrestler. His matches are terrible, whether they have garbage stuff or not. His instincts are clearly horrible. Worst wrestler in the business today. Well, they gave him what he wanted, which was to go out there and get stuck and cut and pretend to be a bad guy. And after that match, I took a break on watching this show. I said, I come back. I went and did some laundry, do something enjoyable. And then I came back and I pressed play and found that it was the women's four-way title match. And I was not going to start back on any kind of rotten four-way. Soraya had a great entrance. Uh, Tony loves to pay for the music. And, you know, we will rock you. And she came out with her family on stage. And that's where I determined that the, how do they phrase it? The least good woman in the match is probably going to win. It was Tony Storm versus Britt Baker versus Sheeta versus Soraya. I think nobody's going to question that out of those four, Soraya is the one you would least want to see wrestle. And, but she's the hometown hero, so she won it. But now, Brian, tell me, did I miss, because I didn't care and I skipped, or did they ever explain Tony Storm and Soraya have been in the same group? They were the outcasts or the misfits or the outsiders or the NWO or whatever the fuck they were. And they've been painting the other other girls green, indicating that they were losers, painting the green L on them. But to win this match, Soraya, the, the home country hero who's been a heel on the television program, sprayed the other heel, Tony Storm, her ex-partner, in the face with the can of spray paint and then hit a sloppy finish and won one, two, three. Did Why did they split? Was it was that it? Were they mad the at each other from previously? For the title, that's why. Was that the split? To be the champion, wouldn't that were they, cause a split? But I mean, were they mad at each other earlier in the match that I skipped? Or I don't, was that I don't just, think so. I don't think so, no. So the first we heard of any dissension, maybe... Maybe if there's anybody out there in the cult of Cornette, and I doubt this very much, who gives two tickled shits about the women's division in AEW, have they been teasing issues between Soraya and Tony Storm? Or did she just decide to blind her with the spray paint at the finish of this match? Yeah, I think that was it. Tony Storm's been doing these solo promos, which have been the best thing she's ever done. And technically, she's still with them. I guess this is a way to get her out of that. Well, I guess she's out now. Soraya got the big hometown pop. That's what they were looking for. That's what we said that we thought the finish could be for that reason. But it says a lot about what's going on with the AEW women's division. There's some talent there. When I say talent there, people that would work in WWE. But there was one women's match on this pay-per-view, and it was in the death spot after that stadium stampede. And it was all about just getting a big hometown pop, which hopefully would cause people to overlook the fact that it was a sloppy mess. One would think if Soraya was going to be victorious and become the women's champion in front of 80,000 screaming, adoring fans, they might have bothered to switch her baby face on the TV first so that it would translate to some business over here. Well, they didn't seem like they want that. It seemed like they wanted her to be a baby face there and still be a heel over here. That's what it sounded like at the press scrum afterwards. Um, yeah. But look, Soraya's not that She's great. not good. Not good. Britt Baker ain't that much better. 
She's not good. Britt not Baker's good. really not good. Tony Storm's good. Tony Storm's good. You look at Tony Storm and you could picture her, you know, with a different hairdo. <laughs> I looked at Tony Storm and pictured her. You could picture her with a different hairdo in almost any period of time with women's wrestling. Like she, and she's really good and she could do promos. The problem is there's no division. The problem is that division's filled with people that are not ready for prime time. You know what the problem is? There's too much division in the division. They need Jane Cargill back. You, if, if, if her rich husband ever goes broke and she needs the money, they could bring her back. See, at least she was presented like a star and treated like a star and started to believe she was that star. Yeah, and then believed she was a star that did one job and left the business forever. But seriously, look at the women's division. Collision, they've been treating Willow and Chris Statlander seriously. The AEW Women's Championship death spot. I mean, do you agree this is the death spot after that oh, boxing yeah. match? After the after Moxley normally, but especially in that instance, nobody wanted to see any more wrestling. Yeah, so, you know, it says a lot about the AEW women's division right now. All righty, well, speaking of seeing some more wrestling, the next match on the card was the coffin match with Swerve, and this was the one that was changed because of the flip-floppery of A.R. Fox and etc. But it, this, it ended up being Swerve Strickland and Christian Cage against Darby Allin and Sting in a coffin match where the only way to win is to put one of your opponents in the uh, coffin at ringside and close the lid. And obviously, as a byproduct of that, anything goes. Lazy booking. But <laughs> I swear to God, are the, the two guys that came out rapping for Swerve, Brian, you may know this. Obviously, you know I wouldn't. Are they just like his friends that came with him? Were they supposed to be someone, stars of some description? And were we supposed to know who they were, or was it supposed to get heat on the heel because he's got his friends rapping him to the ring and making a big deal out of it? And was this good in any way? I personally did not think this was good. Not to say that they aren't good rappers, but this specific, or he wasn't a good rapper, but this specific performance. There was two of them. There was two guys. No, it was one guy rapping. The other guy was DJ Who Kid or whatever his name was. Well, didn't he? He was there. He didn't rap. You didn't see him with a microphone. Well, then what was he there for? He kind of danced. He's there as part of the show. Well, he's there he's to all right, then he was lend dancing. support. The other guy was rapping. So there was one rapper, and Swerve raps, but he wasn't rapping. It was a way to give Swerve a big entrance. And, uh, yeah. Are they somebody? Should we know who the fuck they were? Everybody's, were they... everybody's somebody. Sometime. All right. All right. <laughs> Thank you, Dino. <laughs> and then Darby and Sting, they did an entrance video where they were wandering the streets. I said, my God, they're wandering the streets of Whitechapel. And I'll be a son of a bitch. Wouldn't you know who won the pony when the announcers talked about it? They said, well, we saw Sting and Darby on the streets of Whitechapel. I get Darby would have probably got ripped by Jack, but he had his big brother with him. Uh, Sting did an English accent. That was kind of interesting. Someone sent us an email. I don't have their name in front of me, and I apologize, but they said, when Sting wrestles, he's dressed like a woman wrestling in Saudi Arabia. <laughs> <laughs> As, you know what? He could have some kind of goddamn major skin condition, and we wouldn't know, because he's covered from neck to toe and he's got makeup on every yeah. part of his face and is he wearing gloves 
I think he wears gloves, doesn't he? Does he have a body cast? I don't know what's going on. It could be. He maybe he's not in there. <laughs> maybe he's not even in there. No wonder he's not killed himself by now doing all this stuff. He's not even really in there. This is our stunt sting. Um, our, apparently the coffin match, because I'm used to the Undertakers. I've been involved in those. Those were singles. The tag team coffin match, also, it's not a taggy. That's all four. Anything goes. Everywhere, blah, blah, blah. Sting beat up everybody with a black cricket bat. Uh, then they put on thumbtack-covered jackets and splashed the heels in the corners with them. That was my favorite because Darby takes out Sting's jacket. And he has to show like, Sting, the jacket. <laughs> and he holds it up for Sting. <laughs> I just, uh, again, I think if you... If you wear a thumbtack-covered jacket, you are automatically someone that I don't want to have any association with. Just if you have one, you're a fucking moron. Suzanne, um, throw away the coat. Throw away the coat. <laughs> Is this so my then, Yes, yes. The heel stopped the baby faces and took the jackets off. And then Christian duct-taped Darby's hands behind him. But Darby started doing, he did a no-hands moonsault on Christian and a no-hands diving cannonball to the floor on Swerve. And I would be thinking, you know, even if this motherfucker doesn't care whether he breaks his own neck or not, I'm not letting a guy, even if he's only 125 pounds, dive on me or at me with his hands tied behind his back. It's just, it's ridiculous. And... Christian did the best job he could, and best job probably of anybody on the roster regularly, of being in one of those things, and he still didn't do anything stupid or get anything on him, really. It, you know, he somehow can still be a professional in the middle of all of this. And Sting then comes off the apron onto Swerve is leaning over the middle of the table. And they're trying to give Sting a spot where he does stuff to get a pop, but at the same time, they don't want him to hurt himself. So Sting is going to dive off the apron and splash Swerve's back and Swerve's going to go through the table. But since he's just coming off the apron and Swerve was already kind of laying on it and the way he hit, again, it didn't break. Because it needs to be more force than that, even on those flimsy tables. So then Sting, trooper that he is, gets back up in the ring, steps out and leg drops swerve and goes through the table that time but then swerve is going face first through the fucking table to a concrete floor with a guy 230 pounds or whatever sting is now under that outfit sitting on his back i don't why do they have to do this it doesn't have anything to do with wrestling it just it, it you roll your eyes because it's constant why do I want to see the same fucking thing all the goddamn time? Then they got Christian almost in, but Dino Douche came out and he just beat Darby Allen up, even though he's not in the match. And it's not like interference of the heels of days gone by. It's people just come out and get involved in the match. Well, it's no DQ. So that means you're a fucking bad fucking booker, or a bad fucking producer, or a bad agent, or a bad wrestler. You can't figure out any other way to do it. And then here comes fucking Nick Wayne and hits 
the dinosaur with a skateboard and the dinosaur doesn't sell it and just knocks Nick out and choke slams him on the floor on the skateboard. So again, this 19-year-old kid or 18 or whatever the fuck he is is going to demolish his goddamn discs in his back for stupid bumps that nobody's going to remember tomorrow. You know the only reason they're remembering it? Because I'm talking about it now, Nick. It's the only reason. As soon as I stop, they're going to forget. So you're a fucking moron. The crowd was silent as Dino carried Nick Wayne out of the arena. And then Sting beat up Swerve and Christian. And Darby coffin dropped off the top rope onto the coffin because Swerve moved. And then I wrote, why am I still making notes like this is a real match? So jumping ahead, uh, basically Swerve double stomped Sting off the top. They put the coffin in the ring. Swerve tried to put Sting in the coffin, but Sting blocked it. Swerve slammed Sting on the coffin and went to the top and did a 450 onto the coffin because Sting moved. And then Sting gave Swerve a scorpion death drop on the coffin and put him in it, but couldn't close it. And then Darby Allen coffin dropped the coffin, even though he had just done that and missed and fucking hurt himself minutes before. He double, he coffin dropped the coffin with Swerve caught in the middle of the coffin. And then they closed it. Thank fucking God. Swerve's hair was not all the way in the coffin. I don't think he technically should have lost. I think the losers were everybody involved in this match and the people that had to watch it. Is If this is what wrestling is, then stop calling it wrestling. Just talk about, you know, here's our all-elite stunt fighting and put guys in different settings every week and let them have stupid, silly, fake looking fucking fights in front of, in different settings. Maybe they'll be in an ice cream shop next week. The fuck is this? It's a coffin match. Any closing thoughts? Not really. Again, it was like two shows up to this point. It was not that everything was perfect, but the show up to the point Jim Ross left. And then it just became like, Garbage Unlimited. Well, we're getting back to the wrestling now. Because it's time for Chris Jericho. (laughs) Did you ever think you'd hear that? Getting back to a normal wrestling match. Time for Chris Jericho. And we're going to talk about two things. We're going to talk about the match, but let's talk about the entrance. Um... I think he was trying to be Freddie Mercury at Live Aid. Yeah. But he sounded more like Harry Belafonte in Deo. He sounded more like Harry Belafonte now. He just passed away a few months ago. Yes, yes. I work on Banana Boat all night long. Daylight come and I want to go home. Deo, Deo. He was trying to get the people to ole, 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 ole with him. It was really, really sad and pathetic. You need- You need to be a vocalist of some renown to do that for people at any type of public gathering, don't you? Someone that he cares about, who loves him, needs to have the guts to tell him he can't sing. He can't sing. 
He can't sing. He can only sing if there's a backing track of him with auto-tune singing well, whatever he's singing. I was about to say, at least he didn't try to sing here, but you could say that the call and response, as they used to call it down in the the African-American churches that spawned rhythm and blues, the call and response, his call was pretty fucking weak. Even though they, they were trying to respond to him, but it wasn't Freddie Mercury going, ole, 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 whatever the fuck he was doing. That was really lame. And then the band started. And then the band started. And then, Brian, again, I defer to your experience in the music industry. I've been to a number of concerts. I've, you know, been involved with some of the musical performances that have been involved in wrestling programming. But was this a case where he knew that he could not sing the song and fully perform it while walking to the ring in a stadium at the same time and then having a match with a guy 30 years younger than he is, or elsewise he'd blow up to the first five rows were passing out from oxygen deprivation just from him sucking wind. So did he record a track of him kind of half-talking the words to Judas so that he could then lip-sync his way to the ring over a track of him not singing, because that would be obvious, but just kind of halfway talk-walking? No, I think it was the regular Judas track with him singing over it, or trying to sing over it then. If he was out of breath walking to the ring doing it, can you imagine him on stage with his funky dance moves? But that's there was no element of even attempting to sing live. He was talking live. That's what but Sebastian it, Bach always said, that Jericho needed a backing track. He can't sing. It didn't even seem like the backing track was as, as energetic as the normal song performance is. So I would, but you could see a couple of times that, like the way he had a live mic, because when he tried to do the rock and roll, ow, type of thing, you could tell he forgot that there was another word coming and he was completely off microphone, but still singing. So you could tell there was a backing track going on and a couple of times he was late getting to it. But God, I was like, he there was no, he was just talking like he was doing a promo while he was walking to the ring. I was expecting a performance of the song and then potentially a period of time where they could, I don't know, golf cart him to the ring or something where he could catch his breath. But he just did the first stanza as they say and the chorus and didn't even milk the people to sing it afterwards so he wanted to get that over with while he still had oxygen and there were not only were there no close-ups the camera stayed off of him singing completely and it was all crowd shots after the first couple of bobbles did you see that yeah i mean there's only so, so much pantomiming jericho you could take well, but I'm just, I would have thought they would have done that a little bit since they made a big deal out of announcing it. I would have thought they would have orchestrated that all a little bit more uh, poshly, a little bit more pomp and circumstance to everything, but they just got it over with. They sure didn't get the, the match over with. The match took a while, but in all honesty, Jericho was working his ass off. He tried he did. This was one of the better single performances he's had in a while. He wanted to do everything he used to be able to do. He did some of it. it, it, it next to the rest of the 
the card, this was, you know, at least a reputable professional match. Ostrich looks like Action Andretti's big brother, doesn't he? No, I think it's just a haircut. I did, No, I'd say there's a body style and everything. He's his big brother. And again, they have the dynamic where this time they literally just switched Chris Jericho babyface on the heel manager, Don Fallis, that is accompanying Will Ostrich to the ring. But Will's a home home country hero again. So they're cheering the heel with the evil, despicable manager against the guy that just turned babyface in a big angle on television two weeks ago. So once again, interesting reactions here. Aubrey Ed was the referee for this. I noted that her energy seemed to be unbridled in front of this crowd. Did you notice on the fake forearm exchange that they started with that when Osprey hit the chop, Jericho sold it big, dropped to his knees, peeled his blade off his wrist, and then as the camera got a close-up of Ostrich, <laughs> Jericho bladed his chest for the chop. Remember he did that? Who was that for here yeah, a while Yeah, when back. did he do that? He did do that before, didn't he? He did it on television, but this time he did it weekly because there... There was almost no blood, even though the announcers pointed it out shortly after that, but you could see scratches. What, did Ostrich open him up with his fingernails? That's the thing. You can't, you can't blade your chest for chops with Gunther or some... Hey, you know who he bladed for? The Japanese guy that does all the chops. If it's Gunther with those heavy hands and you're going to commit to it and blade it and you've got a decent amount of blood on your chest that's one thing before jericho went too far and he was bleeding like a stuck hog from chops which wouldn't but this was you was so little blood you could see the the scratch mark that he obviously made himself and then jericho german ostrich on the apron uh right on the top of his head and there were, they would each make comebacks, but you're not sure who the babyface is. Again, Jericho was working hard. Ostrich, to me, relies too much on the, I'm going to flip and land on my feet quickly, and people are going to be surprised. But then finally, Sammy was out there, and did you see the spot where Jericho gets the walls of Jericho and behind the referee's back, he's the referee. She is dealing with Don. Sammy hit Ostrich in the head with the baseball bat. And within seconds later, Ostrich is escaping from the hold. So it would just, I'll just hit him in the head with a bat for no good reason. Anyway, it kept going. And uh, again, I noted props to Jericho for trying this hard. Jericho kicked Ostrich in the balls and hit the Judas and got a two count. And then Ostrich did all kind of shit and hit some of it and got a two count and then hit more shit and got a three count. So they went to the, Jericho put him over. It was the right finish for this again, for this show, this building, this country. Um, 
And they're still of the opinion that the best way to build a wrestling finish is to do every move to a guy that you can figure out to do until you've done them all and then do one or two more and then pin him. And there it was. What'd you think of your boy Jericho? I thought it was the best Jericho match in a while. I think Don Callis being involved in this match made no sense. Will Ospreay was going to be the babyface because of the circumstances. And he's really good. I like Will Ospreay. Will Ospreay came out. Callis was like 50 feet behind him. Like they didn't walk out like a guy with his manager next to him or right behind him. Callis was nowhere near him. And it threw into play just this weird dynamic. It was a good match. But Jericho had to be the heel. He had to be the heel. I mean, there was no other solution here. Good match. Osprey just did an interview where he talked about the upcoming bidding for him, which is a little weird because that's MJF's gimmick. Osprey would be a good get for AEW. I like Osprey. Well, they've already got him. He's already gotten got. Well, no, he's there for this, but technically I think he's still a New Japan wrestler. Well, why buy the cow when you can get the milk for free? Who's the cow in this situation? Well, that's it may be utterly ridiculous to you, but I think it's ostrich. Okay. I, th- I didn't know if New Japan was the cow. That's why an ostrich no, was the it, milk. You know, well, uh, ostrich, you, it depends on, you know, which direction you want to milk him. Anyway, let's not talk anymore about <laughs> milk and poor Will because he's probably drained dry at this point. Uh, that's when Nigel came out and announced the the new record attendance, eighty one zero three five. Remember that. Now every record that the WWF announces from here on out is going to blow that out of the water, and even though it's not legitimate, people are going to believe it. That'll be interesting to see if that causes AEW fans to want to support them more if they know that WWE is now intentionally trying to run shows just so they could beat that number it could potentially cause more fans to want to show w just like the original well, but they're not but they're not they're running shows that can beat that number whether they beat that number or not but they haven't they're just they're gonna the next goddamn time they run a stadium they'll beat that number the next time they're gonna announce they beat that number whether they yeah. did or didn't is the question but the, well the thing is if everybody believes it and what difference does it make that's true, 93,173. 93, That's right. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyway, for the six-man tag team title, the House of Blick uh, versus the acclaimed and Billy Gunn, and as we mentioned, this whole angle has been not to get the acclaimed out on their own, but to bring Billy back to save them. And they got into an immediate six-way, and they jumped down, started fighting on the floor. The one thing I liked, this was pay-per-view, and they're in England, where apparently they have a little bit better tolerance of things like this, so they did the big leg drop to Julia Hart right in her crotch. They'd they never be able to get away with that here. And this sounds crazy, but I was thinking and watching it, because you can't believe that anyone would do that nowadays just because of the reaction you anticipate. Would they have done this with any other wrestler other than Bowens? Because Bowens established that he's not into women. So it's not like a threatening domestic violence kind wait, of situation. Wait, I don't care if you're wait, I don't care if you're straight, gay, bi, trans, animal, vegetable, or mineral. If you jump off the top rope, I'm not justifying it. leg in somebody's crotch, that's a bit aggressive. I agree. But do you think AEW would only do this with Bowens? 
I never even thought about that. I just figured because it's on pay-per-view, they can't get kicked off of television. And it's not like something that you would I've do. I've not heard but, one complaint about it. No, there wasn't where the people cheered. And there, and also, it's not like something you can do in a domestic altercation. Have you ever heard about a guy beating his wife by jumping off the dresser in the bedroom and dropping a leg on her crotch? Jimmy Snuka. Maybe once. And then, and then if Bowens is gay, well, there you go. There's a, some kind of, some kind of, I don't know, fucking energy that indicates that it's not male on female violence. If it's a female heel manager and a gay male baby face, somehow the, the fucking chemistry works out. But anyway, Julia got to take a little bump there. What'd you think of the fact the House of Black were wearing all white? Well, that was a little disorienting. I thought maybe. I'd, I'd, I needed the color bars to come back up. I'd set my hues wrong. All right, so back to this. Yes, the House of Black and White. Maybe they should be the House of Black and White. And they could come out with rabbit ears on, like the old days. They were all dressed in white. Knights in white satin. Maybe they could be that. Uh, and they never reached the end of this match. Uh, the heels just beat the shit out of the baby face. And by the way, this was all six guys in the ring at the same time, the whole match again, no holds barred house rules, no holds barred. Anything goes no DQ lazy booking. So again, wait a minute. Let's go back. We had a real match on first Joe and punk. Then the six man didn't have special rules but they just acted like it uh the tag team match didn't have special rules thank goodness and then we had football field fuckery and then we had a four-way women's match and then we had the coffin match anything goes and then we have jericho and ostrich which had rules but then right back away from the rules with the no rules six man and it was in and out of the ring at the same time and chairs and et cetera. And then they hit Brody King with about 18 moves and all three of them covered him. And the referee counted it. One, two, three, and we've got new champions. So now, except for the Bullet Club, the House of Black were the top heels on Saturday night. And they've just gotten beaten by the acclaimed and their senior citizen sidekick that is actually the toughest guy on the roster and the house of black handed over the belts and walked out that's what happened there so now what are the acclaimed and billy gonna do because there's so many trios teams lined up to face them i don't know and again house of black wore all white a typical baby face move and then they handed over the belts with no problem and walked off let's see what they do but but now, wait, wait a minute, they can't be switching babyface because then they'd have to let Julia Hart go back to, to grade school. They've obviously they've kidnapped her. No, I don't think so. I think she enjoys They're holding her them. against her will. Are you saying this is like a Symbionese Liberation Army thing with Tanya, Patty Hearst? No, that's what you're saying. I'm not saying that completely. I, th I think, uh, I think she's, she needs to have a stricter talk with them. I think the evil needs to flow from her. Because the rest of them are just kind of hanging around. That's why I like the acclaimed rap so good on Collision. They really made fun of the House of Black, like perfectly, pointed out all their weaknesses. <laughs> <It's really good. laughs>
Oh, if we only had time to point out everybody's weaknesses. Well, it was a lot of time on this show. Again, I actually missed a little bit of this match because I needed a break. A long day of wrestling. Again, I watched the pre-show. You didn't. I got to see the MJF Adam Cole tag match. Oh, I, I went. I went back and and uh, and viewed that match and the the Perry incident on the pre-show, which was the pre-show was two as it was zero hour, but the clip that I saw on the internet was two hours long. So they had a two hour zero <laughs> hour followed by four hours of this pay-per-view. I got zero hour an hour before the pay-per-view began, which is when I think they announced it. And that's when the tag title match was and the Jack Perry match would hook. I ordered the pay-per-view on real television and didn't get dick all of the zero hour. It started right with the pay-per-view. Well, it began with them basically saying, we've already had an hour of action here. Like, what? What are you talking about? Apparently they did some kind of thing that didn't air on any of this where the big show and <laughs> Anthony Agogo <laughs> took on Jeff Jarrett and Satnam Singh and Jay Lethal and beat them all up. I wonder if they just got to Wembley Stadium about six o'clock in the morning and just did some matches just for themselves. The ring is just here. To do it. Let's do it. The ring is set up. Let's get out there and just start the show. Well, but they finished the show with the biggest money match of uh, the, the match that drew the biggest paid attendance of all time. Not, as I said before, Londos and Lewis or Gotch and Hack and Schmidt or Thez and Leone, or Rogers and O'Connor, or even Rock and Austin. As much as we like both of them at various points, and sometimes as much as we get disappointed in them at various points, Adam Cole and MJF, main event on the biggest show of all time. Although, again, course, main event on the biggest show of all time is different than drawing the gate. Well, I was about to say seven, 75 of the 80,000 tickets were sold before we knew the match was going to take place, but let's not let details get in the way of everybody's enjoyment. Again, I like, you know, the entrance is, with MJF being an obnoxious, egotistical, self-centered type of fellow, I like the entrance with the ominous music and being carried to the ring on the platform and the devil mask and the maidens bowing to him and everything. It's just that it was a lot cooler when he was doing that and people were doing that and bowing to him when he wasn't on TV every week, you know, at, at Chuck E. Cheese playing dodgeball with six-year-olds and telling Adam Cole how how much he it loves him as a friend and all that stuff. It It's not the same devil anymore, is it? I don't... It's the babyface devil. That's what it is. I think right now uh, MJF is clearly a babyface, and based on what we saw here, possibly the biggest babyface in the whole company. Yeah. I mean, the field is wide open when you think about it. Who gets major reactions? Punk? MJF? And occasionally, you know, other. I'm not talking about at the end. I'm talking about when you see them. Yeah. Omega gets that reaction, to be fair. Uh, right. But they don't use him to capitalize on that, whether it's because he can't physically or because they just don't. Who knows? But MJF right now is the biggest baby face. And I heard from people in the building, and we've gotten a lot of feedback from listeners there. A lot of people wearing Cornette face t-shirts in attendance, apparently. But they say that the crowd was totally into MJF and Adam Cole. 
Yeah. Oh, well, I mean, you could tell even on, on the broadcast, much less being there live and the signs, a guy had a sign, he's my scumbag. And this was, these guys are both talented. Adam Cole has a very expressive face, especially when he's got the face of like something's bullshit or he's surprised or shocked or you can't, you can't be serious face. And they both got good heads on their shoulders. And this was a, a chance for, normally you would want the storytelling, the psychology, the drama, but you'd also want, you know, the match, you know, the, the old flare steamboat equation is it, it's as entertaining as sport can possibly be while not being phony, but it's also as sports-like as entertainment can possibly be. You, you try to go for that, that balance. But when the rest of the, almost the rest of the show was just chaos involving indie-minded, you know, moderate-level talents, they just said, fuck it, we're going to do a goddamn, a pantomime piece here. This was all drama. It was all built to confuse them. I mean, there were wrestling moves and, and instances thrown in, but it was all about playing with people's emotions and who should I be behind or who might be the one turning or what's going on. And because it was so different, normally this might've been too much drama, too much inside the actor's studio. But with the rest of the show, I think it was kind of perfect that they just did this. There was still all kinds of wrestling moves, but it was, it was the drama and the gaga and the interplay between the two of them. Will he or won't he? Is he or is he not? And that was pretty much the story of the whole thing. And the people were, after all those hours, they sat there watching all this other shit. They still wanted to fucking see it. And they were still into it. And MJF gets the people to chant sportsmanship. Sport, and then pokes Adam Cole in the eye. But then later on, Adam Cole steals the eye. But, but Adam Cole, nominally, one would think, be the babyface the equation, is the heel. Because, as you said, MJF, the people are so enamored of him that they're cheering everything he does because he's so fucking entertaining. And, you know, whether they're coaxing you know, the, the people to coax MJF to dive or not to dive or whatever. Um, and, and the mind games they're playing where later on in the match, they're both fighting on the desk and MJF goes for a tombstone, but can't do it. And he puts Adam Cole down because he just doesn't want to tombstone him. And then Adam picks him up and hits the tombstone on the desk. Well, see there, no good deed goes unpunished. And, you know, it, again, that was pretty much the the story of the match is teasing people what they're going to do. And then finally, they were so spent, they were doing the yay boo on their knees. Then they got up and they traded. And then a Canadian destroyer and a big kick and both of them were down and both of them get up and called double clothesline and hit that. And as soon as they both go down on top of each other... Hit it on each other, just for the record. Well, yeah, because, they yeah. did it on each other. Double clothesline. That spot they were trying to fucking 
tell, you know, the people had been wanting to see the double clothesline. Because, by the way, I don't even think we said, yes, they beat Ozzy Oldham for the Ring of Honor World Tag Title in the Zero Hour match. But the referee immediately went down, didn't waver, didn't look like, oh, my God, what should I do? I've never dreamed this would happen. He just went down and immediately counted it. And so the fans booed it, and the referee called for a draw. And the fans booed more, but you could tell where they were going because it was way too quick. I don't Maybe some fans thought, oh, they're going to fuck us like this. But if when they had done that, if the referee had gone down, and, or not even gone down, but just looked at it for a second and go like, oh, shit, wait, they're cut. What? Should I? I? I don't know what else to do. Okay, then done it. You might have you set the hook in their mouth a little better. But then Adam asked for five more minutes, and MJF says, no. Five minutes isn't enough. We're going till we got a winner in fucking Wembley. Motherfucker. Fuck. Fuck. No, they had to say fuck on pay-per-view. And then we're off again. And did as you, soon as... Did they boost the mics when MJF started talking? more? Probably. The, it felt like it got a lot louder. Yeah. Yes. Probably did. Because they didn't want to miss that. And then immediately they wipe out the referee. And so MJF sees there's no referee and he goes and gets a chair. But then he's going to do the Eddie Guerrero thing where he throws the chair to Adam, but Adam Cole throws it back at him. And they keep tossing the chair back and forth. It's like duck season, rabbit season, duck season, rabbit season. And finally, Adam falls down like he got hit with it. So MJF says, fuck it. He puts the chair over his own head and lays down. And I mean, this is, again, can you imagine Austin and Rock having done this? No. But for the fact that they've I seen... I can see The Rock doing it, not Austin. Well, yeah, but I mean, in, in the middle of a WrestleMania main event, it was a little much. But again, finally the referee gets up. And... MJF takes back over and then they go to the apron, but Adam's German suplexes MJF on the apron turn about his fair play and the Panama sunrise off the apron onto MJF onto the floor and then rolls MJF in two count. And that's a bit much. I know they're not all high risk guys here, especially MJF, but goddamn. So then as Adam Cole tries the Panama Sunrise in the ring, MJF pulls the referee into it, and the referee gets Panama Sunrise. That's where Adam Cole looks like he just seen a fucking space alien. What'd you think of that spot of doing that? The idea that the referee would be there and Adam Cole would be able to just hit that move of all moves to the guy it, that was just again, shoved into place. A lot of showbiz in this match, and it was working because of the personalities and because... They've been waiting to see something that meant something besides just this constant interchangeable chaos. So they're telling a story, even though if it's a phony story. Uh, MJF puts the diamond ring on, but he's conflicted. And he takes it off and puts it away. But as he does that, Roddy comes in, Roderick Strong, and kicks MJF in the balls. And then jumps out. Well, then Adam sees Roddy. I don't know if he saw the ball kick. But see, er, er, after seeing Roddy, he still hits the Panama Sunrise and the knee on MJF. 
But when he covers him, there's no referee. And so there's a delay. But finally, referee comes up. One, two. MJF kicks out. There's a big pop. Now Roddy throws the belt, the title belt, to Adam Cole. But Adam Cole is conflicted. And he throws the belt down. And Roddy stalks off because he's pissed. And Adam Cole turns to MJF. And MJF small packages him. One, two, three. Ding, ding, ding. And that was it. And I wrote exclamation point, question mark, exclamation point, question mark. <clears throat> and then MJF consoled Adam Cole because now Adam's in the corner with mad boo-boo face on and, and I, you know, like I lost it, I blew it. And MJF is getting the people to cheer for him. And he said, look, look, buddy, look, buddy. And he goes out and gets the Ring of Honor belts. We still got these. And Adam grabs the Ring of Honor belts and throws them down on the ground. And the people get hot. They're like, ooh. And then MJF gets mad. He says, so you never gave a shit about me. It was just the belt, right? Well, fuck it then. And he gives Cole the belt and turns his back on Adam Cole. And Roddy comes out and tells Cole, do it, do it. And Adam throws the belt down, and then Adam and MJF hug, and Roddy disappears again, and they celebrate. And we're back where we fucking were. Well, how did you feel about the revelation or lack thereof of anything going on here that we talked about? Did they have to extend it because the ratings had been so fantastic over it but how do all those people feel or all the people are on tv that are going to watch the highlights this coming week when nothing happened i think the people will be happy it's just like the bloodline who cares about the match they wanted the hug they got the hug i think god why didn't i get in the wrestling business when it was this easy we had to have finishes they just need hugs I think the fans there were into it. And, you know, we're not totally crazy about the entertainment elements that have been introduced into a lot of these things. But those fans are really into it. And the other thing is, in terms of a finish, there weren't too many options that seemed like it would be good. I mean, we talked about it. MJF could screw over Cole. Cole's an idiot. Cole screws over MJF. Now he's a complete idiot. The best option was them continuing on with getting along now they we said it it may have been earlier this show i don't know if it was today or another day but they can't keep teasing the i'm gonna be mad at you i'm gonna super kick you if they're gonna turn on each other it has to happen soon <laughs> that shit can't continue but otherwise mjf's the biggest baby face in the company and right now depending on what happens with punk he may be the biggest star in the company well, we shall see. Well, on that topic, Jim, uh, well, anything else for All In? Any other comments about well, All In? Well, uh, no, you know, it, it was a bizarre main event for a world title match in a show like that, but it, it fit the unique situation, and they better be lucky. And Adam Cole did a great job, and they better consider themselves very lucky. They've got MJF to somehow make this work, because with anybody else in the wrestling business, can you see it at all? No. And again, based on what I 
assume are physical limitations on Adam Cole, this has all worked for the best for him for getting him on TV in a serviceable way. He's in one of the most popular things in the company, or the most popular thing in the company. I thought Roddy would get involved. Taven and Bennett continue to amuse me as not doing anything. They're just standing around at various points. If you didn't know who they were, would you even know who they are based on the television programming? Or are they just the two guys that stand behind Roddy and console him over this situation? Pretty much that. Pretty much that. But we have some CM Punk news. Uh-oh. A few things. A report from Nick Houseman, House of Wrestling. The headline, No one from AEW met CM Punk at Heathrow Airport. Exclusive. Before things backstage became chaotic for Punk, it sounds as if his travel also had some hiccups. Uh-oh. House of Wrestling has learned that when Punk landed at Heathrow Airport for AEW All in London on Saturday morning, no one from AEW was there to greet him. There was also no car service to take him to his hotel. <laughs> and when he texted a number he was given by AEW for the driver, it bounced back as being an invalid number. <laughs> After waiting for a while, Punk showed... They, they fly the biggest star in the company across the fucking ocean <laughs> and leave him standing at fucking Heathrow Airport with no idea where he's supposed to go or how he's supposed to fucking get there. And the contact that he's given for his alleged transportation is no good. After waiting for a while, Punk chose to buy a train ticket and find his own way to the hotel. We are told that the tube, that's the subway in England, was fairly busy at the time. Punk got lost, and a few fans who noticed the Second City Saint helped him figure out where he was going. Oh my god. It appears that Punk got into London so close to the actual event because he had taping commitments in Atlanta on Wednesday and wanted to spend Thursday with his wife and dog Larry. Before <laughs> his wife's not named, but his dog Larry is. His <laughs> wife and his dog Larry before heading out on Friday and landing on Saturday morning. Well, so that's the first Punk report. the show. Right? Was the show Saturday? Was the show Saturday? Oh, show was Saturday. Saturday. The show was Saturday oh. uh, evening in London, afternoon here in the All East. Right. Or the West, I guess, technically. In the East! Well, that's the first report. The second report, Brian Alvarez of F4W Online and the Wrestling Observer is reporting, The belief within AEW is that Punk and Jack were both suspended pending the results of an investigation. <laughs> Which would mean neither will work all out. What? If they don't have punk it all out, can you imagine? In Chicago, they'll boo him out of the fucking building. What the fuck? Why would you suspend the fucking guy that's the star of the goddamn show because this small fucking insignificant numbnut brained idiot, Jack Perry, decides that he's again gonna do childish shit and when he finds out that at least some people in this business still stand up for themselves, and he gets snatched, and then he goes crying to somebody about it? Can nobody take their goddamn earned ass-kicking anymore? Uh, what the fuck? Tell the child he shouldn't have done what he did, and he's lucky Punk didn't do worse, and if he don't like it, 
then here's your contract, Jack. Rip, rip, rip. Good luck in your future endeavors. What the fuck is difficult about that? <laughs> I have a little bit more here from Nick Houseman about the actual incident. Okay. Reports regarding the actual altercation between Punk and Perry backstage at AEW All-In and the subsequent aftermath have differed, with some saying Punk initiated the confrontation and others claiming it was Perry who acted first. After asking around, here is what House of Wrestling can report. Well, and, and we know that their word is like gold. Well, we can say that Nick Houseman has been all over all this punk stuff. He's a Chicago guy, and he's been involved in all this punk stuff, so let's see what this says. From what we are told, Punk was waiting in the gorilla position before the show went live for his match against Samoa Joe when Perry entered the area and walked up to him. Punk initiated the verbal exchange between the two, asking Perry if he had something to say. And the conversation quickly escalated, leading to Perry asking Punk to do something about it. <laughs> this is when Punk shoved Perry. Perry responded by shoving Punk back. Oh my god! And then Punk put him in what is being described as a chokehold. We're told Punk viewed putting Perry in a chokehold as a way to neutralize the situation as he's a trained fighter and does not want to have to fight Perry. No punches were thrown, as far as we know. Punk then walked to his dressing room. But again, who, is, who does this little needle-dicked simpleton think he is to tell CM Punk, boy, you going to do something about it? Yeah, apparently. Why would you think he wasn't? Who's going to be intimidated by Jack fucking Perry? Well, forget about even intimidation. What big star in wrestling history, Hogan, Austin, Flair, whoever you want to name, would let one of the mid-card or undercard guys in the pre-show match live on air say shit about them right into the camera? And then, and then announce to them afterwards, oh, are you going to do something about it? Yeah. What would Hogan have done? He would have had the guy fired. That's what he would have done. Unbelievable. Uh, Punk then walked to his dressing room, got cleaned up, and spoke with AEW security. Punk, knowing the situation was not good, asked them if it would be better for everyone if he left the building, and was told that nobody was asking him to leave. But it might make things easier if he did. <laughs> Punk agreed, left the building of his own accord, walked to his hotel, and ordered Nando's for some of the talent, whom he met up with after the show. Boom, and Nando's, by the way. What a fucking meal. From what we gather, it does not sound like there's been much, if any, communication between Punk and AEW since last night. So this is a developing story, just like everything seems to be every time we record. How is this a surprise, though? I mean, just... It, Which aspect of it? Well, that you're, you're going to say something smart-ass to Punk and, and something's going to happen. How is it a surprise? The the thing that, again, that gobsmacks me is that it's a surprise to these guys that they are getting snatched or punched or whacked with a chair or whatever's happening to them in a wrestling locker room like that. How in the world can this happen? Do you think Jack Perry's been in a lot of fights in his life? Do you think Jack Perry has had issues where something he said could cause him to get punched in the mouth and he would have to defend himself? Probably not. I would bet that that probably didn't have growing up in Beverly Hills. And maybe he has a false sense of entitlement. Obviously, he has a false sense of entitlement if he thinks he could do that against one of the top stars in the company on live TV. 
But that, that's what I'm saying. They're all surprised. They're all shocked when they run their fucking mouse and they stir people up. Even if they are not aware of it, they're in the wrestling business. And in the wrestling business, it's, you know, reasonable regularity. Somebody's going to get mad. Somebody's going to get punched. Somebody's going to get snatched. Somebody's going to... Things happen. And I don't know why they're all so surprised over it and wringing their hands and going to lawyers and legal and human relations or human resources or whatever the fuck. Again, all it boils down to is Tony doesn't have control of his shit and he never puts his foot down and tells his employees what they're going to do and what they're going to like and what they're not going to do. And if the boss does that, then the employee has the chance to say, okay, I guess I'm going to have to do that or fuck you, I'll go somewhere else. And it all gets settled. Nothing gets settled here because the boys have to do it themselves. And apparently the only one that's still in the wrestling business and wants to stand up for himself is fucking punk. So he's, he's got to be the Lone Ranger. Don't run your fucking yap and won't nobody get goozled. But they can't stop the yap running. And it sounds like he had a second chance. Do you have something you want to say? <laughs> and then it, they pushed Apparently him? Apparently he yeah. did. Jeez. And, he, and, and, and here's another thing. If you're going to say shit, you can't look like Jack fucking Perry. You can't be five foot nine and 142 pounds and look puzzled all the time. You have to be ready to, you know, if the guy's going to say, well, yes, I'm going to do this and this and the other thing about it. And then here, here we go. Well, here we go. Before this becomes a six-hour episode, it may already have to be split into two parts, I have to see, but that's the latest news from AEW. And that was the main event from Wembley Stadium. Whose show is this? Jack Perry and Punk or uh, MJ? Well, no, no. <laughs> we were talking about the main event, and then we had that... That news, you know what, let's just, let's do this. Let's not end the show. Let's just say that we're going to stop talking so everybody can go get a drink. And by the time that you come back, people, we'll be doing a whole brand new show. So just stay tuned. We'll be right back. 